Well, if you have your Bibles today, open them to the 145th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Those verses are so beautiful, I want to read them again. Praise God. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Let's bow our heads a moment in prayer. Our Father, we thank thee for thy precious holy word. We thank you for the precious holy written word. And for the privilege that we have to study the word of God together. And for the privilege that we have to walk in the light of the word. And for the privilege that we have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. For it's when we walk in the light of the word of God and become a doer of the word, not just a hearer, that we become recipients of all that is provided and promised through the holy written word of God. We thank you again today for the Holy Spirit whom thou hast sent to be our teacher and guide, and we trust him this day to unveil the word of God unto our spirits. We pray again today for the congregation that each ear will be listening, that each mind will be open, that each heart will be receptive, and we thank you for giving us utterance in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. I was praying about uh, just what I should teach and so I very definitely, when I began to pray about what I should, uh, along which particular line I should go, I very definitely was impressed along this line, on the inside of me, to speak about the Lord's compassion. My notes primarily come from F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer. He has a whole chapter in that book, and if you don't have it, you get the book, Christ the Healer. And uh, you'll find it's one of the best textbooks on the subject of healing that I know anything about. You know, I, uh, I'm sure of this one thing. Sometimes in my own books, I might say something a little bit different in the process of time that would make it more clear. Than, you know, I, I think sometimes statements that I make sometimes in teaching the students afterwards, I think, well, I believe I'll say that a little different. I think it'll make it more clear. And... Uh, so uh, you, you'll find this is a good book. But anyway, this particular chapter, these notes are taken from that chapter, The Lord's Compassion. And uh, so, of course, the text said here uh, about the Lord that he's not only gracious, but that he is full. The Lord is full of compassion. Well, I like to think when you think about being full, I think of a glass sometimes full of water. If it's full of water, it's not in room for anything else. Amen. It's full. Isn't that right? It's full. 
And I like that statement, the Lord is full of compassion. Well, if he is full of compassion, then let's study about the Lord's compassion. Let's study about what he's full of. He's full of compassion. And I think uh, I agree with Brother Bosworth. He, he made this statement. He said, in studying the Lord's compassion, we have, to my mind, a complete revelation of the Lord's willingness to heal. It seems to me that if you didn't have any other text in the Bible on the subject of healing except this one, this would be enough. Because if he's full of compassion, then that displays his willingness to heal. Do you have any compassion for the sick? Uh, any of your folks ever been sick? Or have you ever been sick? Or any of your family, your friends? And in your compassion for them, you want them to get sicker? And in your compassion for them, you want them to hurt more? And every time they hurt more and got sicker, you rejoiced in your compassion? No, in your compassion, you felt for them. You wanted to do something to help them. Amen. Isn't that right? Well, thank God the Lord is full of compassion. I don't think that could be said of us, that we're always full of compassion, but He is full. Hallelujah. I like that word full there, don't you? It means there's not in room for anything else. Full of compassion. And so, by studying His compassion, thinking upon it, I think it it does bring a complete revelation, like Bosworth said, of the Lord's willingness to heal. Now, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, and we'll point these scriptures out later on, a number of them we'll look at, you'll find that it's said again and again in the four Gospels concerning the ministry of Jesus that he was moved with compassion and healed them. And it'll make statements like this, he was moved with compassion and healed all them that had need of healing. Now you see, it was because of his compassion that he healed. Well, this same Jesus, and thank God he is the same, isn't he? I mean, has he changed? Remember Hebrews 13, 8 said Jesus Christ the same. The same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Is he the same compassionate Jesus now that he was then. Now notice that he healed the sick, and we're going to notice scripture after scripture after a while, not right now, that said he was moved with compassion. What was it that uh, you might say compelled him to heal people? To prove his deity? No, it never does say that. See, I think, Rita, the devil gets people to say things that are sound good and sound religious just to keep people from seeing the truth. Well, the Lord healed, you know, to prove his divinity, to prove his deity, to prove that he was God. And you know, you, you don't ever find where he healed the sick that he said, to prove his deity, he healed them all. But you'll find again and again, he said he had compassion on them. You see, healing the sick is not a display of his deity or divinity, but a display of his compassion. It's not a revelation, thank God he is God, but it's not a revelation of his deity or his divinity, it's a revelation of his mercy. It's a revelation of his compassion. 
And he is full of compassion. And he's still the same Lord now that he was then. He's not any less compassionate now than he was then. He's not any less merciful now than he was then. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So you remember this same Jesus. In other words, this same compassionate Lord. This same one of whom it said again and again he had compassion on them and healed them. This same Jesus said, you know, before he went away, it is expedient for you that I go away. You remember him making that statement? It is expedient. Well, expedient means it's best. It's for your good. It's the best thing, in other words, in, in common everyday old American slang. In other words, he's just saying it's the best thing that ever happened to you. It's the best thing that ever happened for you that I go away. Well, now, this same Jesus that said that before he went away is now seated at the right hand of the Father God. Well, if his going away would take away any compassion of God and of the Lord from the earth, then it wouldn't be expedient, would it? It wouldn't be for our good. But no, you see, this same merciful, this same compassionate Jesus, hallelujah, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and as the scripture said there in Hebrews, that he might be, present tense now, a merciful or compassionate. Some translation reads compassionate. And faithful high priest for us. And thank God he is. Now then, in the scripture, compassion and mercy mean the same thing. In fact, this Hebrew word or uh, noun that's translated uh, mercy is also translated compassion. Sometimes they'll translate mercy, sometimes they'll translate compassion. And then the Greek verb that's translated have mercy, have compassion. For instance, and we'll look at it later on, you remember, you remember blind Bartimaeus who sat by the wayside, you know, when Jesus stopped, said, you know, what would you? He said, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then the scripture said, the King James translation, that Jesus had compassion on him and healed him. But actually, it's identically the same Greek word. The same Greek word translated mercy and the same words used there when it said that Jesus had compassion or he had mercy. That's what he asked for was mercy and that's what he got. Praise God. And so uh, the same Greek word that's translated have mercy is also translated have compassion. And so uh, uh, another, another Greek word also, another shade of meaning from the same word, root word at least, is defined merciful. That is uh, an adjective in this case, merciful, compassionate. Now to have compassion is to love tenderly to pity, to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. Hallelujah. I like every one of those definitions, don't you? Hallelujah. Let me say them again. To have compassion is to love eagerly, tenderly, to pity, to have mercy. Well, it said he's full. The Lord is full of what? 
compassion. All right? Compassion means to love tenderly. He's full of love then, isn't he? I said, isn't he? Well, the Bible said God is love. Hallelujah. So he's full of love. To have compassion means to pity. Read again and again in the scripture how it said the Lord pitieth them. Thank God he has pity. It means to show mercy. He is merciful, a merciful and compassionate high priest. It means to be full of eager yearning. When I read that definition, I thought about the fact that the scripture said, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. Where? In the earth. What's he doing? He's seeking those that he can have compassion on, can have mercy upon, can extend his mercy toward and his compassion. Brother Bosworth pointed out in his lesson that God is nothing so much as he is love. Well, thank God that's true. That's another way of saying, as the Bible said it, God is love. Now, you know, uh, a lot of time people think of God in different terms. You almost wonder sometimes about if you could bring into a, paint a picture of God, the way some folks talk about him, the way some folks almost describe him, what he would look like. And you know, of course, the devil tries to give man a distorted picture of God. Amen. And, and some folks, I, I don't know, it's hard for me to understand some people. My, my thinking's always been different. And that is, since I've been saved, before I got saved, I didn't have much thinking. But once I became a Christian, once I became acquainted with him, it seems to me that some Christians, I know because I talk to them, I, I, I counsel with them as I can. I don't, you know, if I just did all that and nothing else, I wouldn't be able to get the job done. But some people, it seems to me, and I, I don't know why they do, I never did, but some Christians, it seems to me that they're, they delight in finding some scripture to condemn themselves with. And they're just looking constantly for something against them. I don't know. I was always looking for something in my favor. And then they dwell on that. They think on that, you know. If they can find some isolated scripture to condemn themselves with. They'll get over there, you know, in Hebrews where it said, For if we sin willfully, after we see, well, I'm, I might have done that. I, I may have done that. When I read, I always think, thank God I didn't do that. <laughs> Amen. Amen just seem like anything on the negative side. You know, after all, one of the first things, Brother Bosworth made this statement too. It's not a reason with me. I got it from him. He made this statement. He said, once you're born again, when you first get saved, the first thing God asks you to do is change your thinking. You know, not many Christians do. See, I think the devil really put one over. They, they, they talk about, well, change your actions. Well, you know, I, I didn't change any of my actions after I got saved. After I got saved, they're just things I was doing before that I didn't want to do now. I didn't have to change them. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Are you listening to me? But somewhere or another, you, your mind goes on thinking like it did. Amen. 
But that's the, one of the first things that God asks you to do is change your thinking. And most folks don't, even though they're spiritually born again, even though they're filled with the Holy Ghost, they keep thinking negatively. Because you see, they're, they're prone to think negatively. Everything in life almost. Coming out here to school sometimes, you're driving behind folks, you see the light's green, they'll start slowing down a half a block away because they're sure it's going to turn red. They just, you know, everything's going against them. <laughs> All these things are against me. <laughs> Amen. I mean, perfectly good people. No friend of mine, bless his heart, just, just, he's the only boy of the family. God just blessed him financially. Now his mother, he brought up in Pentecostal home. Mother and dad say, baptized the Holy Ghost. In fact, he's never gone to any other church in his life except the full gospel church. Brought up in it, born, you see. Daddy a Bible teacher, full gospel church. And his daddy a businessman and fairly successful, you know, made a good living and comfortable. But the boy now, I guess, you know, inherited some traits from his daddy, went into business and just outstripped his daddy. I mean, I mean where maybe his daddy's worth uh, uh, 50 million, he's worth 150 million. Well, he'll just maybe be around them. He'll just praise God. Well, glory to God. The Lord's blessing me, you know, and we're going to, you know, going to do something else. Make another 50 million. You know, and his mama particularly say, well, your days are coming. <laughs> so what do you mean about my day? Well, you'll probably lose it all. You say, somebody say, baptized, Holy Ghost, talk like that? Well, how do you talk? <laughs> Or used to talk, some of you. <laughs> uh, you see, if you're not thinking after God's thinking and change your thinking, you're going to keep right on thinking negatively. Things can be going good for you and the blessings of God are yours and the thought of courtesy. Boy, this is just too good to be true. It, it can't last. Those thoughts ever occurred to you? Sure. Sure. See, if the devil can ever get you back over on the negative side, he can whip you. Absolutely defeat you and rob you of the blessings of God. Amen. I remember when I as a young Baptist boy preacher was baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues. And you see, I, I, uh, that, that's the thing that brought me over, you know, among Pentecostal, full gospel people was that I uh, had been healed. And I believed in divine healing. And I'd just been standing alone for about uh, four years. Well, I mean, you just, you just stand alone, you know. I mean, nobody else. I knew I believed divine healing except me. That's not always the easiest thing in the world to do. And so, you know, when these full gospel people came along, you know, preaching divine healing, man, I just went to meet them with, with open arms, you know, just like this kinfolks. Man, to be around somebody believing divine healing was a, real, was a real boost, a real spiritual boon to me, see? Well, now, they, they, they preach something else. They also preach, you know, uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. And as I've said before many times, I just simply said, well, I'll... You know, I, I believe in the Holy Ghost all right, but I don't believe in tongues. And I'll just put up with a little fanaticism to have a little fellowship around faith and healing. But eventually I saw the truth. 
So on April the 8th, 1937, at eight minutes past 6 p.m. in the living room of the Full Gospel Postage, 309 North Chestnut Street, city of McKinney, Texas, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues. Spoke in tongues an hour and a half. Went down the street talking in tongues. I don't mean out loud, talking in tongues to myself. To church at, at 7.45. And, and, you know, here I am. You know, you know how it is. You're baptized the Holy Ghost just sort of like you're up on cloud nine, you know. You're, just, you're walking on the clouds, you know. And, you know, boy, you just, you know, you got to somebody said, like I said, that silly grin, you know. <laughs> and uh, you're just so happy and so, so thrilled and full of ecstasy. You know, the first thing the same bunch told me was said it won't last. That's right. Yes, it won't last. Well, you'll come back down to earth. See, this is April, so last April the 8th was 44 years. Now, I ain't never come back down yet. <laughs> I'm still walking on the clouds. Glory to God. I don't know what they're talking about. I never have figured out what they're talking about. Oh, I do. I really know. You see, they didn't walk on in the spirit. They got back down here in the natural start and operate. And the devil took advantage of them, and blooded their nose and beat their eyes black. And they said, oh, dear Lord. They got the wrong picture of God then. See, they didn't change their thinking and get off of the negative and onto the positive. Well, this is wonderful, all right. Praise God what's happened to you, but something bad's coming, boy. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. You better get ready for it. It's coming. They're always looking for something bad. I was always the other way around. I was always looking for something good. Hallelujah. I remember a number of years ago, you remember, of course, we all knew it, and a lot of us had said it, but now, remember Brother Oral Roberts sort of popularized the statement, God's a good God. Remember that? You know, years ago, you know, he, God's a good God. He preached a sermon on God's a good God. And, and you know, and put out a little old plaque and, and popularized that statement, God's a good God. I was preaching a full gospel church, full gospel pastor. And I don't mean just one of them said it now. I mean about three out of four. Because I was in those days going from church to church holding what we call church meetings, you know. And, and I had pastor this and I'm thinking of right now, you know, he said, eh, I wish he wouldn't say that. Well, I said, why? Well, I said, it's not so. I said, you mean God's not good? Well, yeah, but said that's going to leave the wrong impression with people. Well, I said, do you mean he's a mean God? Should, should he say God's a mean God? Well, he said, I'll tell you one thing, boy, if you don't rule right, he'll get you. Now, see, his idea of God was, you know, he's some kind of a austere judge that's sitting up there with a big gavel in his hand, you see. And the minute you do wrong, he's going to cock you on the head. I heard a fellow preaching full gospel right here in, in the state of Oklahoma. Number of years, good fellow, don't misunderstand me, saved, baptized the Holy Ghost, but that don't mean his thinking's right. See, that's where we miss it a lot of time. Folks said, well, now they're saved and got the Holy Ghost. Well, did you ever stop to think about you? Go back to the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles were saved, baptized the Holy Ghost, and they still didn't think that the Gentiles could be saved. They had been saved, now listen to me, 
the apostles and, and the early church had been saved and baptized with the Holy Ghost for 10 long years. They'd been speaking in tongues for 10 long years. You go back and examine. See, Acts 2, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2, and in the 10th chapter, when the Holy Ghost fell on the Gentiles there when Peter preached to them, is 10 years between the two chapters. 10 years. For 10 solid years, they were saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, and still didn't think, didn't know, and didn't think that anybody could be saved except Jews. And it was strictly a Jewish church. Are you listening? And you remember how Peter went out on the housetop to pray, an angel already visited Cornelius, and Peter went on the housetop to pray and fell into a trance. Actually, the Greek says he fell over bodily. Another way of saying that was he just simply fell under the power of God. And while he's laying there, up on the housetop under the power of God, he had a vision. He saw this great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, you know, and on this sheet all kinds of beasts, both clean and unclean. You remember under the Old Testament, Israel, there's certain animals that was unclean to them. They were not to eat, and certain ones were clean they could eat, see. And here's these unclean animals on that sheet, as well as clean animals. And there's a voice from heaven said, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. Not so, Lord. Oh, no, nothing common or unclean's ever entered my mouth. And the voice of heaven said, Don't you call common unclean that which I've cleansed. And that happened three times. And then when it's all over, you go on reading about it. After the third time, the sheet was taken up into heaven and all disappeared. And there's Peter still up there on the housetop and said he doubted in himself. Read that for yourself in that 10th chapter. Said he doubted. Or you could say, I think, in other words, sort of debated in himself about what this meant. What, what, what does this mean? See, it's hard to get that straightened out with your thinking because he's still thinking, well, no, you know, no, the Gentiles couldn't be saved. I mean, uh, and so the scripture said that these men, three of them had come from Cornelius' household. They was out there at the outer gate, see, because this angel had said, you know, to send to Joppa and inquire in the house of one Simon the Tanner for Simon Peter. So they was inquiring for Simon Peter. He's up on the housetop. Now he can't see them because the houses were built with a banister around it. And besides that, he fell under the power anyway. And so he's out from under the power, but he evidently is still there on the floor, we'd say, so to speak. And so it said, the, the, the Spirit said to him. There in the 10th chapter, I said, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost said to him. There are three men seeking you. Go with them, doubting nothing. So he just followed the Spirit, you see, and went with them. But you see, I'm sure, you see, these three fellows told him, you know, now Cornelius has sent us. And there was an angel appeared to him and told him to send here. And, and I imagine that Peter began to get his eyes open. He said, uh-oh, boy, I'm going to get in trouble with these Jews. Because he's one of them he ought to know. I go down there and preach to the Gentiles, I'm going to get in trouble. They'll call me on the carpet just as sure as the world. won't take my papers away from me for preaching to the Gentiles. Yeah, and they did, sure enough. I mean, they did. They called him on the carpet. They, you know, so he took some six brethren of the circumcision. That is, see, these were Jews. They'd been circumcised, but now then they were believers, you see, and been born again, filled with the Holy Took him with him, you see, as witnesses. And so when they got down there at Cornelius' household, you know the story, that Cornelius told them how that he had seen this angel in his house and had told him, you know, to send there for, and the 14th verse of the 11th chapter of Acts said that this 
angel told him, send, you know, to Joppa and inquire in the house of Simon the Tanner for one Simon Peter, who, when he is come, when Peter's come, he'll tell thee words whereby thy and thy house shall be saved. And in rehearsing that matter before the brethren up at Jerusalem, he said, while I yet spake in them, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us in the beginning. And he had those brethren as witness, for we heard them, we heard them, we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Well, now the point I wanted to make was, you see, it took this supernatural experience to change Peter's thinking. We've got the Bible to help us change our thinking. And we should think in line with God's word. Are you listening to me? So now just because you're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost or even in the ministry or just because miracles happen, because didn't miracles happen under Peter? Ministry? I mean, didn't his ministry shadow fall upon there at Jerusalem? Folks were healed. They just brought him out and laid him out on the street, didn't they? You see, just because miracles are happening, people getting healed don't mean your thinking's right on everything, does it? You see, if God had to wait till we all got perfect in our thinking and every part of our being before he could use us, he wouldn't be able to use anybody but me. Because <laughs> I'm the only perfect one I know of. You know I'm just a joking, don't you? You see what I mean? You got the point though, didn't you? You see? Well, no, he'll go ahead and use people. Praise God at the level where they are. But you see, uh, we need to change our thinking. And, and that's true over here in this area of healing. The Word of God will help us to change our thinking. So this minister, back to him, I was talking about several of them, but this one I'm thinking about right now, he didn't like it because Brother O. Roberts, you know, said God just popularized that statement, God's a good God. He'd just keep talking about God's a good God. Well, now I want to ask you, isn't that what the Scripture the psalmist is saying here in the 145th Psalm, the 8th and 9th verse, when he said here, the Lord, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to a few, but he hates the rest of them. You got your Bible still open, 145th Psalm, 8th and 9th verses? Do you wear your shouting clothes today? Amen. Man, if you can't shout over these verses, you haven't got any business shouting about anything. If these verses don't build a shout in your spirit, there's something wrong with your spirit. Amen. The Lord is good, good. Well, when Brother Robert said God's a good God, didn't that say the same thing? The Lord's good? The Lord's good? To how many? All. How many? All. How many? All. All? Oh, you must have meant he's just good to them that's good to him. A fellow called in the other day. I used, I'd known him years gone by. Poor fellow missed God. I knew when he missed God, I tried to help him, he wouldn't listen. But he called now after these many years to apologize to him and ask me to forgive him. I said, well, I never did have anything against you anyway. I said, sure, I'll forgive you. You know, and he just sort of blurted out, you mean you will? I said, certainly, I never have had any ill will towards you at all. <laughs> you mean you'll forgive me? I said, certainly. 
Not only will I forgive you, but God will. If I can forgive you, God can, because he's bigger and greater and better than I am. You mean, he said, again, just blurted it out. You, 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 you mean you'll forgive me? I said, not only will I do. I just can't believe that, he said. Well, now, isn't that strange? Well, I finally talked to him till I convinced him that I'd forgiven him. He began to cry and thank me. And I knew without him ever telling me, see where his problem is, now the devil's a hound him. He said, now you can't get back to God because you see, you missed it now. And now he's trying to get back to God, you see. And I said, uh, well, if I can forgive you, isn't God bigger than me? Doesn't he have more love? In fact, that's what, what love I have. That's where I got it was from him. And that didn't exhaust his love. He loves you and he'll forgive you too. And you know, the fellow with tears almost said, you, you know he will, won't he? I thought he is against me. Now here's a man that one time was in the ministry. You'd think he'd know enough about the Bible to know that the Lord's full of mercy and compassion will forgive him. And he seemed like it came as a surprise. He said, you know he will, won't he? I said, sure. And I got him all built up, you see. But then, then the devil got a hold of him again. He called back again. I've got to call him again. I know exactly before, before I ever talk to him, know exactly where his problem is. Know exactly where it is. Because, see, we are not ignorant, Paul said, concerning his, Satan's devices. We're not. I know exactly where his problem is. The devil's talked him out of that. said, yeah, but look what all you've done. And he's done some things wrong, but not all that bad. He didn't rob any banks or kill anybody. But even if he had done that, God forgive me if he had turned back wholeheartedly to him. Are you listening to me? But you see, people get the wrong picture of God. A lot of time because they're not listening to the Bible. But when I read this, the Lord is good to how many? All. Praise God, that includes that poor fella. Yeah, but Brother Egan, he said, you know, I, 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 now I didn't mean to. This fella said, I didn't mean to do it. On the inside of me, I really didn't want to. But I just walked away from God. As I look back now, I, I, I know I didn't want to. I just listened to the flesh and the devil. Well, I said, the prodigal son, praise God, what do you think that's in the Bible for? Just to fill up pages or fill up, you know, sort of maybe hold the rest of it together? The prodigal son, after all, he preaches a type of sinner, but really he's also a type of the backslider because he was already in father's house. He was a son, wasn't he? I said, wasn't he? And he got up and left. It doesn't even say that he was tempted to leave, just deliberately got up and left. Seems to me like, I mean, the way Jesus tells the story, doesn't he? Left went out into riotous living. But thank God the father welcomed him back home, didn't he? Now see, here's a fellow that's been in the ministry. He knows the story of the prodigal sons in there. Why don't he look at that and rejoice? Say, thank God, thank God he's welcomed me back home. No, he wants to listen to the devil and think negatively and get a hold of some isolated scripture somewhere. Now God's angry with the sinner every day. Yeah, God's anger, he's mad at me. Well, I read right here where he's slow to anger. 
and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. He was good to that prodigal son, wasn't he? Isn't the father there a type of God? And didn't he welcome him back home? Hallelujah. Fell on his neck, blessed him, praised God, said, kill the fatted calf. Let's make a feast. My son that was lost is found. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Can you say amen? amen. The Lord is good. And, and so uh, let's preach. Not only that one, but several. I know they talked to me. I said, I wish he wouldn't say that. I wish Brother Roberts wouldn't say that. God's a good God. I said, why? I said, leaves the wrong impression. What do you mean it leaves the wrong impression? I said, is he a bad God? Is he an evil God? Or is he a good? Well, he's good, all right. But now, I'll tell you right now, though, that just makes it too easy for people to get to God. Yeah, I had him to tell me that. Now, see, their idea of God was entirely different than what the Bible talks about him. When you really get acquainted with your father, you know, a lot of people, they, they're born again, they know Jesus, but they just never have really gotten acquainted with their father yet. When they really get acquainted with him, find out who he is and what kind of God he is, you know, they'll just fall in love with him. I remember I was teaching a Bible lesson down in East Texas several years ago along this line about getting acquainted with the Father. And I remember a lady came to me after about three sessions of teaching along that line, and she was just weeping, you know. She said, Brother Hagin, oh, I said, you don't know what you've done for him. I said, no, I didn't do it. The Word of God did it. Oh, she said, you know, I, I've been saved. She told me how many years. Baptized the Holy Ghost, speaking in another tongue, member of full gospel church, a number of years. And I love Jesus. I knew he saved me. But said, you know, I, I didn't know the Father. I mean, you know, said, I sort of afraid of him. <laughs> I sort of afraid of him. I love Jesus, but I sort of afraid of him, afraid of the Father. And I, you know, he's way off out yonder somewhere, untouchable. But said, since you've been talking about getting acquainted with the Father, said, I've gotten so acquainted with him, said, I've just been about to love him to death. <laughs> you know what she meant by the expression. Oh, he means so much to me, so real to me. God is good. Thank God he is. Say it out loud. The Lord is good to all. Hallelujah. Now, if some of these folks that are struggling about whether the Lord forgive me or whether the Lord heal me, maybe I'm one of them that is not his will. If they'd forget all that junk they've heard and come to the Bible and say it to themselves, the Lord is good to all. Thank God I'm in the all. Hallelujah. He didn't just say, the Lord is good to them that's good to him. Did you notice that he didn't even say, the Lord is good to them that love him? Did you notice that? He didn't say, the Lord is good only to them that do good. He said, the Lord's good to how many? Put yourself in that all. Hallelujah. That includes me, doesn't it? I don't care where I am. I don't care who I am. The Lord is good to all. Hallelujah. fellow wrote me a letter from death row, one of our penitentiaries. 
and he had spent about, uh, well, he's a man somewhere in his 50s. And he had spent, I don't know, years and years in crime. I don't know how many different people he killed. Finally, on this last one, they, they got the, the death sentence hasn't been carried out yet. Be doubtful they ever will. And actually, he escaped. He wrote me and thanked me for my books that fell into his hands. And they were after him. They considered him very dangerous because he was a very dangerous criminal. And he's away for several days. And then he was uh, somewhere or another, you know, he'd robbed a farmhouse somewhere and got some more clothes out of his prison clothes and stole the car. And he stopped at a little old store out in the country somewhere, you know, sold some gas and stuff to gas up the car. They didn't recognize him, but deputy sheriff came along and did recognize him. Ordinarily, like he said, he would, he would just, rather than go back to prison, he'd just... Just shot it out with the man. He had his gun all right. But he said something came over me and it was because of some books that he had read. You see, he wasn't a Christian. He said, I just threw my gun down, wrote me a several page letter. He said, I know people think I'm a terrible criminal. I got an awful record. And I have done just what they said. I've, you know, I've killed people, murdered people. But he said, I said, I just threw my gun down. Something came all over me. I know it's because people were praying. We had prayed for him right here on our prayer list because somebody turned his name in. And he said, something just came over me in that store. And I just threw my gun down and said, I've tried everything. I told the deputy, come on. I've tried everything. I've done everything the devil said to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try God. Amen. If there is a God, and I believe there is a God, and so he said, I got back then, you know, back to the penitentiary. And some of them there was reading some of your books. They put their head and said, I want you to know I found him. I found him. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the man I was. He is good to all, even a criminal. Even a man on death row. Even a man that's murdered several people. Even a man that placed bombs in law enforcement officers' cars that and the judge's car that blowed up and killed some of them. A man that thought evil, thought to do evil continually. A man that stole and robbed and just, you know, everything. He's good. Oh, thank God I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad I'm saved. I wish that I got a hold of something like this before. Well, he might not have been ready for it, but I wish that I got a hold of some of these books before. I wish somebody had told me about Jesus before. But see, the crowd he has run with didn't know anything about Jesus. How did they tell him about Jesus? They don't know about him. And nobody else went to tell him. Amen. But think about God. Think about his goodness. Here, here he is writing me a seven or eight page letter. I mean, handwritten. Rejoicing that God, oh, how good is God. How great is God to come down there in the penitentiary on death row, a man that they know they proved he's killed at least three people, murdered them, cold blood. And they suspect him of killing a number more. But God was good to him, wasn't he? That's my father. <laughs> that's my father. Oh, that's my father. Hallelujah to Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. He's good. 
to all. Now, you know, it's easy to believe that God would be good to somebody that had done good and been good. But the natural mind would just shrink to think about God is good to those as mean as the devil. <laughs> Yet he is. I said he is. Thank God he is. The Lord is good to all. Now notice. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Let me reemphasize what Brother Bosworth said. He said, God is nothing so much as love. Now think like that. I'd say to this man that called me on the phone one time, was in the ministry in years gone by. Instead of thinking on all those negative scriptures and finding everything that you can against yourself, remember the devil will bring scripture sometimes. Because remember in Jesus' temptation, the Bible said that Satan took him there, set him on the pinnacle temple and said, cast yourself down for it's written. Satan's quoting a little scripture and it? it's written to give his angel charge over you lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus had to say it's also written, didn't he? I said, didn't he? I said to this man, instead of thinking on some of these negative scriptures, something the devil drug, drug up, why don't you think on something like this scripture here in 145th Psalm? The Lord's good to all, so thank God he's good to me. I just accept his goodness. I, it says right here he's good to all. And my heart's turned toward God. You see, his heart is. He's seeking God. That, that's quite obvious, isn't it? I mean, for him even to call me was something. And ask me to forgive him, you know. If you know the fellow, you know that's, not, that's out of character for him. But for him to call, otherwise he'd probably been off cursing me. But here is a calling and a crying. Right on the phone, I want you to forgive me. I've called these other people that he knew for. He had something to do with in ministry in days gone by. I've asked them to forgive me. Well, you can readily see that his heart is indicting a good matter, isn't it? Hallelujah. Praise God. He needs to begin, to, he needs to change his thinking. He needs to begin to think on, on God is love. God is good. God is good to all. God is full of compassion. Hallelujah. When the devil brings some scripture, you know, it's amazing what the devil can do with scriptures even. Amen. When he brings some of those scriptures, he ought to say, yeah, that's in there, but it's also written, and I believe it. Hallelujah, that God's good to all. I'm going to accept his goodness. Hallelujah, I'm going to accept his goodness. Now, I said all that to you because that'll help us spiritually, and that'll help us mentally, but now the same thing is true when it comes to healing and health. Change your thinking. Think in line with God's word. Hallelujah to Jesus. Now, the text begins with the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Full of it. And these sentiments, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. These sentiments concerning the nature of God are expressed over and over again throughout the scriptures. So God, like Mr. Bosworth said, is not anything so much as he is love. Now, in conclusion, I want you to look at some scripture here for just a moment in the New Testament. There are several of them in there, but I want you to look 
at some scripture that will help you to see the goodness of God, you turn to the very first chapter of Mark's gospel that will help you not only to see the goodness of God in connection with healing, but the mercy of God, the mercy of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord. I want you to begin to believe in His goodness. I want you to begin to believe in His mercy. I want you to begin to believe in His compassion. And I want you to see from the Scriptures that His mercy and that His compassion is not only in the area of forgiving sins. Now, I think everybody believes that. and have, They have no trouble accepting that. But that His mercy and compassion is in the area of physical healing. All right, now let's look. Mark, first chapter, the 40th through the 45th verse. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Or that means whole or healed. Now notice. And Jesus... I'm reading the King James translation. Have you got your Bibles open, whatever? Jesus, what's the next word? Moved. Moved with, what's the next word? Compassion. Compassion. Remember the text said he's full of it? You know, whatever you're full of, that's what you'll be moved by. Isn't that right? Whatever you're full of, that's what's going to come out. Notice, here's what I want you to see, is the compassion that he's full of is not only in the area of forgiveness of sins and the remission of sin, but it's also expressed in healing. It has to do with healing also. Jesus moved with compassion put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thy clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Now you can go on reading here and you'll find that the scripture said they came to him, to Jesus, from every quarter to be healed, you see. I want you to notice that here it was compassion that moved Christ to heal this leper. What moved him? Compassion. Compassion. Oh, hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Turn to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Let's notice the uh, 13th and 14th verses of the 14th chapter of Matthew. Talking about Jesus, it said, He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude... And was, what's the next word? Moved. Moved with compassion toward them. And what? 
healed their sick. What moved him to heal their sick? His compassion. Is he any less compassionate now than he was then? Notice in these two scriptures, here he is moved with compassion to heal one. But notice here, he's moved with compassion to heal the several, the multitude. The multitudes followed him, he said. Now notice, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. What moved him to heal their sick? His compassion. His compassion. You see, here is elsewhere, he was plenteous in mercy. You know, the text over there said he is plenteous in mercy. Plenteous in mercy. Hallelujah. And it was his compassion that moved him to heal all that had need of healing. Glory to God. When you come for healing, come asking for his mercy. I used to, years ago in church meetings, and when I'd have healing meetings, I'd have them to sing the song, Just As I Am, during my healing meeting. Well, I invite folks to come. We sing it for sinners to come to be saved, just as I am without one. Doing anything else as far as that's concerned. I come, I come. Hallelujah. Just as I am and waiting not. Cleanse my soul of one dark blood. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And I used to say to the people now, forget about everything else except Him and His mercy. Don't come on your own merits to get healing. I've seen people come brag on themselves, Lord. Actually, while I was praying, I heard them say, Lord, you know I'm the best Christian in this church. Lord, I do more good works than all the rest of the people put together. I noticed they didn't get healed. Well, thank God for good works. I believe in that. Thank God for right conduct. God will reward you for that. But friends, you can't put healing on that basis. So I used to sing, have them to sing. While we're having healing service, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Hallelujah. In other words, what I want them to do is trust his mercy. Have faith in his mercy. For he is a merciful God. He is full of compassion. Move with compassion. Thank you, Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus, we'll look at it later, cried out, Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, and heal me. And Jesus had compassion on him and healed him. Here he had compassion. Oh, hallelujah. Say it out loud. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is gracious. And full, of compassion. and full of compassion. The Lord is good to all. You know, when I think about him being good, we all know that he's good to forgive sins. Thank God that we thank him for that every day, don't we? For thou art good. And again and again, it says in the scriptures more than once, for the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. His mercy endures how long? Forever. And, and we, we, we say, thank you, Lord. You're so good to save me. You're so good to forgive me. You're so good to cleanse me. But every time I think about that, the Lord is good, I think of Acts 10, 38. 
how God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing bad. No, doing good. 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 And healing. All those that were oppressed of the devil. Notice how his good, doing good, is mentioned in connection with healing. Healing's good. That's the reason God's a healer. Because he's good God. Jehovah Rapha. He revealed himself to Israel by one of the covenant names was Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord thy physician. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Was that his compassion and his mercy and his goodness revealed in that? Yes. Amen. <coughs> Hallelujah. I got a little thing over there in my office. I saw it in another preacher's office and he gave it to me. It's a picture of a, of a monkey. And he said, I was rich and I was poor. Rich is better. Thought, well, if that monkey knew that, surely anybody would know that. But I paraphrase it like this. I was sick. And I was well. Well is better. Uh, hallelujah. 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 He went about doing good. Doing good. Jesus went about doing good. Was he doing good when he had compassion, move with compassion, heal that leper? Was, was that doing good? Yes. Was this doing good when it said he saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick? Is that doing good? Thank God it is. Hallelujah. You know, he wants to do good for you if you're sick and heal you. Start believing that. You know, it's hard for some folks to believe the Bible because they've been taught tradition. They've been taught what I call sometimes churchanity instead of Christianity. They call it Christianity, but it's churchanity. I've had people, even when you teach the Bible, say, well, now my church don't teach it that way. Well, you don't want to be discourteous, but you almost want to say, well, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in what your church teaches. I'm interested in what the Bible says. See, some folks are not following either Jesus or the Bible. They're following church teaching. Well, if it's good, that's fine. But if it's not right, you shouldn't follow church teaching. Are you listening? No, follow the word. Follow the word. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord's good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is full of compassion. He is plenteous in mercy. For the Lord is good. And His mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and thank him for his goodness and his mercy. Oh, hallelujah. Think about, 
Think about healing now. Think about being well. Think about having a whole body. Oh, thank him for his compassion towards you. Yes, yes, yes. You won't question his will anymore. You'll know his willingness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, glory to God. I just like that so well. Let's just camp there a while. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And his mercy endure forever. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Notice how healing and, and doing good is joined hand in hand. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Let's just camp here a while. You want to think on something, think on that. Amen. Yeah, but now, Brother Hagin, see, some folks jump right back on that negative side. But now, now, what about that scripture over there in Hebrews, though, in the 12th chapter, where it said, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Well, what about it? Well, yeah, but you know, the Lord makes us sick sometimes just to teach us, you know. Now, that scripture didn't say, we covered that in another Bible lesson here. That scripture doesn't say, Whom the Lord loveth, he maketh sick. Now go on reading there in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And he goes on and speaks about the fact that we had earthly parents. Notice the term that he uses there in that verse, which corrected us. That don't mean those earthly parents, you know, if we didn't do right, knocked our eye out, punctured a lung, or broke her leg. I mean, they would have arrested them for being cruel. And they ought to be. But they corrected us. You see, the Greek word translated chasten there means child trains. It means educate. We send the children to school to be trained, to be educated, but we don't tell the teacher. Now, if they don't do right, why well, knock them in the head? Break their nose or their arm or cut off their fingers? No. And that's not what that means. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. How does he correct us? Through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Hallelujah. Trains us. He's given us that Word. Hallelujah. You see? And I ain't got a thing in the world to do with what I'm talking about. But you see, some people's mind, they jump right back over that because, see, the devil wants to steal truth from them. You know, and almost immediately you go talking like this. The devil will say, yeah, but now, wait a minute, brother. Hey, wait a minute. said, you forgot about Job. God made poor old Job sick, you know. No, he didn't. I said, no, he didn't. Read that again. The devil did. Yeah, but now God gave him permission. I know it. And if you listen to the devil, God's already given the devil permission to get you to rob a filling station on the way home this afternoon. And if you listen to him, you may wind up doing it. But thank God you don't have to listen to him. Are you listening to me? No, you see, all that negative thinking is what's defeated us. Now think like this. God wants me well. Hallelujah. God's a good God. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights 
with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, I know sickness and disease couldn't come from God because there's not any up there in heaven and it don't come down from above. So it didn't come from God then. I'm not going to accept it. Think like this, God wants me well. God in his mercy and compassion. Think like that. Believe like that. Talk like that. And it'll amaze you how your body will straighten out. I've been acquainted with sickness and disease and all these years. was sick myself for many, many years. I'll tell you the truth about the matter. Sickness never brought the best out of anybody. It always brings the worst out of them. You hear Christian people say sometimes, you know, well, maybe the Lord put this on me to deepen my piety. I notice their piety never gets deepened. You ready? Amen. You say, ready, brother. They can ready for what? Are you ready to start thinking right and believing right? Thinking in line with God's word? Believing in line with God's word? Have you got your Bible open there to that 145th Psalm? Let's look at it one more time before we go. And just recite it together. The 145th Psalm. I believe he's the same God now that he was then. I don't believe he's changed. I don't believe there's even a shadow of turning with him. Do you? Hallelujah. All right, let's look at that eighth and ninth verses. And you read it out loud with me. I'm reading in the King James translation. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Hallelujah. 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 That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3. Let's read the 145th Psalm. Notice the 8th and 9th verses, which is our text. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and uh, of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Now, we brought out the fact yesterday that in the Scriptures, compassion and mercy mean the same thing. In fact, the Hebrew noun that's translated mercy is also translated compassion all through the Old Testament. And then the Greek verb that's translated have mercy in the New Testament is also all through the New Testament translated have compassion. And then the Greek adjective that's defined merciful is also defined compassionate. And so, to have compassion is to love tenderly, to pity 
to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. And the Bible said the Lord is full of compassion. Now, uh, we, we think of mercy uh, because that's where it's been preached primarily and compassion in, in connection with forgiveness of sins or, or mercy, God's mercy toward the sinner. But I call your attention to the fact, and we'll look at some more scriptures today, and we looked at some yesterday in the New Testament, a, a number of times in seeking healing, people ask for mercy. Remember blind Bartimaeus, for instance, Jesus, uh, he, he cried out and said, Have mercy on me, Jesus, thou son of David. Have mercy on me. Well, the King James translation said Jesus had compassion on Now, it's the same Greek word. Actually, literally, Jesus had mercy on him. He, he asked for mercy. Mercy is what he got. Now, notice here is the mercy of healing. Now, we know a lot about the mercy of forgiveness, but we do, do we know anything about the mercy of healing? Is healing a mercy? The Bible said so. Thank God he's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Bonsworth said in his lesson, on the Lord's compassion, I'm going to quote him. He said, The most conspicuous statements in the scriptures about our Heavenly Father are the declaration concerning His love, His mercy, and His compassion. And then Brother Bosworth went on to say, There is no note that can be sounded concerning God's character that will so inspire faith as this one. He went on to say that in the revivals that he held, Brother F.F. F. Bosworth, he's going to be with the Lord now. Uh, when he's 80 some odd years of age, he went home without sickness and without disease. He just said, the Lord said, it's time for me to go home, goodbye, and took off. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And he said, in our revivals, we have seen faith rise mountain high when the truth of God's present love and compassion began to dawn upon the minds and the hearts of the people. He went on to say, it's not what God can do, but what we know that he yearns to do that builds faith. I like that. It's not what God can do that won't build faith. See, a lot of people know God can do anything, but they question whether or not he'll do it for me. See, that doesn't build faith. It's not what God can do, but it's what he yearns to do. Hallelujah. To tell you the real truth about it, he wants to heal you worse and more than you want to get healed. Well, somebody said, why don't he heal me then? Well, if you'll make it possible for him to do it, he will. You see, he wants the sinner to be saved more so than the sinner wants to be saved, doesn't he? He yearns to save. He yearns to extend his mercy. Well, why don't he just go ahead and save the sinner then if he wants to? Well, the sinner has to make it possible. See, God can't violate the moral government of his universe. If he did, he'd make himself out a liar and be no better than the devil. Are you listening to me? We need to understand that. See, some people think, well, now, if God wants to do it, he's just going to do it anyhow. No, he isn't. I said, no, he isn't. How are you going to make it possible for him to do what he yearns to do by beginning to believe it? Hallelujah. By beginning to believe it, by accepting it. If that truth ever dawns upon you, it, it'll change you. Hallelujah. 
Brother Bosworth went on to say, By showing his compassion everywhere in healing the sick, Jesus unveiled the compassionate heart of God to the people, and the multitudes came to him for help. Do you remember what Jesus said in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel when I read that statement by the Bosworth said he didn't give any scripture, but I remembered something Jesus said. Remember in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel uh, when one of the disciples said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us, you see. Jesus said, have I been so long with you and has thou not seen me? He said, he that's seen me has seen the Father. In other words, you see, Jesus, in his compassion, was unveiling the compassionate heart of God to the people. How? By healing the sick. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus went on to say that I, in so many words, then that 14th chapter of John's Gospel, that I don't do the works. He said, my Father in me, he doeth the works. In other words, what he's saying is, if you want to see God at work, just, just look at me. Hallelujah. He went on to say, the words that I speak unto you, they're not my own, they're my Father's. The works that he did wasn't his, it was his Father at work. The words that he spoken wasn't his, it was his Father's words. I came not, he said, to do my own will, mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So what Jesus did in unveiling the mercy and the compassion of the Father God in healing the sick was a revelation of the will of God. Hallelujah. Can you see that? I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Then Brother Bosworth went on to say, and I thought it was so good, I wanted to read it to you. He said, how insidiously has Satan worked to hide this glorious fact from the people? That is, the fact or the revelation concerning the Lord's compassion. He went on to say, he, Satan, has broadcast the unscriptural, illogical, and worn-out statement that the age of miracles is past until he has almost succeeded in eclipsing the compassion of God from the eyes of the world. Because, you see, to say that the age of miracles, you know, and healing is past is to say that God's compassion has passed. If Jesus is the will of the Father, and he said he was, if what Jesus did was the will of God, if he that has seen Jesus at work has seen God at work, then when it said he had compassion on them, and it says it again and again, and healed them, then that's an unveiling of God's compassion. Well, has his compassion been done away with? No, thank God, no, a thousand times no. And for me to say that healing is not for us today is to say that God's compassion is not for us today then. Well, no one, if they really knew what they were saying, would dare say it, but Satan's tricked people into believing lies instead of the Bible, and it's robbed people of the blessings of God. Then Brother Bosworth went on to say, make another very outstanding statement. He said, modern theology magnifies the power of God more than it magnifies his compassion. And did you ever notice that? It's so, so many times. They magnify his power more than it does the great fact that the exceeding greatness of his power is to usward. He went on to say, but the Bible reverses this 
and magnifies his willingness to use his power more than it does the power itself. Brother Bosworth went on to say, in no place does the Bible say that God is power. But the Bible does say God is love. Hallelujah. You see, the Bible magnifies his love. The Bible magnifies his compassion. The Bible magnifies his mercy. The Bible magnifies not his power, but his willingness to heal. We need to see that. Now, Brother Bosworth went on to say it is so important. He said, it is not, listen, listen carefully, and you'll see where folks miss it so many times. Why? They really shut the door on his compassion and shut the door on God. You know, uh, like I said, people will sometimes magnify the sovereignty of God. Thank God he is a sovereign being. But they say, well, now God's sovereign, God's great, God can do anything he wants to do. If he wants to do it, he'll do it. Well, now that sounds good and it sounds very religious, but right on the other hand, when you get into the Bible, you see statements like this, even Jesus, and like I said, Jesus is God, manifested the flesh. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why don't he just knock the door down and come on in if that's what he wants to do? He didn't say, behold, I knock the door down and come on in. He said, I stand at the door and knock. Now, if you'll make it possible for me to do so, I'll come in and sup with you. Hallelujah. Did he say so? I stare at the door and knock. Whosoever will or whosoever will open the door, hallelujah, hallelujah, then he'll come in. He's not an intruder. He's not an outlaw. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. So that's what I mean by making it possible for God to do for you what he wants to do in his word. You know, I've talked to people uh, like, for instance, in seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and, and said the same thing to him about healing. Uh, that had been seeking for years, years, years. I don't mean just four or five years, 15, 20, 25 years. Love the Lord. Why didn't God just go ahead and baptize them with the Holy Ghost anyway? And I've said to them, you see, to stimulate their faith, to get them to believing right, because their believing was wrong, that's quite obvious, or they would receive by now. I said, God wants to baptize you with the Holy Ghost more than you want it. They looked at you in disbelief. They couldn't believe that. I said, God's more willing to, give, to fill you with the Holy Ghost than you're willing to be filled. Just like he's more willing to save the sinner than the sinner is willing to be saved. He's willing all the time. He's been willing to save the sinner before the foundation of the world. Because in the Bible, we read that the Bible said Christ was as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. You see? The problem is not getting God willing, but to get the sinner willing. I pointed that out. And I said, you see, the Holy Ghost and healing likewise are gifts, just like the new birth's a gift. And God's already made the provision. He's bound to be willing for you to have it. He's already made the provision for it. And he wants you baptized with the Holy Ghost more than you want to be baptized. He yearns to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He yearns to heal you more than you desire to be healed. Now, I've had this happen. Those very same people that had been seeking to baptize the Holy Ghost for a year, 25 years, 30 years, 
as I talk to them, as they begin to see the willingness of God, the mercy of God, and that that's exactly what he wants to do. Without any further seeking, while I'm still talking, I've had them just lift their hand and start talking in tongues instantly. They accepted his gift. Seen the same thing happen with healing. When you could get them into the position that their minds and their hearts, you see, was filled with the knowledge of God and realize that he wants me well more than I want to be well. And what a desire we have. If we're sick to be well, I know I've been there. But he wants you well more than you want to be well. He yearns. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, it's not faith in God's power that secures his blessing. But it's faith in his love and in his will. Now, you see, you hear people everywhere say, well, I know God's able. See, that's faith in his power. In other words, that means he can do it. But the same people go right on just like they were. Notice the first statement in our text here in Psalm 145, 8. The first statement, the Lord is gracious. Now, that might be a little bit blind to us. I don't know. In other words, he's full of grace. But, but another translation reads, the Lord is disposed to show favors. That means he wants to. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's not wanting to withhold from you. He's disposed to show favors. The Lord is disposed to show favors. That's another way of saying the Lord is gracious. He's full of grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's disposed to show favors. Dwell on that a little while. Man, if that won't set your heart to jump in, I don't know what will. And you know your heart, your spirit, on the inside of you. Glory. Now, you see, this glorious fact that shines with such a brilliancy all through the scriptures has, as Brother Bosworth said, been so eclipsed by modern theology that we hear everywhere the Lord is able instead of hearing the Lord is gracious or the Lord is willing. And that's what we ought to hear. Hundreds, Brother Bosworth said, I'm quoting him now. He said, hundreds needing healing have come or written to us saying concerning their need of deliverance, the Lord is able. The Lord is able. But their teachings, as well as their lack of teaching, has kept them from knowing that the Lord is willing. And that's what we've got to come to know, that he's not only able, but willing. Brother Barnsworth went on to say, how much faith does it take to say the Lord is able? None. None. Are you listening? How much faith, Brother Bosworth said, does it take to say the Lord is able? And I like this statement that he made. He said, the devil knows God's able. And he knows, the devil knows that he's willing. But he's kept the people from knowing the latter fact. He don't care for you knowing he's able. But he don't want you to find out that God's willing. Hallelujah. Now, Brother Bosworth went on to say, Satan is willing 
we shall magnify the Lord's power because he knows that's not enough sufficient basis for faith. But he knows the Lord's compassion and willingness is a sufficient basis for faith. Let's magnify his compassion. Let's magnify his willingness. Now, Brother Bosworth went on to say, before praying for the healing of people, we have to wait to teach them the word of God until they can say, the Lord is gracious or willing, instead of saying, the Lord is able. Brother Bosworth went on to say, this is exactly what Jesus had to do before healing the leper who said, if thou wilt, thou canst. He showed his willingness so that the man could really expect healing. Well, now you know, if you've been in these classes, of course many folks haven't been here, but some of you have, that again and again we've, we have presented many, many, many scriptural proofs of the Lord's present willingness to heal. But even when we advance from saying he's able to saying he is willing, this is not enough. The word willing, as Brother Bosworth put it, is too tame to fully express God's merciful attitude toward us. Now let's look at some scriptures concerning God's merciful attitude toward us. And of course, his merciful attitude toward us reveals his willingness toward us. Look at Micah, the seventh chapter, 18th verse. It says, he delighteth in mercy. Now I want you to hold in mind that mercy does not just have to do with forgiveness of sin. It has to do with healing. You could read that like this. He delighteth in the mercy of forgiveness. He delighteth in the mercy of healing. Remember the 103rd Psalm? Third verse, you know, remember it said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. His benefits. Remember the text said here, The Lord is gracious. The Lord is willing, is disposed to bestow his favors. Well, his favors would be his benefits, wouldn't it? The Lord is disposed to bestow his favors. So the psalmist is saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul, forget not all of his favors or benefits. What are they? Well, here's two of them. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Hallelujah. Isn't that what he said? 103rd Psalm, third verse. Bless the Lord. Oh my, my, my. Uh, you can just stop and have a shouting spell right there. Just have a count meeting on the 103rd Psalm, the third verse. Wouldn't be a better place to camp, would they? <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, he delighteth. What does he, God, delight in? Micah, the seventh chapter, 18. He delighteth in mercy. Now, don't just think about how merciful he is to forgive. Think about how merciful he is to heal. All right. We have his attitude more fully expressed in Second Chronicles, the 16th chapter, and the ninth verse. This is an attitude of God, hallelujah, toward mankind. Notice, Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth 
to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now this text exhibits the fact that our Lord is not only willing but eager to pour his blessings in great profusion upon all those who make it possible for him to do so because he said he's, he's running around looking for somebody. He can I put that in my own words, but that's the essence of it, isn't it? Isn't that right? He's, he's, he's running throughout the whole earth trying to find it. Glory to God. So he can show himself strong on their behalf. I told you he wanted to bless you and help you and heal you more than you wanted to get it yourself. The eyes of the Lord, he said, run to and fro in other words, he's ever hunting for opportunities to gratify his benevolent heart because he delighteth in mercy. Woo, if you can't shout over that, you haven't got any business shouting about anything. <laughs> Benevolence, my dear friends, is the great attribute of God. Therefore, if you want to please him, Remove the obstacles out of the way to the exercise of his benevolence. Brother Bosworth put it like this. He, God, is infinitely good. And he exists forever in a state of entire consecration to pour forth blessing upon his creatures whenever they make it possible, which of course all may do. And I like this illustration by the boss where it said, suppose the vast Pacific Ocean were elevated high above us, talking about the earth. Then conceive of its pressure in every crevice to find an outlet through which it might pour its ocean tides over all the earth, and you have a picture of God's benevolent attitude toward us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Then I want to quote further here because this is so good, I just want to read it verbatim. Brother Bosworth said, after being first properly enlightened, and that's what we're endeavoring to do with these scriptures, I challenge you to place yourself where God's mercy can reach you without his having to violate the glorious principles of his moral government. Then wait and see if you don't experience the most overwhelming demonstration of his love and mercy and the blessing will flow until you've reached the limit of your expectations. Glory, 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 glory. You remember, Cornelius placed himself where God's mercy could reach him by saying to Peter in Acts 10, 33, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And he found God's goodness so great that he could not wait for Peter to finish his sermon. Just as soon as Peter had spoken enough to be a basis for faith, they believed, bless God, and down came the blessing. Amen. That reminds me, you notice what he said there? Look at that again. That's Acts 10, 33. Cornelius said, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. 
open your Bible to the fifth chapter of, of Luke and see that the same principle, the same fact is true in regard to healing. I want you to notice now that here in this fifth chapter of Luke, what it said concerning the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, concerning those who came for healing. And then there's a verse also in the sixth chapter that reads just about the same. Read just about the same. And that is that they came to hear and not only just to hear, but to be healed. But notice this, that the hearing comes first. I want to read this verse first of all here from the sixth chapter. Then we'll go back to the fifth. The sixth chapter and the 17th verse. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and the great multitude of people out of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came, now notice, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, why would you suppose they'd have to hear him or they needed to hear him before they were healed of their diseases? Did you notice that? They came to hear him. Though healing's implied, it doesn't say they came to be healed. It doesn't just say they came to be healed of the disease. It said they came to hear him. They must have heard something that produced faith in them. They must have heard something that revealed to them his willingness his compassion, his goodness. Thank God he's the same today. I said he's the same today. I said he's the same today. Isn't he or is he? Thank God he's the same today as he was then. He has not changed the least bit. And thank God there's not even a shadow of turning with the Lord, is there? And remember the text said there in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Well, then if he's the same today as he was yesterday, he's still having compassion on people and healing them. That's part of his compassion. All right, let's look at this verse here in Luke, the fifth chapter. The 15th verse. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. Now notice, and great multitudes came together. Luke five fifteen. Great multitudes came together. I don't know, but in our teaching, the Lord keeps leading me back to these verses again and again and again. Great multitudes came together. Now, for what purpose? To hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now, notice in both of these instances, these are two separate instances of, of, of crowd, the multitudes. Notice how being healed and hearing is linked together. They came to hear and to be healed 
of their infirmities. Isn't that what it says? All right. Notice here then again in that 10th chapter of Acts that Carnegie said we're all here present before God to hear we're all here present before God to hear. You know, that's our problem a lot of times, getting people to hear. They want to be healed, all right, but they don't want to hear. Or the devil wants to rob them from hearing. He wants to keep them from hearing. You just have to persist. We're all here present to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And so, as he found God's goodness so great as Peter began to preach about God's goodness manifested through Jesus that he could not wait for Peter to finish his sermon. Just as soon as Peter had spoken enough to be a basis for their faiths, down came the blessing. Hallelujah. That's the reason that I said in talking to people, uh, that, that's, that's about the only way you're going to get chronic seekers after the baptism of the Holy Ghost and healing because you see, they'll both come the same way. They're both, the Holy Ghost is a gift, healing's a gift. Come the same way. And usually that's about the only way you're going to get chronic seekers filled or healed is this way. You got to get them to hear it. And like I said, here are people that's been praying Seeking for years, healing, praying, seeking. But when I just talked to him and got him to see his mercy, his willingness. In fact, I made the statement and then said, I'll prove it to you. I mean, it just shocked him. I started off by getting their, t- I had to do that to get their attention. You know, some people in seeking God have gotten in a rut. And if you pray with them, it'll jump right over in that rut. and You can't get them out of that rut. Boy, they're, 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 they're stuck in that rut. Unless you can get them out of that rut, you, you, you can't help them. So that's the reason that I did that. See, I'm going to get them out of that rut immediately. So I said, God wants you baptized with the Holy Ghost or God wants you healed more than you want to be healed. Their mouth would flout. Their eyes would get big. They'd look at you, you know, and I could think, boy, he's something wrong with him. Yeah, I said, he yearns to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He yearns to heal you. He wants you healed more than you want to be healed. They look at you in disbelief without saying anything. In fact, you, you say that to somebody that's bedfast. God wants you up out of this bed and heal more than you want to get up. Man, you, you can, without them saying anything, you can read the expression on their face. You know what they're thinking. Well, if he does, why don't he get me up in here? But see, you have made it possible for him to. But without ever, you see, we know, of course, prayer works and laying on of hands is Bible, scriptural, all that. But, but these cases, I've seen these cases, like I said, that, that you didn't even get to pray for them. You didn't even get to lay hands on them. I said, I'll prove it to you by the Bible that he yearns to heal you, that he wants you healed, that he longs to heal you more than you long to be healed, more than you yearn to be, more than you want to be healed. And while I was yet talking to them, those that seeking the Holy Ghost just started talking in tongues. Those that were sick, I've seen them just, just instantly all right. Didn't even get to pray for them. Didn't even get to lay hands on them. They started believing in his mercy. 
Just like, just like Cornelius. They didn't even get to pray with old Cornelius. They didn't even get to have an altar call, did they? Peter didn't even get to have an altar call. Get him down there on their knees where he could pray for him. Get him to repent, did he? <laughs> While he yet speaking, and the Holy Ghost fell on him. See, they just believed. They just swallowed everything he said. Praise God. They just believed Jesus died for their sins. That's what he's preaching. Praise God. Not only got saved, but baptized the Holy Ghost standing there. That proves it's not the physical posture you're in. I've seen people just sitting there like you are. And I, I, I was teaching along, you know, and they just lifted both hands and started talking in tongues. I was preaching in one place, and there's three ladies sitting around on the front pew. There's three seconds of seat, and, you know, and there's, so there's one pew right here in front of the pulpit. And, 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 and these ladies wasn't any further away, a little bit further away because there's an altar than what you are. And, and, and these three ladies, just like somebody gave them a signal, all three of them lifted their hands and started talking in tongues right in the middle of my sermon. Well, I didn't know whether there's a Pentecostal person that didn't know how to control himself that ought to have been quiet. Sometimes, you know, people ought to be quiet and not speak or what. So I waited a few moments, and, and the pastor was sitting here on the platform. And so he came up there and put his arm around and said, whispered and said, Brother Hagin, those folks are not Pentecostal. He said, uh, one of them's Episcopalian lady and two of them are Presbyterians. And they've never been baptized with the Holy Ghost. They've been coming here to services. They received right in the middle of the sermon. Glory to God. Well, when I found out who they were, well, I said, let's everybody just lift their hands and rejoice for these dear sisters have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. You see, in other words, they heard and faith mounted up in there. They saw God was so yearned to fill them with the Holy Ghost that they couldn't wait till you give the altar call. Right in the middle. They just had to get filled right in the middle of the sermon. Well, you see, that's what happened with Carnitas and his household. Peter didn't have time to give an altar call for them to come and get saved. I mean, they got saved, born again, and baptized the Holy Ghost and speaking with tongues, standing right there. I say this is standing because, you know, uh, there's in the house and, and uh, he got all of his kinfolks and everybody, and angels appeared to him, told you know. And so they didn't have enough place for everybody to sit down. I just imagined the whole house, the folks just filled. You know, after all, it's not the physical posture you're in. It's a, it's a spiritual posture that you're in that counts. Those ladies just sitting there. I've had other folks just sitting there, you know, uh, that, that got healed the same way, right in the middle of the sermon. That happened with Paul, you know, down there in the, in the 14th chapter of Acts at Lystra. There sat this crippled man. See, he was sitting there, crippled man. Had never had walked. Same heard Paul speak. Wonder what Paul was speaking. Same heard Paul speak, you know, Acts 14, 8 and 9 at Lystra. Paul preached the gospel, 7th verse said, at Lystra there's a crippled man who sat there who was lame from his mother's womb who never had walked. Ninth verse said the same. The man, the crippled man, heard Paul speak. See, there's that hearing again. Heard Paul speak. Who? Paul, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said, stand upright on thy feet and blessed be God. The man stood up and walked and leaped and praised God and was healed. Well, it's quite obvious he had faith to be healed. Where did he get it from what Paul said? In other words, Paul must have unveiled through what he said the mercy of God, the compassion of God. Hallelujah. Not only to forgive sins, but to heal. He must have made it so real to that poor crippled fellow that's a grown man, has never walked a step in his life, been crippled from his mother's womb, that God so yearned, that God so yearned. He, you see, after all, the only Bible he had was the Old Testament. He had to take a text from it if he's going to take a text. Amen. He may have took the text, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout all the earth. <laughs> Glory to God. Looking for somebody. Hallelujah. He's eager, you see, to find somebody he can pour out his blessings upon. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
So just as soon as Peter, in speaking to Cornelius, had spoken enough to be a basis for faith, down came the blessing. Now, not only, friends, is God able, but he's also willing to do as Ephesians 3.20 said, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's not only able to do it, he's willing to do it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Brother Bosworth went on to say, and I, I like this statement, he said, his love is so great that it could not be fully gratified by blessing all the holy beings in the universe. Therefore, it is extended to his enemies throughout the whole earth. God's love is extended to his enemies. Remember what Paul said, that Christ died for us while we were yet enemies of God. Amen, isn't that right? His love, think about his love, extended to his enemies throughout the whole earth. Praise God. Brother Bosworth said, it seems to me that God would rather we should doubt his ability than his willingness. Now notice further our text, what our text said. That 145th Psalm, the 89th verse, it went on to say that the Lord is gracious. We've looked at that. Now then notice it says, the Lord is full of compassion. Slow to anger and of great mercy. How could you doubt his willingness in the light of such scripture as that? Now we need to realize that, you know, as I said, he's full of compassion. The Greek word translated compassion means to suffer with another. Accordingly, Isaiah said, in all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. Hallelujah. Brother Bosworth said, is it not strange that this wondrous fact of his mercy toward the sick so clearly seen and applied during the darker ages of the Old Testament should be overlooked and set aside in this better age in which is opened the way for the fullest possible manifestation of his mercy toward every phase of human need. Our text in the 145th Psalm, the 8th and 9th verse, after showing the greatness of his compassion, closes with the logical conclusion, the Lord is good to all. How many? All. How many? All. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. In other words, He's so full of compassion that he cannot be a respecter of persons in the bestowal of his mercies. You see, God is no respecter of person when it comes to the bestowal of his mercies. None whatsoever. Hallelujah to Jesus. Now God, and I want to go on quoting something here because I like it. I like the way he says it. Brother Bosworth said, he said, how could he who being unable to fully gratify his benevolent heart by blessing holy beings, extend his mercies to the wicked of the earth 
withhold the common blessing of healing from any of his obedient children. What a strange doctrine that the sick are not to look for as much mercy during this age of grace which prophets and kings desired to see and angels desired to look into as sufferers did during the darker ages in the Old Testament. Is God, Brother Bosworth asked this question, now more willing to show the mercy of forgiveness to the devil's children than he is the mercy of healing to his own. The fact is, he loves his own sick and suffering child even more than he loves the sinner. Thank God he does. And the mercy, the compassion of the Lord, as the scripture said, is from everlasting to everlasting. Hallelujah. Again, the scripture said, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Again, the scripture said, as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Not only toward the sinner, but toward them that fear him. The sick Christian can say with Solomon in 2 Chronicles 6, 14, there is no God like thee, which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Then in the 25th Psalm and the 10th verse, not some, but all the paths, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. All of them are. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Now, not just to his enemies, but unto such as keep his covenants and his testimonies. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Now, in conclusion, again today, this come to the New Testament to see the mercy of God and the compassion of the Lord. Let's look again at scripture we looked at yesterday and then add one or two to it. You'll notice in the, the uh, Mark, the first chapter, the 40th through the 45th verse, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying to him, if thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. Now notice what it said. And Jesus moved with what? Compassion. Moved with what? Compassion. Compassion. Put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thy clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. I want you to notice again it was compassion that moved Christ to heal the leper. Then another way to say that was the healing of the leper was a display of his compassion. Saying another way, the healing of the leper revealed the compassion and the mercy of the Father God. Then we looked at this scripture, Matthew the 14th chapter, the 13th and 14th verse. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart and then when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. I'm reading the King James translation now. And was moved with compassion toward them. What did that produce? 
What does the next statement say? And he healed their sick. Hallelujah. So here as elsewhere, he was plenteous in mercy to all that had need of healing. And it was what that moved him? Compassion. Same Greek word, translated compassion, translated mercy is mercy. Compassion or mercy. All right, let's go a step further today then. Let's look at Matthew, the 20th chapter. I want to reemphasize, this is so important. We don't, we don't hear this so much. We ought to hear more of it. Because the more you hear it, the more you'll convinced, be convinced. All right, Matthew, the 20th chapter, 29 to the 34th verse. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now notice when Jesus stopped and so on, what he said. What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them. Remember, he's full of compassion. Remember the same, you see the text said here, they cried out, have mercy on us. The same Greek root word is used here. So he had compassion, or he had mercy. He had mercy. Compassion means to have mercy. He had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now then, let's analyze that. Let's look at it for a moment. Here, these blind men ask for the mercy of having their eyes opened. Didn't he? Didn't he? And Jesus granted unto them the mercy of healing, proving that healing is a mercy as well as forgiveness. But you see, everybody knows forgiveness is a mercy. That's been preached widely, widespread. But how many of us know that healing is also a mercy and is just as readily obtainable as is the mercy of forgiveness? And yet I've said that to people, I mean good people, even born-again, spirit-filled, full gospel people, preachers, ministers, and they said, I wished I could believe it. Well, do you think they got healed? No. Bless their darling hearts. Some of them had to retire early from ministry. Good men. But they doubted his mercy. They didn't doubt his mercy of forgiveness. But when you pointed this out to them, when I said this to them, they said, I wished I, with tears, I appreciate their honesty, but I wished I could believe it. I said, thank God I can. And I've been enjoying his mercy all these years. He is merciful. He is merciful. Hallelujah. 
In those days, friends, the sick, when seeking healing, did you notice this? Ask for mercy. Now, in our day, as I pointed out, most people think of mercy as applied only to the sinner, not knowing that his mercy is also extended to the sick. Hallelujah. Now look at this scripture. We'll, we'll close with this one. I mean, this ought to just be the, you know, we've just been driving the nail in the board, you know. Now we're going to clinch it on the other side. This, this will clinch it. Look at Second Corinthians, the first chapter and the third verse. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Hallelujah. Man, I get happy just thinking about this verse. Whew, glory. Whoo, hallelujah. I just get happy thinking about this verse. Something starts turning flips on the inside of me. Hallelujah. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Mercies. Mercies. Plural. Mercies. Not the Father of mercy. Mercies. See, if he was just merciful to save, if that's all, then he'd just be the Father of mercy. But he's the Father of mercies. <laughs> Glory, he's still the father of mercies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God of all comfort. Paul, who called God the father of mercies, proved it by healing all the sick on the island, you know, of Melita there when he was shipwrecked. Because he is the father of mercies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know if I've helped you or not, but I've done it again. I preach me happy. <laughs> Praise God. I think that we should uh, keep teaching along these lines and preach along these lines until folks start believing it. Amen. So after a while, somebody will catch on and start believing it. He'll just keep preaching it. Amen. You know, D.L. Moody tells a story in his writings that when he visited England the first time, just through courtesy, he said to a young man, 19-year-old boy, well, if you ever come to America, come by Chicago, you know, and preach in this great church there, Moody Church. Well, a couple of years later, this young man is about 21 years old. He suddenly showed up one day at the Moody's door. <laughs> well, he, he just through courtesy, you know, just have something to say and said, well, you know, he had no idea if that 19-year-old boy had ever come to Chicago, then... He'd go to the moon. But he showed up. <laughs> Knocked on his door one day. And so he thought, well, dear Lord, I, you know, I asked him. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just have services, you know, down in the small auditorium. He knew that fellow couldn't fill up the big auditorium, seat 5,000 like he did. But they had a small auditorium in the basement of the church and seat a few hundred. So we'll have services, uh, you know, just during the week. You know, a few of them let him preach, you know. Just through courtesy. Well, Moody was there the first night and he took for his text John 3.16. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whosoever believed him should not perish, have last night. Then Mr. Moody was called away. He had to go away and preach a funeral. 
and he had to travel some distance to get there by train. He's gone for three or four days. And he got back, slipped in in the nighttime, and inquired, you see, of his wife about meetings and so on and so forth. And, oh, they're just marvelous. Said we had to move up in the big auditorium tonight. They couldn't get everybody in the big auditorium seated. Couldn't get them all in that small auditorium. Well, he said, what's that young man preaching? He said, well, he still takes the same text every night. John 3, 16 said he hadn't preached on anything else. So the next night then, about the fifth night, Moody was there and the building of the big auditorium was full. He turned to the young man. He got up and took John three sixteen for a text. That's five nights. The next night, the auditorium was full, running over. 5,000 and more couldn't all get in. Took the same text. Well, they're running so good. Now then, the next night, you see, they're going to uh, run on another week now because it's just running so good they can't close this down. And so the fellow just every night filled a building up every single night. The next week took the same text, John three sixteen. About the middle of the week, Mr. Moody said, I asked him, uh, how long are you going to preach on that? I said, until everybody believes it. <laughs> Amen. How long till everybody believes it? Amen. Now that young man went on to be to become known as Henry Morehouse, the silver-tongued orator. And Mr. Moody said, that young man, 21-year-old boy, changed my life. He said, I saw you could get more people saved. He said, I got some people saved, done some work, and I'd preach the judgment of God. God's after you, going to get you if you don't watch out, boys. But he said, I saw that you could, where you won 10 preaching the judgment of God, you could win 100 preaching the love of God. And I started preaching the love of God. Got it from that kid. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, by the same token, I think we need to start preaching on his mercy to heal and just keep on it till everybody believes it. Amen. And then healing will be as widespread as forgiveness of sin. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for his mercy. I want you to think about his mercy. I want you to think in the area of healing now. It's easy, easy. If you're not careful, that's all you'll think about it. Just, oh, he is so merciful to save me. Thank God he's so good. Thank God. But I want you to think about healing when you say mercy. When you talk about goodness of God, I want you to think about healing. The Lord is good. It says so in the scriptures, and I believe it. More than once, the Lord's good. The Lord's good. The Lord's good. And his mercy endureth forever. Say it with me this time. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Close your eyes. Say that loudly enough with your own voice that you can hear it. And keep on saying it. Hallelujah until it registers on the inside of it. This said several times. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Again. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Keep on. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Listen to what you are saying. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Again. Amen. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Again. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. 
Three more times. One more. The Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now lift your hand and thank, thank him for his goodness. <laughs> and thank oh. him for his mercy. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org. Or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3. In this particular series of lessons, we're taking for a text Psalm 145, uh, verse 8 and verse 9. The 145th Psalm, verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full, full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works now we found out in our studies that in the scripture compassion and mercy mean the same thing now in the old testament for instance and we just got through reading here in the 145th psalm he's full of compassion of great mercy then we read tender mercies. And we found out that uh, in the Hebrew, the, uh, the same word is used. The same word is used, talking about mercy. Same word used that's translated compassion. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. Then when we come to the New Testament, the New Testament, of course, was written in Greek originally. And uh, we found out that the Greek verb that's translated have mercy is all also elsewhere in the same New Testament translated have compassion, identically the same word. And then that likewise, the Greek adjective is defined merciful, and it's also defined compassionate. To have compassion, according to the dictionary, is to love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. Now, with that thought in mind, let me read it again. To have compassion means to love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. With that definition in mind, let's read again those verses there in the 145th Psalm 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Well, that means he's full of love tenderly. Hallelujah. That means he's full of pity. That means he's full to show mercy. Hallelujah. That means he's full of eager yearning to help, to bless. 
slow to anger and of great mercy. Well, then that means he is of great love tenderly. Great mercy means great pity. Great mercy means full of great eager yearning to help, to bless, to heal. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. So with that in mind, let's look again at some scripture we looked at, and then we'll go further. In the New Testament, let's look at a few passages of scriptures in the Gospels that show the compassion of the Lord. First of all, let's look again at Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, or will in other words, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, what? Moved. Have you got your Bibles open there? I'm reading the King James translation. Moved with what? Moved with compassion. Well, remember our definition back over here. To have compassion is to love tenderly. Moved with love tenderly. It means to pity. Moved with pity. Moved with eager yearning to help, to heal him. Moved with compassion put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thy clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Now notice at the end of that 45th verse, it says, and they came to him, that's to Jesus, from every quarter. Now keep that in your mind. So here it was compassion that moved Christ to heal this leper. Let's ask the question again. What moved Jesus to heal this leper? Compassion. His love tenderly. His pity. His eager yearning to help him. His mercy. Is he the same compassionate, loving, merciful Jesus now that he was then? Amen. You see, I think that really in church circles that uh, the compassion, the mercy of Jesus in healing has been veiled or hidden. That people haven't seen it because they have been told by theologians who studied everything except the Bible, that Jesus healed just to prove his deity or his divinity. And yet, you know, you can't find in any of these scriptures, because we read them again and again, everywhere it said Jesus healed him to show that he was God. And Jesus healed him to prove that he is deity. Not one single time. Not one single time. But rather the scriptures say that Jesus healed because of his compassion. Not to prove anything. 
but because of his tender mercies, because of his love, because of his compassion. Hallelujah. Well, now let's look again in Matthew, the 14th chapter, the 13th and 14th verses. Matthew chapter 14. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'd just like to sort of dwell on these verses. Just sort of camp there. Hallelujah. Meditate upon them. All right, Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. He, that's Jesus, departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. Now, what did his compassion that he was moved with toward them compel him to do? And he healed their sick. Hallelujah. So here is elsewhere, he was plenteous in mercy to all that had need of healing. And it was his compassion that moved him. Now, while you're there in Matthew, look at Matthew, the 20th chapter, and notice the 29th through the 34th verses. I would encourage you to go over these verses again, not just read them once. Let them get by you. They'll not mean much to you. But go over them again and again and again. Meditate upon them until his compassion becomes so real to you. Hallelujah. It registers in your spirit, and that's when you'll get results. Now, Matthew 20, 29 through 34. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Now, there's two things that I want to call your attention to, please. I want you to take knowledge of his compassion. And then I want you to notice something else connected here. Great, a great multitude followed him. In the previous scriptures, and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. In the previous scripture, about the healing of the leper, and they came to him from every quarter. I want you to keep those two things in mind as we read. As they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by cried out, saying, Have mercy on us. Do you notice that? Same Greek word that's translated compassion. How mercy. Remember, to have compassion means to have mercy. How mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus said, What will ye that I do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus did what? 
Say it out loud. You got your Bible open there? So Jesus did what? Had compassion. I want you to notice that. We're going to come back to it again and again. Had compassion. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Had compassion on them. What did his compassion compel him to do? And touch their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now notice here that these blind men ask for the mercy of having their eyes opened. I've said it before, I'll say it again. When we talk about mercy, too many times we just think about merciful to forgive sins or mercy in the remission of our sins. Is that as far as mercy reaches? Is that as far as mercy reached in the New Testament? Is that as far as mercy reached in the ministry of Jesus? No. No. But you see, we haven't been taught, we haven't been told about his mercy of healing, but we've heard much about his mercy of forgiveness. Has one of them been done away with? Then, then he's only half as merciful as he used to be then. Has healing been done away with as theologians and so on would tell us and try to get us to believe? Then he's only half as compassionate as he used to be. Then Jesus is only half as compassionate as he was when he was here on the earth. And yet the Bible said in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same. Oh, hallelujah. The same Yesterday, today, and forever. No, he's not just as half as compassionate. He's the same, isn't he? Hallelujah. All right. Here these two blind men ask for the mercy of having their eyes open. Notice they cried out to Jesus saying, have mercy on us. O Lord, thou son of David. Notice Jesus stopped. We'll skip a few words there, you know. And Jesus said, what will ye that I shall do unto you? They said, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So then you can readily see that these blind men asked for the mercy of having their eyes open, and Jesus granted unto them the mercy of healing, proving that healing is a mercy, as well as forgiveness. The sick in those days, when seeking healing, ask for mercy. Now, in our day, most people think of mercy as applied only to the sinner. Because that's about all you hear, isn't it? Not knowing that his mercy is also extended to the sick. Oh, that's my Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, we left off last time. I wanted to go over those verses again. 
We left off with 2 Corinthians 1, 3. I want you to turn there and read this verse with me. My, 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 if you can't uh, shout over this, you haven't got into business to shout about anything. Just keep quiet. Amen. All right, notice 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? The Father of mercy? Mercies. Plural. Plural. You see, most church people have been taught or think that he is the Father of mercy, that his mercy is extended toward the sinner, but that's all. Yet Paul here is writing to the church, the New Testament church, the church at Corinth and said he's not just the father of mercy, but the father of mercies. Well, now, what does his mercies include? By going back to the four Gospels, you see that he said the Son of Man doth have power on earth to forgive sins. Thank God for that mercy. But you see, again, he said he had mercy on them and healed them. Two of them together are mercies. Hallelujah, aren't they? I said, aren't they? Now, you see, if healing stopped with the apostles, and remember now that Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. He was not an apostle in the same sense that they were. He was an apostle. The Greek word apostolos translated apostle means a sent one. He was sent as a missionary to the Gentiles. He's not an apostle of the Lamb. They were only 12 apostles of the Lamb. Paul's not one of them. Read the qualifications in the first chapter of Acts and you see that they had to elect one to take the place of Judas who fell through transgression. And Peter said he had to be an eyewitness with us of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three and a half years of ministry. Secondly, he had to be an eyewitness of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those apostles of the Lamb, 12 of them as mentioned in the book of Revelation, can't be any more of them. Paul's not an apostle of the Lamb. Are sent for that one purpose. They're sent ones to bear witness of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Had to be eyewitness of all of his ministry. Paul couldn't be an eyewitness to that. He wasn't an eyewitness. Had to be an eyewitness. Had to be there. Eyewitness to his death, burial, and resurrection. You see? Are you listening to me? So you see, Paul's writing to the church and he calls him the father of mercies. Well, thank God he's still the father of mercies. Not mercy, mercies. Now notice, and the God of all comfort. And then you'll find that Paul, who calls God the father of mercies, proves it by healing all of the sick on the island of Melita. Remember, he was shipwrecked there. Remember what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount or Beatitudes? He said, blessed are the merciful. Now, that could also be translated, blessed are the compassionate. Because, as I said, same word, same Greek word. Blessed are the merciful, are the compassionate, for they shall obtain mercy. You remember, Job was healed when he prayed for his friend. He showed mercy and compassion, prayed for his friend. According to one of the Beatitudes, he obtained mercy by showing it. 
Now, referring to and accounting for Job's healing, turn to James 5.11 now. James 5.11. Now, you see, we all know James 5.14. Is any sick among them called for the elders of the church? Let them pray of him, knowing the name of the Lord, prayer of faith, save the sick, and order to raise him up. If he have committed sin, it shall be forgiven him. But now, you know, the 11th verse naturally comes before the 14th, doesn't it? And uh, notice that this is 11th verse and about the healing of Job is given in connection with James 5.14. We leave that out sometimes, but because we're looking at the compassion of the Lord, and remember that our text said the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Well, notice, concerning, referring to, James referring to, and accounting, the healing of Job said, in the 11th verse, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now he's talking about his pity and his mercy in connection with the healing of Job, physical healing. Now, and then James follows with the direction of the church. Is any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church. In other words, what he's saying is, if you put the 11th verse with, down there with the 14th, he's saying, because the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, let any sick in the church today, as well as Job, obtain their healing also. Isn't that what he's saying when you sum it up? Absolutely. Hallelujah. Now, having provided all we need, the Lord Jesus Christ is still saying, as he did to the two blind men, what will ye that I should do unto you? Hallelujah. Now here, I want you to turn back to the fifth chapter. I want you to turn back to the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel. Praise God, we want to read something further here concerning his great love, concerning the Lord's compassion. Here's a story that's familiar to us, but it won't hurt us to read it again. Let's just start with the very first verse of the fifth chapter of Mark. I'm reading from the King James translation. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarene. Now they refers to the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thy torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he, Jesus, asked him, What is thy name? 
And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And when they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now notice particularly the 19th and 20th verses. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had what? Compassion. What? Compassion. Say it out loud. Compassion. And hath had compassion on thee. How far does the Lord's compassion reach? How far does his mercy reach? Only to the forgiveness of sins? Now you see, when your faith is just as strong in his mercy or compassion of healing as it is in his mercy of forgiveness, you'll be healed just as easy as you'll be forgiven. But you see, your faith's not that strong. Most folks isn't. Why? Because they haven't heard it. See, faith comes by hearing. But all their life, they never doubt. All their life, they've heard about his mercy of forgiveness, his mercy of forgiving sins, remitting sins, his mercy toward the sinner. They never doubt that, do they? You, you, you don't ever doubt that. If someone began to speak against it, you would immediately come to the defense. You say, oh, why? You just think of Scripture after Scripture. You never doubt that. But now you talk about his mercy extended toward the sick and almost immediately something sort of, oh, well, I, I don't know. You see, we haven't heard that side. That's the reason I want to get you to thinking along that line. Faith comes by hearing him by the word of God. When your faith is as strong in his mercy to heal as it is his mercy to forgive, healing will be just as easy as receiving forgiveness. Did you ever notice how the Bible mixes the two together, healing of the sick and forgiveness of sins? Go back again to James 5, 14 and see it in 15. Is any sick among you? Among whom? Well, let's see. Let him call for the elders of the church. 
church. So then, is any sick among the church? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anoint him all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick or heal them. And the Lord shall raise them up. And if they have committed sins, sins, they shall be forgiven them. That sort of reminds you of the 103rd Psalm, third verse, who, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Thank God his mercy is extended toward the sinner. His mercy is extended toward the sick. Praise God. But you see, people's faith doesn't take hold and their doubt keeps the blessing from coming in. Now, could you get somebody healed and them doubting Jesus loves them? And them doubting that he died for them? Could you get them saved and them doubting that? No, no. I don't know whether his mercy will reach me or not. See, you run into people sometimes and say, well, I've been an awful sinner. In other words, they're saying, I don't know whether his mercy will reach me or not. I've been so mean, I've been so bad. Well, how are you going to help them? Can you just pray God save them anyway and get them saved? No, you can't. No, no. You'll have to get the word of God into them. And we've done that many times. I've had folks say that. Yeah, you don't know how mean I've been, though. You don't know how wicked I've been. And I got them into the Bible. They began to show them what the scripture said. And they read it with me. And faith came. They looked up with tears in their eyes and said, He does love me, don't He? Hallelujah. And they were saved. Well, let's see how we're going to get faith into people to receive healing. By showing them the same thing, scriptures. That His mercy of healing is extended towards them. I tell the story sometime, and you see what hinders. Uh, about a meeting I was holding years ago in Jacksboro, Texas. The First Assembly of God Church, 19 and 50. And a man, Baptist man, brought his wife. See, 1950s, before the salt vaccine, you know. Little daughter, six years of age, had polio. The mother had polio. She's in a wheelchair. The little daughter's sitting there lap. Her legs encased in braces. The mother cannot walk. The mother cannot get out of bed. The mother cannot do her work. Husband had a pretty good job, but he just simply didn't have enough money to, to make ends meet. So the state paid a a lady to come to her house and because she's left alone, you see. The child is, she can't care for the child. The child can't go to school because she can't walk. The mother can't walk. The mother doesn't have, she, her husband gets her up and sets her in a wheelchair, but she can't move the wheelchair. You see, the lady that does the housework pushes her around in the chair, didn't want to leave her lying in bed all day, you see. And so they brought her they don't know about healing. They just know medical science can't help them. They're reaching out, you know, like a drowning man will, grasp for a straw, if it is so. So they heard the word of God preached. Now, it's amazing how children will believe. Remember, Jesus said, except you be converted and become as a little child, you'll know wise into the kingdom of heaven. Remember him saying something like that? What do you mean become as a little child, except you be converted? Well, see, a little child just has childlike faith, don't they? See, their minds have never been developed at the state, you know, of unbelief that yours has. So, they, you know, they don't, they, they can go down, they, they can lie down and go to sleep, you know, with not a bite of food in the house. Don't bother them where you lay awake and worry about it all night. Because they just got unconscious faith in mom and daddy, you know. I mean, you know. Amen. Isn't that right? Childlike faith. 
Now that little child sitting on her mother's lap, polio stricken, hadn't walked two or three years. Now these are saved people, they're Baptists, they knew what, knew what the new birth is. And that little child, first time I laid hands on, just got out and walked right off heel. The mother, I laid hands on her in the wheelchair, she's filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues, and eventually the daddy was too. I laid hands on the mother and prayed for healing, but no results. Now why? I knew why. That's the reason I kept trying to help her faith. She, she don't believe that. She just can't believe that. I said to her, you can be healed just as easily as the little girl was healed. She said, I wished I could believe that. I wished I could believe it. I said, you can be healed just as easily as you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and begin speaking with other tongues. She said, I wished I could believe that. Is that easy? I wished I could believe that. You see where a problem is? Well, I, next year was over in Graham, Texas, the meeting. They was in that meeting. She's still in a wheelchair. I'm back a couple of years later to, to Jacksboro. She's still in a wheelchair. And uh, several years went by. Oh, about five, I guess, altogether. Several, at least. And she wrote me a letter. Oh, a long letter. Before she couldn't use her hands enough to write. Brother Egan, I just wanted to write and let you know that I'm out of my chair my healing didn't come instant like, a, like the little girl's. You know, she's in school now, then you know, way up there. But she said, uh, you know, my husband bought a tape recorder. I didn't have any tapes in those days, you know. But my husband bought a tape recorder, and we couldn't come in the daytime because he worked at night. He'd bring us, and so we got somebody to record those day teachings, you know, on that reel-to-reel tape. And, of course, here, just in the home, nothing else to do. You know, no, I can't do, I couldn't do housework. And so the lady, I'd have her to put that tape on. I couldn't even turn it over. And I've listened and listened and listened and listened and listened and listened. Nothing else to do. Over a period of several years. And she said, you know, my, my, my faith began to take hold little, little by little, just little by little. And, oh, I remember she said another, I'm so, I'm so glad. She said, for the first time in all these years, I can get up and get my husband's breakfast, get him off to work. I, I can sweep the floors. I can make up the beds. Now, I'm not 100% well, but she said, I'm 90% and I will be. The other 10%'s coming. My faith just, just took hold gradually. I just couldn't believe. I kept saying for years. Now, I know the little girl's healed because she's walking. The braces are off. She's perfectly all right. I know I received the Bible and the Holy Ghost spoke another tongue. I, I just keep saying, I know, Brother Egan said, it's just, it's just easy for you to get, receive healing, but I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. But she said, but listen to those tapes. See, because she didn't get in on the, in person in the day teaching. Said, I, I, I listened to those tapes and said, you know, I changed what I was saying. I started saying, I can believe it. Not only I can, I will. I will believe it. I will believe it. I will believe it. She said, I almost had to talk myself in the notion because it's just all up here in my head, you know. But she said, I kept saying that till it got down in here. Hallelujah. Just wanted you to know when I'm out of bed doing all my work, praise the Lord. And you were right. But you see, uh, somewhere or another with her, it took a long time to change her thinking. For her to think in line with God's word, for her to believe in line with God's word. Now, it didn't have to. It wasn't God's fault. Are you listening to me? I'll tell you, if we'd just be humble enough to come up to the Word and say, I may not understand it, I may not see it, but I just acknowledge that it's so and believe it and accept it. It'll make a difference. But as long as you keep saying, I can't believe it, I, I know it said that, but I can't believe it. I know the Word says that, but I just can't believe it. 
Well, see, it's not going to work for you. Not going to work for you. Well, hallelujah. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Now, in reading the story here that I've just read to you of this, of this man, let's sum it up. Jesus had, what did he say? What did Jesus tell the man? Howbeit Jesus suffered him, not that is to go with him, 19th verse, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them what? What was he supposed to tell his friends? How great things the Lord hath done for thee. Well, in other words, what he need to do, if you're going to tell what great things the Lord has done, they need to know what kind of condition he's in. Don't they? Then they know how great it is. If, they, if he just said, well, the Lord delivered me, they might have thought he had a sore toe if they didn't know him. Isn't that right? I said, isn't that right? If he had just said, the Lord healed me, they might have thought he just had a headache if they didn't know him. But in telling how great things, do you know he said things? You see, then he told about being bound with chains and fetters. That's one thing. I'd break them asunder. He told about being driven by evil spirits and demons. That's another thing or things. He told about wandering out there in the tombs. That's something else. And then cutting himself with stones. Day and night, crying. And then about Jesus delivering him. Hallelujah. How great things the Lord had done for thee. And hath or has, the way we talk, has had compassion on thee. It was his compassion that moved him to do the things, the great things for him. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? All right, go tell it. Now then, what happened? 20th verse. And he departed. That is, this man now that's delivered, we call him the maniac of Gadara sometimes, the man with the legion. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. All right, let's sum, let's sum this up now. After Jesus had had compassion on the man in the tomb, so possessed with the devil and had the legion that he cut himself with stones, he broke the chains with which they often had tried to bind him. Now then, when he was delivered, healed, Clothed, had on his clothes now, no longer wandering around naked, got on his clothes. And in his right mind, he was so glad that he besought Jesus that he might remain with him, that he might go with him. You could understand that, couldn't you? The text said, How be it Jesus suffered him not. 
but said to him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and, it had, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. All right. Now turn back to Matthew, the 15th chapter. I want us to read about the results of one man's testimony. Read about the results of one man's testimony. Turn back to Matthew 15, the 30 through the 31st verse. Let's read, let's see the result of this one man's testimony given to advertise the Lord's compassion. Now see, it says here in Matthew 15, 30, and great multitudes came to him. Now I don't know whether you know it or not, but I'll add this. This is in Decapolis. That's where he published that, in Decapolis. Great multitudes in Decapolis. I added those words in Decapolis and not in the verse, but this is it. Came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Hallelujah. Now notice, it was not their being sick, as some teach today, but their being healed that caused the great multitudes to glorify the God of Israel. Mr. Bosworth said, let me quote him now, Oh, how much glory would come to God, as well as blessings to the world, if every minister today would present clearly the Bible promises for healing to the sick, and then as soon as each one was healed, he would, in his turn, publish the Lord's compassion throughout his Decapolis. Mr. Bosworth went on to say, In short time, thousands upon thousands everywhere who are now sick would obtain faith in Christ for healing it would then again be said to the multitudes that they glorified the God of Israel. Bosworth went on to say, the higher critic and the modernist would soon be unpopular and the false healing cults would not draw away from the church the multitude uh, that are now being ensnared. And how true that is. Now I want you to notice the text said here about this man that he published. Notice what it said. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things the Lord has done for him. Remember Jesus said, go tell what great things the Lord has done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. So it's all hooked together. He began to publish, in other words, the Lord's compassion. Well, in those days, about the only way you could publish it would be by, by mouth. You know, today we can publish it a lot of ways. Praise God, by printed page, radio, television. And still, I think word of mouth is the best way to tell it. Now, Mr. Bosworth said, some oppose and write articles against us, so they did it in his day as well as thou, for publishing the testimonies of those who are miraculously healed. Mr. Bosworth said, what is the matter? Is there anything wrong in obeying the Lord's command to make known his deeds among the people? Since Jesus died to open the way for his mercies to reach all the needs of man, we surely ought to be willing for them to know it. 
one would think to read some of the books and articles that are being written that it's a crime to let the people know about the Lord's compassion. Think about what Bosworth said back there in his day and that fits today too, doesn't it? Mr. Bosworth went on to say, I'm quoting him, you'll notice that in the scriptures, you know, that we've just read to you actually, as a result of miracles of healing, his fame was spread abroad. And remember I told you to notice at the end of that 45th verse of Acts or Mark 1, and they came to him from every quarter. Remember I said that? They came to him from every quarter. Now you can read such statements as this. I was just before going through and marking some of them. They followed him on foot out of the cities. Great multitudes came to him. And again and again, it speaks about multitudes, multitudes, multitudes everywhere. Hallelujah. Well, it's the same today. Just as soon as it's known in any city that this same Jesus is actually healing the sick as soon as the command is obeyed to make known his deeds among the people and as soon as his compassion is published, the people come from every quarter. I'm still quoting Bosworth now. He said, I've never seen anything that would so break down the barriers and bring the people from every quarter as the manifestation of the Lord's compassion in healing the sick. He went on to say, we've found in our revivals that as soon as the public finds out that this same Jesus, what he's doing that is, they come from the Methodist quarter, they come from the Baptist quarter, they come from the Catholic quarter, they come from the Christian Science Quarter. They come from the Unity Quarter. They come from the Spiritualist Quarter. They come from the Jewish Quarter. They come from the Poor Man's Quarter. They come from the Rich Man's Quarter and from every quarter. Hallelujah, like it said then. And multitudes hear the gospel and give their lives to God who would never even attend the meetings if there were no healing miracles to reveal his compassion. I've quoted Mr. Bosworth. You know, when I think about this healing of, uh, of this man and about Jesus telling him, go tell thy friends what great things the Lord has done for thee and had compassion on thee, and how it says that he departed and published in Decapolis what great things the Lord had done for him. Just went and told it, in other words. I always think of a story in the Old Testament. I, I, I just trust we'll not take time to turn and read it. I, I just assume that you know enough about your Bibles to know it's there. And you remember the healing of Naaman the leper? You remember Naaman was commander-in-chief of the armies of Syria. Remember he had, in his excursion against Israel, had taken some of them captive. And a little Jewish maid was, was a servant or a slave in, in his home, evidently perhaps a, a slave to, to his wife. And she, when she found out that Naaman, her master, had leprosy, remember what she did? She said, uh, would God, to her mistress, said, I would God that my master Naaman were over in the land of Samaria, for there's a prophet of God over there that could cure him of his leprosy. Now you see, she just published what God was doing. Hallelujah. She didn't get into discussion with them. She's in a foreign land. And her mistress and master, Naaman, and his wife, uh, they had religion. Uh, they worshiped Dagon. They had a temple that they went to a certain day to worship. Dagon was, he had a, 
uh, was a statue. He had a, a, a body like a fish. He had shoulders and heads like a man. They'd bow down before that idol. She didn't get into discussion with them which religion's right and which is wrong. She didn't get into discussion with them. Now, you're bound to be in the wrong church because your church don't preach divine healing. You, you must not be right. She didn't get in discussion like that. She just dropped the thought. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just, just told the good news. I just wouldn't. God hears over there. There's a prophet of God. There's a man God uses over there. Hallelujah. That could cure him of his leprosy. Do you notice Jesus did not tell this man, now you go back, because these folks are all religious. They had some kind of religion, you know. And, and you go get to have a religious debate with them. No, he never said that at all. And, and you go condemn them because uh, all your people, because they don't believe in divine healing. No. You go prove to them that healing's right and they don't believe in it, they're all going to hell. They're in the wrong church because they don't believe in the miraculous. No, he never said do that. Just go tell it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said, just go tell it. Just go tell, he said, what great things the Lord's done for you. Just go tell how he's had compassion. Go publish his compassion. Praise God. This little maid didn't get in a religious debate. You know, she had had every reason in the world to, to be bitter because she had been taken captive, little 12-year-old girl taken captive, taken away from home into a foreign land when she heard that her master had leprosy. You know, it would have been the natural thing for her to say, goody, 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 hope he dies. <laughs> Look what all he's done to me. Captured me, taking me away from my homeland, my people. Nothing to worry about a common slave. Just good enough for him. I knew he was going to get it. I knew God's going to put something on him. See how human reasoning defeats us and heaps condemnation upon us. But you see, folks who really know God, people who've, got in, who've been in contact with God's healing power and virtue, who, people who've been in contact with His compassion, won't everybody know about it. Hallelujah, isn't that right? So she didn't get in an argument and a debate with him about whose religion's right and said, now I'll tell you before you get healed, now before you ever go over there though, you're going to have to give up this Dagon business. You're going to have to quit going to that temple, falling down before that image. It's got a body like a fish and a head like a man. No. Did you ever notice he didn't have to give up anything or do anything to get healed except just obey what the prophet said? And then after he got in contact with the touch of God, he came back and said, Now I know. <laughs> Woo, glory, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. He's the one that's God. Hallelujah. Just get them to know God. But I think the devil slipped one over on us in that so many people have preached churchanity instead of Christianity. Amen. No, just go tell what the Lord's done. Just go tell how he's had compassion upon you. And I'll tell you what, somebody will want it. Praise the Lord. When they can see reality... This old world's dying for something real, folks. When they can see reality, whether it's in healing, whether it's in the new birth, whether it's right living or whatever it is, when they can see reality, they're going to want it. Are you listening to me? 
Now, I don't know how the Lord might lead you. You can't bind people the way God leads one person because he may lead somebody else a different way. But I remember after I got saved, the Lord led me. I got saved. Then I, on the bed of sickness, I began to see divine healing as a Baptist boy and got healed. And then as a Baptist boy, when full gospel people came along preaching divine healing, I went to hear them because they preached divine healing. I heard them preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost and saw that, got baptized, the Holy Ghost spoke the other tongue. I never did try to convert any of my kinfolks. In fact, I never even talked to them about the Bible. I never invited one of them to go hear me preach. They knew I was a preaching all the time. If they asked me something, I answered them. If they didn't, I didn't try to push anything off on them. Usually kinfolks won't listen to kinfolks anyhow. If they listen to you, they start admitting you no more than they do. and that, That'd hurt their ego. They don't admit that. Most of the time, you're wise if you just leave your folks to somebody else. Ask God to send somebody. Are you listening to me? Because if you keep badging them, you'll turn them off instead of turn them on. I just believe this. I said this to myself. I don't know why I said it. I guess the Lord prompted me. I just said, you know, I believe if they see something real in me, they'll all want it. Hallelujah. You know, that's another way to publish it. You just live it. Hallelujah. And you know what happened? Just what I thought happened. Every single one of them followed me in. Every single one of them followed me in. Because they wanted something real. Hallelujah to Jesus. And yet I never never said a word to any of them about ever being saved. Never said a word to one of them about the Bible. Never said a word to one of them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Never said a word to one of them about coming and hear me preach. I just left them alone, prayed for them. And... Uh, live right in front of them. Showed the reality of it till they all wanted it. Praise God. You got something good, everybody wants it, don't they? Even in the natural. Same thing's true in the spiritual. You can't blame some people for not wanting what some people have got or seem to have. Amen. True story. They tell about the old cowboy out in West Texas. True story. I know people, the people involved, some of them. And I, he didn't know how come him to. After, after all, the same fellow did get saved eventually. But on way out there in West Texas years ago, way back in the early 30s or late 20s, and on a Wednesday night when there's just a little handful of people come, you know, some reason or another, he just stopped by the church, full gospel church, out in the country there in West Texas. Cowboy. Slipped in, sat down in the back seat. Well, on Wednesday night, it was their custom to have a Wednesday night is always prayer and praise night. They'd have a testimony. Everybody'd testify. Usually have a little Bible study and it'd all wind up coming down around the altar to pray. And everybody that testified had a hard luck story to tell. You know what an awful time I'm having. Like one lady got up and said, the devil's been after me all the week. Bless his holy name. <laughs> and all of them had a hard luck story to tell. And after it was over, you know, and it's all praying around the altar, the pastor, you see everybody come to the altar, that one lone cowboy sitting back way back there on the back pew. So he went back there and shook hands with him, you know, told him he's the pastor. Invited him, asked him if he's a Christian. He said, well, no, no, not that I know of. Well, invited him to come to the altar and be saved. He said, oh, Lord, no, no, no. He said, I've got troubles enough already. <laughs> Amen. I've got enough troubles, but said after hearing these folks talk, I don't want to get in on this. Well, who would want it? <laughs> Amen. Are you listening? No, he didn't want to get in on that. Now, the fellow did eventually get saved. Thank God and saw the light. But, uh, but I'm afraid too much of the time that Christians have a hard luck story to tell 
and they're magnifying the devil and what he's doing, that drives people away. Hallelujah. Go tell what great things the Lord's done. Don't talk about what the devil's done. Tell what the Lord's done. Don't talk about the devil's power. Oh, things are getting bad. I'll tell you if inflation keeps on, I don't know what in the world we're going to do. No, talk about the Lord's compassion. If you can't think of anything else, bless God, remember David said, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Now his seed begging bread. Now that means without bread. Hallelujah. Doesn't it? Things are getting worse. Well, let them get worse. If God has to, he'll rain manna down from heaven on us. <laughs> Hallelujah. We won't go hungry. Praise the Lord. Yeah, but there's great famine coming throughout all the earth. Don't you know that? No, I don't know it. If it does, it don't bother me anyhow. I'll still eat well every day. Because if the Lord has to, he'll do just like he did. Bless God with Elijah, he'll send an angel down with something to eat. Praise God. Hallelujah. And send the ravens to bring something. Are you listening to me? I said, are you listening to me? You know, Elijah had those two experiences. The ravens, when he's back up there at the brook Cherith, the ravens brought him something to eat. And then when he was running from Jezebel, he got up under that tree and said, I just might as well die. I'm, you know, everybody else backs dead but me. And God came and corrected him and said, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And he'd run till he give out, you know. And, and, and some people said he fasted 40 days. No, no, the Bible said the angel came and brought him something to eat. And he went in the strength of what the angel gave him 40 days without eating. No, he wasn't on a fast. I mean, the angel come down and feed you something. You could probably go 40 days too in the strength of it. <laughs> There's only one man in the Bible that the Bible either said fasted 40 days and that was Jesus. Somebody said, well, Moses did. Well, no, no, Moses was up there in the glory world. Are you listening? You get up there in the glory, you can go without food too, and none of his bodily functions functioned. Are you listening to me? The glory of God came on him. Hallelujah, and the law was delivered to him. He was up there on the mountain. It wasn't that he was on a fast. He just caught up in the glory. You get caught up in the glory, and you think sometimes, I know I've been there, I've been caught up in that glory. You sometimes think two or three minutes had gone by, an hour or two is gone. Sister Woodworth Edward was caught up in that glory. Praise God for three days and nights. No bodily functions whatsoever. Three days and nights. She thought it had just been a few minutes when the, when the power lifted from her. And so you go in the strength of that. Praise God any length of time. But let it be as it may. Hallelujah. Thank God for his glory. Well, let's, let's wind this up. Praise God. Let's look at Matthew, the ninth chapter, the 35th, beginning to read with the 35th verse. Oh, are you getting anything out of this or not? But I'm, I'm being blessed. Praise God. The word of God's always a blessing, isn't it? And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, we start with the 35th verse. Just keep on reading. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that it will send forth labors into his harvest. Now let's go on reading into the 10th chapter. And when he had called unto him the 12, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. And... You can go on reading, we'll not read all it. Commanded them, saying, Go preach, heal the sick. Now, 
Notice that it was his compassion again. Did you notice that? Did you notice that it was his compassion? He had compassion upon the multitudes. His compassion toward the sick is now coming so well known that the harvest has become too great for the one reaper. His compassionate heart is full of yearning over the increasing numbers who could not reach him because of the press. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, it says. And so here, thank God he sent out the 12, and then again, finally, the 70 to do the same thing he was doing. He is the same compassionate Jesus now that he was then. Isn't he? Or is he? Hallelujah. Now, think on that. Feed on that until that registers on the inside of you. Don't just think about it at a time or two and let it get away from you. If it doesn't seem real to you, keep repeating it to yourself. Keep saying it. Keep reading every one of these scriptures about him being moved with compassion toward the sick until it gets down on the inside of you. This everybody stand. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah to Jesus. Well, let's go back here and look at our text again in conclusion. The 145th Psalm. Why don't you open your Bibles to the 145th Psalm. Now, I'm reading the King James translation. Some other translation might read slightly different, but it'll say virtually the same thing. But why don't you read with me that 8th and ninth verse verses and why don't you keep repeating those verses to yourself? Memorize them. In the nighttime, say them over and over and over and over and over again to yourself till they get on the inside of you. Now read it with me now. The 8th and ninth verse of the 145th Psalm, we'll all read together. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. I want us to read it again in just a moment. I want you to think about when we read the part where it said, full of compassion of great mercy. Think about these scriptures, the several of them we read, about he had compassion on them and healed them. That has to do with his compassion, doesn't it? Moved with compassion toward them, it says. Hallelujah. Like I said, that's almost new thinking to us. We, we have no trouble at all thinking about his mercy extended toward the sinner to forgive him. But remember, his mercy, his compassion is extended toward the sick. All right, let's read it again. Read it with me. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagin Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, 
M9A4X3. You could open your Bibles to the 145th Psalm. We're using for a text in this series the 8th and 9th verses. 8th and 9th verses of the 145th Psalm. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Isn't that wonderful to know? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I think about as I read this verse, or these two, and we'll read the other in a moment. Something that Smith Wigglesworth said. He would say, get acquainted with the Father, or God, through the Word. He said, some people try to get acquainted with God through feelings. But get acquainted with the Father, God, through the Word. He's everything the Word says He is. Hallelujah. He's everything the Word says He is. Well, the Word says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. So we're talking about the Lord's compassion. And we made mention of this fact that uh, both in the Hebrew and the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament written in Greek. But in the Hebrew, the same noun that's translated mercy is also translated compassion, identically the same one. Then coming to the New Testament, the Greek verb that's translated have mercy, the same Greek verb is also translated have compassion. Same word. The Greek adjective is defined merciful. It's also defined compassionate. So the same word is used. Then we gave you a definition of what it means to have compassion. It means to love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. Now, with those thoughts in mind concerning compassion, let's go over again some scripture here in the New Testament that shows the Lord's compassion. First of all, Mark, the first chapter. Gospel according to Mark, first chapter, 40 through the 45th verse. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Now notice here that it was the compassion of Christ that moved him to heal the leper, wasn't it? Then in Matthew, the 14th chapter, 13th and 14th verses, speaking of Jesus, it said, He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth 
and saw a great multitude. Now notice, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed them. What moved him to heal them? Compassion. compassion. He's moved compassion. Now let us look again at the 20th chapter of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through 34. As they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus said, What will they? Skip down that a little bit, and you see, he said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now again, I want you to notice that these two blind men asked for the mercy of having their eyes open. And Jesus granted unto them the mercy of healing. He had compassion, same Greek word. Now that proves that healing is a mercy as well as forgiveness. You see, our problem is that we, we believe forgiveness is a mercy, but these scriptures prove that healing is a mercy. Now is Jesus any less merciful or compassionate today than he was yesterday? No, thank God he isn't. Another important fact that we should consider is this, that the sick in those days when seeking healing ask for mercy. Did you notice that? They said, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Jesus said, what will ye that I do unto you that we may receive our sight? That was the mercy that they wanted extended towards them. And so uh, in our day, like I said, most people think of mercy is applying only to the sinner, not knowing that his mercy is also extended to the sick. Thank God it is. Then in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 is another verse that we considered. Notice Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It would pay you to write down all these verses and continue to feed upon them, continue to think upon them, continue to meditate upon them until they register down here on the inside of you, become a part of your inner consciousness. That's when they work for you. Now here Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Notice that's in the plural. Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now, thank God that's who he is. No wonder Wigglesworth said, get acquainted with the Father through the Word. He's the Father of mercies. Now, Paul, who called God the Father of mercies, proved it by healing all the sick on the island of Melita. And then you remember that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, one of the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the merciful, or the Greek words also translated compassionate in the New Testament. Blessed are the compassionate for they shall obtain mercy. We pointed out the fact that Job was healed 
when he prayed for his friend. And according to one of the Beatitudes, you see, that we just quoted, he obtained mercy by showing it. Now, referring and accounting uh, for the healing of Job's healing, James says in James 5.11, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And then he follows that with the direction of the church as any, or to the church as any sick among you. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anoint all the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith to save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sin, it shall be forgiven him. Now you see, in other words, what he's saying here in this fifth chapter of James is that because the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, then let any sick in the church today, as well as Job, obtain their healing also. Praise God. Now then, uh, in the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, about uh, Jesus having compassion upon this man out of the tombs, possessed with the devil, had a legion, who cut himself with stones, who broke the chains with which they had often tried to bind him. And uh, as the people, those that kept the swine, told it and people ran out of the city to see what had happened, they saw the man uh, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And uh, they were afraid. They didn't know what all happened. They, they besought Jesus to depart out of their coast. And this man, he was so glad for deliverance that he besought Jesus that he might go with him. Now notice the 19th and 20th verses particularly. Read the whole, whole account. But the 19th and 20th verses said, uh, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, that is, the man besought Jesus that he might go with him. So Jesus suffered him not. In other words, wouldn't let him go. But saith unto him, Go home, go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. Now notice. And hath had compassion on thee. Now notice how the Lord's compassion is mentioned. Jesus himself mentions it in connection with the deliverance of this man from this terrible condition. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And so the 20th verse says, and he, that's the man that had been delivered, departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Now, it is very interesting to note, as a result of this one man's testimony, publishing what? The compassion. What did Jesus tell him to tell? Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. That's what he told him to tell, wasn't it? Well, what do you suppose he published? Hallelujah. Or told, in other words. Just what Jesus told him. So now let's see the result of this one man's testimony given to advertise the Lord's compassion. You turn back to the 15th chapter of Matthew, the 30 to 31st verses, and really, uh, if you just read the text, you won't know that without examining the chapter closely, but that it, it happened here in, in Decapolis where he told him to go tell it. And great multitudes, now I insert in Decapolis, this is in Decapolis, came unto him 
having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitudes wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Hallelujah. Now, here's some interesting facts to notice, that it was not their being sick, as some teach today, but their being healed that caused the great multitude to glorify the God of Israel. Brother Bosworth, who wrote Christ the Healer, and he has a chapter in that book on the Lord's compassion. In fact, I got my outline from that chapter. He makes this statement. He says, oh, how much glory would come to God as well as blessings to the world if every minister today would present clearly the Bible promises for healing to the sick. And then as soon as each one was healed, he in turn published the Lord's compassion throughout his Decapolis. Hallelujah. Brother Bosworth went on to say, in a short time, thousands upon thousands everywhere who are now sick would obtain faith in Christ for healing. It would then again be said of the multitudes that they glorified God, the God of Israel. Now I'm continuing to quote from Brother Bosworth. He said, it stated concerning this man that he published. Well, in those days, they didn't have printing presses and so on. He published it by just telling it. That's what Jesus told him to go tell. He published the Lord's compassion. Hallelujah. Brother Bosworth said, some oppose and write articles against us. He's talking about his ministry there and yesterday for publishing the testimonies of those who are miraculously healed. He asked the question, what is the matter? Is there anything wrong in obeying the Lord's command to make known his deeds among the people? Since Jesus died to open the way for his mercies to reach all the needs of man, we surely ought to be willing for them to know it. Hallelujah. Brother Bosworth went on to say, one would think to read some of the books and articles that have been written, and uh, the same thing's true today, as was true then, that it's a crime to let the people know about the Lord's compassion. But thank God it isn't. Hallelujah. It's our duty. It's our duty to do so. Hallelujah. Now, you'll notice in these scriptures that we have been reading and looking at, as a result of the healings that took place, uh, Jesus' healing fame spread abroad. And you read there at the end of that first chapter of Mark, down that 45th verse, I didn't read that far, but you read right at the end of that 45th verse, it says they came to him from every quarter. And then you'll notice in these other scriptures that it talks about a multitude and a great multitude. And it says they followed him on foot out of the cities. And so you'll find that when people find out, same thing's true today, that the same compassion of Jesus is at work today, they'll, they're, they're ready to come follow him. And uh, Brother Bosworth went on to say that in, in his day, in his meetings, as soon as it was the compassion of the Lord was made known in healing, that he found that people came from every quarter, from the Methodist quarter, from the Baptist quarter, from the Catholic quarter, from the Christian Science quarter, 
from the unity quarter, from the spiritualist quarter, from the Jewish quarter, from the poor man's quarter, from the rich man's quarter, I'm quoting Bosworth, and from every quarter, hallelujah, to be healed. And so it should be, it should be so. Hallelujah. Now, another thing that I noticed Brother Bosworth made mention of, that, uh, that uh, some of those early day ministers, uh, they all had problems along this line. I remember reading after uh, uh, Sister Woodworth Edder, who was mightily used of God as a woman evangelist at the turn, well, before the turn of the century, from about 1885 and then on up to 1922 or three. And uh, she was an evangelist at first and got people saved. And, and, and when God began to deal with her about ministering healing, because people started getting healed sort of automatically in her service, she thought, you know, well, she's out to get people saved that is going to take away from the salvation, you know, the, the, the people being born again ministry. But, uh, you know, she found out to her utter amazement that where she reached a, a few score of people with the salvation message that when she began to preach divine healing, she got hundreds of them saved. And Brother Bosworth pointed out the same thing. He said, because, see, he was in the ministry and believed uh, sort of uh, uh, maybe not as strongly in divine healing as he did later. But he thought the same thing, you see, that he's an evangelist and that it would hinder, you know, to go, go to preaching healing and ministering to the sick by laying on of hands and anointing oil would maybe hinder his evangelistic ministry. See, he didn't know what we know. And we've learned a lot about what we know from him and others. But he said he found out that when he obeyed the Lord and began to speak more boldly concerning Christ's compassion and willingness to heal the sick, that he got more people saved in one week's time than he did in a whole year beforehand. Hallelujah to Jesus. And it'll work. What, what brought the crowds and the multitudes here? It was the Lord's compassion to heal that was displayed. Isn't that what brought the crowd? You will find out that the same thing's true today in present day healings as was true in healings in those days. Now here's something else Brother Bosworth said. I want to quote. He said, if Christ and his apostles could not draw the multitudes without miracles, does he expect any more from us? He went on to say, instead of the ministry of healing diverting from the more important matter of salvation, we've seen more happy conversions in a single week than we ever saw in a whole year of evangelistic work during the years before the Lord led us to preach this part of the gospel in a bolder and more public way. Hallelujah. I remember I was uh, preaching in uh, Dallas, Texas on one occasion. Well, in fact, I was there, in the, you know, for seven whole weeks in a meeting. And the pastor had a daily radio program, and most all time, that whole time, I spoke on, on his radio program. Then he went away on a leave of absence, and, uh, and I stayed on to preach there at the church. And I ran day services right on through for another three months after the seven weeks was over. We was there 23 weeks altogether with day teaching service at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then after a seven weeks revival, though, with services each night except Saturday, well, then I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night, uh, and Friday night, and radio every day. And I was preaching some of these same truths about healing, and so a lady wrote in, 
and said, why do you preach so much about healing? You know, because that's about all I was preaching on the radio. She said, uh, don't you know, you know, that being born again, remission of sins and the new birth is the most important thing. You know, that's what you ought to be preaching instead of preaching. Why, you know, do you? And she wanted me to answer you, see. So I answered her by letter and also answered her on the radio. And I said, just read her letter. You know, somebody wrote in, why do you preach so much about healing? Don't you know it's more important to get people saved? I said, that's the reason I preach on healing. Because you see, I, as I went on to explain that I began my ministry as Baptist, I was healed and believed in healing, prayed for the sick by laying on the hands and anointing the oil. I, I prayed for them privately. I didn't pray for them publicly in the Baptist church, but I did preach it publicly. And I, my message, my main message, is what we call evangelistic type of message. We got a few people saved. But I said, since I have followed the Lord, in, just like Bosworth did, more boldly proclaiming, hallelujah, his willingness to heal, where I used to get 10 people saved, I get 100 saved. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. So I'm getting more people saved than ever did before. In fact, I said I get in one year's time, said on the radio now, in one year's time preaching on healing, I got more people saved in one year than I did 15 years put together before. Hallelujah. Amen. So it is a great hallelujah. It's a mighty evangelistic agency. Healing is, isn't it? Praise God. Now, the ninth chapter of Matthew, ninth chapter of Matthew, let's begin to read with the 35th verse. We look at another passage concerning the Lord's compassion. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that we will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now as we go on reading into the 10th chapter, and when he had called unto him the 12, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. And as we read on, you'll find he commanded them saying, go preach and heal the sick. Now you see his compassion toward the sick is now becoming so well known that the harvest has become too great for just the one reaper. And his compassionate heart is full of yearning over the increasing numbers who could not reach him because of the press. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Hallelujah. And so therefore, his compassion, you see, compelled him, so to speak, to thrust forth other laborers to heal as well as to preach. Notice what his ministry consisted of. He went throughout their cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. And so uh, he expects the same harvest 
praise God today as then. His harvest, Brother Bosworth said, is not only the same in character in our day, but it is also much greater than when he was here. And because his compassion is still the same, he wants the same kind of reapers to reap the same harvest or results by preaching and healing in all the cities and villages. Then Brother Bosworth went on to say, his compassion manifested through these 12 new laborers soon necessitated the thrusting forth of 70 more empowered to preach and to heal. Labors of this kind are few today while the harvest truly is plenteous beyond what it was then. Amen. What he was beginning to do and to teach is exactly what he wants done and taught everywhere. I'm still quoting Brother Bosworth. Then as I go on to quote Brother Bosworth, he said, instead of ending something, according to the modern idea, he was starting something, which he promised to continue and increase, not the 20th century gospel, but this gospel that he proclaimed, he said, shall be preached in all the world. Now here's a good example of preaching that gospel in all the world in the 14th chapter of Acts. Turn there and we'll look at it for just a moment. 14th chapter of Acts concerning the ministry of Paul or Saul and Barnabas at Lystra. Now you'll notice Acts 14.7 it says, and there, speaking about Lystra, Derby and cities of Lyconia and the regions that rieth around about, and there they preached the gospel. And in the eighth verse it said, there at Lystra, there sat a certain crippled man by, you see, who was crippled from his mother's womb and never had walked. The same, the ninth verse said, the same, this crippled man, heard Paul speak, who steadfastly, that is Paul, steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, uh, let's notice it again, that uh, the man was healed because he had faith, not because Paul had faith for him. He's healed because he had faith. Where did he get faith? Well, we remember the scriptures tell us that faith comes by hearing him by the word of God in Romans 10, 17. And we know this verse right here said, that ninth verse of the same, the man, the crippled man heard Paul speak. He got faith to be healed from a lifelong crippled condition from hearing Paul speak. Paul said something that caused faith to come. But what did he say? Seventh verse, and there, including Lystra, there they, Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, preached the gospel. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. hallelujah. Now, uh, one could readily see then that uh, what some people call the gospel today is not the gospel. 
This gospel shall be preached, Jesus said, to all the world as a witness to every nation. Then shall the end come. What gospel? What gospel? You see, uh, could people be healed by hearing what some people call the gospel being preached? No, no. They wouldn't have faith to be healed. They'd have faith to suffer. Because, you see, you hear people, I mean, in charismatic circles, full gospel circles, well, it's not the will of God to heal everybody. Now, is that gospel truth? No, no, it isn't. I said, no, it isn't. Well, of course, then if you hear that immediately, you, uh, the devil will tell you, now you're one of them that it's not his will to heal. Morning. Did he ever tell you that? Did me. You're one of them. Then you'll hear others preaching the gospel. Well, now, you see, they get suffering all mixed up. You know, they think, you know, that having a cancer or tuberculosis or tumor or something is suffering. No, no, the Bible talks about suffering. If we, if we suffer with him, talking about Jesus, we'll also reign with him. But now how did he suffer? With a high fever? No, no, I never, I never read that anywhere about Jesus. Did you? Did he suffer with leprosy? No. Did he suffer with uh, tuberculosis? No. Now, what did he suffer? Now, you see, when he's talking about if we suffer with him, he couldn't be talking about him going to the cross and dying because we don't have to go to the cross and die and shed blood because he's done that for us. He's talking about suffering, opposition, persecution. Amen. Now, if you're not being persecuted or opposed, you're not in the will of God. I'm talking about if you're a preacher, especially if you're a preacher. Amen. Are you, are you listening to me? Amen. You just mark it down right now. But you see, what happens is people bless their hearts. You want to help them so badly, but if they won't listen, there's no way to help them. See, remember what Paul said, writing to the young man, Timothy, who was a young minister of the gospel. He said, study, study. Well, now to study, you have to use your brain. I think that's one great mistake that full gospel people have done. They've used every other part of their being except their head. <laughs> they almost seem to think it's a sin to use your head, but it's not. Study, study. Amen. <laughs> to show thyself, to prove unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now notice, that's not all of it. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's so easy not to rightly divide the word of truth. And if you don't rightly divide it, you'll bring confusion. Are you listening to me? 
rightly dividing the word of truth. I make mention of the fact sometime that I was holding a meeting in 1957, the month of February, in the city of Los Angeles, California. And I picked up the Los Angeles Times during the month of February of 1957. And on the front page, I saw a picture of a man alighting from an airplane out at the airport there. A reporter was there, photographer was there to get his picture. Then in reading this article on the very front page, you, know, you had to know that this man was a man of some fame and renown. Uh, they said they didn't know that he was coming, but it would learn when they had learned from some source that, uh, you know, after he was already airborne, that he was on his way, you see, there to Los Angeles. He was the president of a college and seminary back east. Very, you could readily understand, very man of renown and fame. So when they heard that he was on this plane, then the Los Angeles Times sent a reporter and a photographer there to interview him and get his picture, you see, and put it right on the front page. Uh, and I got to town, they didn't interview me, put me on the front page. So you know he had to be of some renown and fame. And so the reporter asked him why he had come to Los Angeles, and he said, well, it's a combination of both business and pleasure. He's going to be there for several weeks. And uh, so he had come, you see, for some vacation to get out of the snow in the winter back in the east, February, you know. And then also he didn't state what his business was. It wasn't anybody's business, you know. Then in the process of time, about a week later, I picked up the Los Angeles Times, and I noticed this same man was speaking at one of the seminaries there in the Los Angeles area. There's a number of them there. And again, they sent the reporter out there and, and gave almost his whole address. They took the back page of the first section, number one section, and, and put his whole address in the paper. So you know for him to put virtually the whole address. You know, they, they might, have, might have edited it down a little bit, but, but the whole back page, you see. Well, you know that he had to be a man of some fame and renown. Now, you see, he's speaking here at, that, uh, at this seminary, you see, where they're turning out preachers. And so he said in the course, and, and so I read it very carefully, word for word. And in the course of his speech, lecture, to the student body and the faculty of this renowned seminary, he said, I am going to revive an old argument. Now, you see, a lot of people don't know this unless you've studied on a higher level, seminary level. You won't necessarily get it in some Bible schools. And that is this. He went on to say this. There has, as you seminary students know and as theologians know, there has raged for the past 400 years in theological circles and seminaries, a debate. Who's right? Paul or Jesus? Because, see, he went on to say, and he pointed out a few scriptures. Some things Paul says in his letter to the churches contradicts what Jesus said in the gospel, vice versa. Some things Jesus said in the gospels contradicts what Paul said in the uh, epistles. Now one example 
and I'll not go into it. This is the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about marriage and man and woman and so on. You try to interpret the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians in light of what Jesus said in the Gospels and you become hopelessly confused and can't find the answer. So this great learned man, supposedly a man of fame and renown, said, well, I'm sure Paul was a good man. Well, I'm glad he was, but he's more than a good man. He's a man of God. But I'm prone to follow Jesus. Now, you see, that sounds very religious. Most anybody would have said, well, you wouldn't find fault with somebody following Jesus. But I thought to myself, now, here's a man with all these years of education and all those initials on the end of his name. And he's talking to people here that are seminary. They're, they're students that have already graduated from university. Now then they're over in seminary working on further degrees. Four more years. Some of them are about to graduate of eight years, four years of university, four years of seminary. They're about to, they're about to graduate and, and they're all confused. Education doesn't have the answer. Now, it's very simple. I thought to myself, is that read that? Here's, here's, here's just an old boy, you know, that uh, didn't go to Bible school. God just raised up as a teenager from the bed of sickness and healed me miraculously. But the answer is so simple, you see, that, that I could see it. I said to myself, is that read that? Why can't this learned man see that? The answer is very simple. Who's right? He said, Paul or Jesus? I'm prone to follow Jesus. I said to myself out loud, both of them are right. You're not rightly dividing the word of truth. What Jesus said, he was talking to the Jews. It didn't apply to the Gentile. Paul is talking to the church. It don't apply to the Jews. Are you listening? Very, very simple. All you got to do is just do what Paul himself said do. Rightly divide. Rightly divide. Well, you see, that same thing's true on this suffering bit. People are not rightly dividing. You see, it's strange. They'll, they'll take these scriptures now. I'm just reading after one. Bless his heart. You'd think, dear God, what's wrong with him? I'm like Bosworth almost. I just can't understand them. I mean, I can't understand their thinking. Here's this ministry's wife's got a nervous breakdown. She's in the psychiatric ward. Here's his daughter, got a malignant, operated on for a malignancy. And uh, he's supposed to believe in divine healing. Well, that doesn't mean it's wrong for her to be operated on. I'm just bringing out the fact that he didn't know where he's, what, what's what, you know. And so he gained great comfort in that Jesus suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. So then that's what's happening to him through his wife in the psychiatric ward and his daughter being operated on. He's suffering with Jesus. But you see, there's no, there's no comparison there. Is there? No. I said, is there? No. None. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. No. You will suffer persecution. Uh, the Bible said it's coming. Now, that's one promise that a lot of people don't claim. Isn't that strange? <laughs> they don't claim that one. See, he said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You ever hear anybody claim that one? 
I point out sometimes we're great. We're really great to claim this over here in, in Mark. You know, all of you are acquainted with that one over there in Mark, aren't you? About the hundredfold return. You want to turn over and read that with me? Tenth chapter. Tenth chapter of Mark. Now let's, let's read it. You know, it's amazing when you read the whole context why, how different it looks. Let's start reading the 28th verse of the 10th chapter of Mark. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, we have left all, and have followed thee. Now somebody said that one of the simplest rules of Bible interpretation is who's doing the talking, who they're talking to, and what they're talking about. Well, Peter's doing the talking. He's talking to Jesus. He's talking about having left all and followed him. Then see what's happening here. He's talking about people that have left all and followed Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Amen. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left. See, we have left all, Peter said. We, we the apostles, we've left all and have followed thee. Isn't it? No man hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife. That don't mean now that you run off and left your wife with some other woman. That means sometime if God called you, you may have to go. I had to go leave my wife, our children, leave my children. Because they've got to be educated. No, it's not right to leave those children with somebody else. Unscriptural, unholy, ungodly. If I can think of something else, I'd say it. <laughs> Don't go off and leave your children. Well, we're going to get the world saved. Now, no, you're not going to get the world saved. Your children are going to hell while you're out trying to get the world saved. Not worth it. So if God called you to go, well, then somebody's going to have to stay home, see that those children are seen after and taught and raised and educated. And it's not easy. I tell students all the time, don't you go unless it's a life and death proposition, unless you have to. Then God will make it up to you. Oh, you listen to me. I had to. I didn't want to go. I tried not to go. Had a heart attack and fell off the pew. The only way in the world I could live was me and my wife make a consecration, dedication, we'll obey God. Come to find out then God had spoken to her in an audible voice. And so we made the dedication to obey God. That's where suffering comes in. Not, not suffering with disease and sickness, but brother, there's plenty of suffering involved here. Gone from your family in 85, 90% of the time. Man, you stay in hotel rooms and motel rooms and get so lonesome till you want to just get up and kick all the window lights out. <laughs> Amen, that's the truth. It's not easy. Not easy. Not easy at all. And uh, you, you go, you know, many a time, I never let them see it, but many a time I drove away from the house. I, I drove away weeping. Weeping. But uh, God said, go. He said, no man hath forsaken you know, not that I have left, rather, left. You don't forsake them. I have left houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel. You see, he, he's not just talking about any and everybody here. He's talking about certain ones. Now, notice. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Now, everybody hasn't got a right to claim the hundredfold blessing. Don't try to claim it. That's the reason you're going to fall right flat on your face. 
Are you listening to me? Might as well read the whole thing, find out what it said. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Under what conditions? What he's just got through stating in the previous verse. A hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Now, did you ever hear anybody claim the persecutions part? <laughs> I'm claiming the whole hundredfold blessings with persecutions. You can't have the hundredfold blessings without the persecution. Don't think you're going to claim part of it. They go together. Are you hearing me? Well, read it for yourself. With persecutions. And so, uh, you see, a lot of times people get all mixed up about this suffering business. Bless their hearts. No, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Hallelujah. Now, what did, what, what did Paul preach down here? Could this man, this crippled man down in the 14th chapter of Acts, could he have been healed from this lifelong crippled condition by Paul teaching? Well, now, now some children are born crippled and some are born this way and you know, that's the will of God. Would he have had faith? No. No, he wouldn't. I said, no, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. And yet it plainly stated that he had faith to be healed. He had faith to be healed. Now, could he have received faith to be healed by hearing that God's mercy and that Jesus' mercy only is extended toward the sinner in the forgiveness of sins. No, he could have had faith to receive forgiveness of sins. But he got more than that. Paul must of a necessity have preached that the Lord in his great compassion not only shed his blood that we might be redeemed from sin, but that himself took our infirmities and by our sicknesses. And he believed that. Now, as far as I know, and I'm sure that the Bible would have told, as far as I know, this is the only man in that crowd that got healed. Wouldn't you think the Bible, always before it was, was when there's a multitude healed, told us there's a multitude healed. Or when everyone in the crowd was healed, it said every one of them was healed, didn't it? I said, didn't it? Yes. Here it tells us about one man being healed. Well, there wasn't just one man there listening. Was there? No. Because we can readily see as you go on reading the chapter that there's a crowd around there. And that they wanted, the crowd wanted to, uh, you know, they call uh, Paul and Barnabas Jupiter and Mercurius, you know, the gods. You know, they wanted to worship in the gods. Paul said, we're just men like you. I mean, well, now why, you couldn't get a crowd together without the majority of them needing a healing touch in their body. Why didn't the rest of them get healed? Well, first, they didn't have faith to be healed. Well, why didn't they have faith to be healed? Because they, they weren't hearing what was said. They didn't hear what was said. Remember those verses we've looked at again and again, the fifth chapter of Luke and the sixth chapter of Luke, about the multitude came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Came to hear and to be healed. Amen. Well, why didn't the Lord just go ahead and heal him anyhow? Why, why this just one man? Because he had faith to be healed. He heard the gospel. He heard what was said. Praise God. Well, are we doing, what, what kind of gospel have we got to preach? Should we preach the same gospel Paul preached? 
Huh? If we preach the same gospel Paul preached, will it produce the same results? Yeah. Well, now you see, though, the problem is a lot of times that, uh, did you ever notice this? I've noticed it for years in meetings that we hold. It's more easy to get people healed outside the church than there's people inside the church. Now why? Because you see so many people, when I say the church, I'm not, you know, this, the church may be all kinds of denominations. But see, they've heard so much where people outside sometimes haven't heard or else didn't pay attention to it. And they'll just come in and believe, you know, and just receive just right off. I've been right in full gospel churches, you know, and people come, sinners come from the outside, get saved, heal miraculously. You know, made mention of the fact about a Methodist lady one time about walk right out of the wheelchair. She'd had two strokes, was paralyzed, tied to that wheelchair, walk right out of the wheelchair on Sunday night in a meeting I was holding. Praise God, just rejoicing. Her daughter-in-law had been healed, raised up from a deathbed the same week. The very next morning in the morning service when I got through teaching in the 10 o'clock service, here came a lady of that congregation, just mad. I want to ask you something. Well, I said, all right, what is it? Well, now how come God to heal them two Methodist women? And he won't heal me. And I belong right here to this full gospel church. I speak with tongues and they don't, I guess, don't even believe in it. They never, they never even heard it. As soon as they heard it and I laid hands on them, they both got filled and started talking in tongues. But how come he won't heal me? She started crying. I tried to live right and do right. And I've been in this church 15 years. Well, I tried to help her with the same scripture I did those women. But you know what? She wouldn't hear it. Oh, yeah, she stood there all right. I mean, her natural ear heard it, I guess. But she said, well, yeah, I know all them scriptures are in there, Brother Hagen. I've read every one of them. See, I gave her Isaiah 53, 4, 5, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24. Same scriptures I gave the Methodist ladies who had never heard. Yeah, I believe all them scriptures, Brother Hagen. I've read every one of them. I know they're all in there. But now let me tell you what I believe about it. I said, sister, that's what's got you in the mess you're in. You're going by what you believe about it instead of what the Bible said about it. Well, she bristled up and said, I've got a right to my beliefs. I said, no, you don't. You don't have any more right to your beliefs than I have a right to my beliefs. We do have a right to believe the Bible, Amen. not our beliefs. You know, that's the things that defeat a lot of Christians. They believe their beliefs and ignore the Bible. Amen. Forget about your beliefs. Go to believe what the Bible said. Yeah, but now I'll tell you, I just believe that when God gets ready in his own good time and in his own good way, he's going to heal me. I said, well, he's not, and walked off and left her. Now, five years later, I'm back in that same church and that same woman still trying to get healed. See, God's good time and God's good way hadn't come yet. The Methodist woman all those five years is out of the wheelchair walking and rejoicing. I went back 10 years later. Same woman's in my meetings, still trying to get healed. Every healing line I had. Laid hands on her so many times, one who hadn't wore every hair off the top of her head. <laughs> I went back 15 years later in that area, not preaching like in the same church, but in another place right close by, a, a hall or a building, neutral place. She came, still trying to get healed. 15 years later, still not healed. God's good time, God's good you know, the time hadn't come yet. God hadn't took the notion to do it yet. So she's still suffering. She's enjoyed bad health for all these years. <laughs> and so, but you see, I was over 
in the other city preaching that this woman came from uh, that was raised up from the deathbed. And I called them on the phone, you know, and said, this is Brother Hagin, you know. I just, uh, they'd given me their, their address, you know, and I hadn't contacted them all these 15 years. So I looked in the phone book and sure enough, there's, Mrs., you know, there, there's people's name and address, same name and same address. And I got the number out of the phone book, so I dialed, you see, and I just said, a lady asked the phone, and I just said, this is Brother Hagin. She said, oh, you mean Kenneth Hagin? I said, yes. Glory to God. You remember I was healed 15 years ago in your meeting? Yeah, I said, I know it. I just called him to see if, you know, how you're doing. Oh, she said, I'm still just in perfect hell. Raised up from a deathbed. Doctor said she had to die. Just in perfect hell. Oh, my husband would be disappointed. He's not here. Something happened to church tonight. I said, you know, we were Methodists. I said, yes, I knew that. But she said, remember, you laid hands on us and we got the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues. Yes. Well, she said, we went and told our pastor because, see, we teach Sunday school class in the Methodist church. We told him, you may not want us now. We got the Holy Ghost. We talk with tongues. He said, oh, don't leave us now. Hang around here. Maybe you can get some of the rest of us filled. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. And so she said, we've just got any number. We're still in the Methodist church. We've even got him filled with the Holy Ghost. He's talking in tongues now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. And there the Pentecostal woman still a griping about. I'll, just, I'll tell you what I believe, though. God gets ready in his own good time, in his own good way. He's going to heal. That's not the gospel. I said, that's not the gospel. That's not believing the gospel. Believing the gospel is believing that Jesus' mercy, hallelujah, is reaching out toward the sinner. Praise God. And that he provided the new birth for you. Believing the gospel is believing that himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. It was because of his compassion, because of his tender love, because of his great mercy. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Had we a thousand voices, and if we lived for a thousand years, and if we praise God with a thousand voices for a thousand years, 24 hours a day, we could never praise him and thank him enough. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to read these verses again. Psalm 145, 8, 9, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Just put them together. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. That's my Father. That's my Father. That's my Father. Oh, that's my Father. That's my Father. Hallelujah. Get acquainted with the Father through the Word. Get acquainted with the Father through the Word. Like Wigglesworth said, I can't understand God through feelings. Feelings will vary. They'll be up and down, you know. But thank God, God is the same every day. Every day. Every day. He's still gracious today. He's still full of compassion today. He's still slow to anger. He's still of great mercy. He's still good to all. All, A-double-L, all. Amen. And his tender mercies are over all his works. 
Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Oh, thou art the Father of mercies. Thou art my Father. Thou hast had mercy upon me. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> oh, glory to God. They're still following me. They're still following me. Goodness and mercy. He's good to all. Hallelujah. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3. Thank you, Father, again for the privilege to come together in the name of Jesus, to lift our voices in prayer and praise and adoration and thanksgiving unto Thee for Thy loving kindnesses and tender mercies which are ours. Thank you for your precious Holy Word and for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and guide. We trust Him today to unveil and unfold the Word of God to our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. We're using for the text in our present series of lessons the 145th Psalm, the 8th and 9th verses. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. We have been talking to you about the Lord's compassion. First of all, in the scripture, compassion and mercy mean the same thing. We pointed out that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew noun that's translated mercy, the same word is also translated compassion all through the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, the Greek verb that's translated have mercy is also translated have compassion, identically the same word. And then the Greek adjective that's defined merciful is also defined compassionate. So they, they mean identically the same thing. To have compassion, a definition of compassion, to have compassion is to love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy, to be full of eager yearning. Now with those thoughts in mind, I'm going to read again today a scripture that we've already looked at about the compassion of Jesus in connection with healing. First of all, in... Uh, Mark, the first chapter, and you can read the 40th through the 45th verse. I'll read most of it. Mark, chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, notice the reading. I'm reading in King James. Jesus moved with compassion, 
put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thy clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Now here's the thought that I want you to notice, that it was compassion that moved Christ to heal this leper. That was a display of his compassion in healing the man. Now notice Matthew, the 14th chapter, the 13th and 14th verses. He departed, that is Jesus, departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, now notice, and was moved with compassion toward them. Now, what did his compassion toward them compel him to do? Notice the next statement. And he healed their sick. You know, I think, uh, as I've said before, I'll say it again. Anything that's, that's good is worth saying more than once, isn't it? I think that, uh, that the compassion of the Lord in connection with healing has been hid from us in that uh, it has been put forth that Jesus healed the sick only to prove his deity. And, and yet you don't find that, that kind of statement. You, in all of these cases of healing, not one single time does it ever say to prove his deity or to prove his divinity, he healed them. Not once. Not one single time. You can't ever find that in there. Well, why say it if the Bible doesn't say it then? See? But you see, if you say that, then that veils his compassion. But you see, it says here again and again, he was moved with compassion. He healed the sick, not because of his divinity or deity, but because of his compassion. His compassion compelled him to do it. Thank God he's the same compassionate Lord today. Now again, in Matthew, the 20th chapter, Matthew, the 20th chapter, the 29th through the 34th verse. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, cried out, saying, have mercy on us. What did they cry out? What was their prayer? Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now Jesus stopped, you know, and so on. And then it says, Jesus said to him, what will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. See, that's, that's what they're asking for, the mercy that they're asking for. Now, you see, we don't think of mercy in connection with healing. We, we think of mercy in connection with the forgiveness or remission of sins. We think of the mercy of God extended toward the sinner but is he any less merciful to the sick? You see, they're asking not for sins to be forgiven. That would be mercy, all right. Have mercy on us. See, well, what would you then I do unto you? Well, they didn't say that you'd forgive our sins, that we might receive our sight. That's mercy too. Hallelujah, that's mercy too. Are you listening? That's the mercy they asked for. And so Jesus had compassion. Or again, the Greek words also translated mercy. He had mercy. They asked for mercy. That's what they got. He had mercy. He had compassion or mercy on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. 
Now let's analyze what happened here. These two blind men asked for the mercy of having their eyes opened. Jesus granted unto them the mercy of healing, proving that healing is a mercy as well as forgiveness. Hallelujah. Praise God. Another thought is that the sick in those days when seeking healing ask for mercy. Now, like I said, in our day, most people think of mercy as applied only to the sinner, not knowing that his mercy is also extended to the sick. Then another scripture that we looked at was 2 Corinthians 1, 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Oh, hallelujah. You see, that verse of Scripture unveils my Father to me. It unveils the character of God. And I don't think that so many times we as Christian people see God, our Father, in the light that we should. Like I've said many times before, some people, their picture of God is, you know, like maybe a traffic cop just waiting to blow the whistle. That's all he's waiting to do. Just wait until you do something wrong. He's going to blow the whistle on you. Or they see God like an austere judge that's just waiting with his gavel in his hand. Just the minute you do wrong, he's going to smite you. Or they see God like some fellow, you know, with a fly swatter. Just as soon as you light, he's going to squash you. <laughs> that's all he's doing, just waiting to get the chance to let you have it. Well, he is against wrongdoing, all right. Thank God he is a God of justice. But thank God he's the Father of mercies. Hallelujah. I said he's the Father of mercies. So like a fellow, one time uh, I remember after I'd received the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a young Baptist boy preacher, and uh, I was holding a meeting then in the full gospel church. And so, you know, like in, in revivals and so on, especially just coming out of the Baptist, we'd always have some, somebody, you know, that would be a special singer, you know. And so I got a fellow to go along with me. He was a full gospel person, too. And he, he sang beautifully, blessed the people. He played the guitar and sang. And he did a good job of it, blessed the folks. So we were driving one night to this revival meeting some distance away. And then, then again, it came in handy. I didn't have an automobile and he owned one so we could go in his, you know. I did buy the gas. <laughs> and so uh, he was telling me because he, uh, in his depression days, and he had a, ran a little business. And, and so uh, he was sort of what we call a lay preacher. He never did have, you know, just full-time ministry, but he'd fill in, you know, he'd sing mostly. But if some pastor, you know, happened to have to be gone or something, he'd fill in for him in a case of emergency. And some pastor had contacted him. He, case of emergency had arisen. He's going to be gone. Would you, would you take care of my Wednesday night service? And so, yeah, he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Well, in his place of business, uh, he didn't just operate eight hours. Back there in those depression days, boy, he was open nearly every hour. You could be open, get every nickel in you could, you know. And so then some other things had come up and he was busy, you know, and didn't have time really to do a lot of praying except just on the run and no studying at all. 
And so he, he's running late anyway, and he got in his car to rush to this place. And he had to go through two or three little old towns to get there, you know. And he's going along trying to meditate, you know, on Scripture. And didn't realize what he's doing. And in one of these small towns, they didn't have but two red lights in the whole town. He ran one of them. <laughs> and he said about that time, you know, he, he heard a siren, looked up, and there's a red, another red light flashing right behind him, you know. And so he pulled over. And the cop came up, you know, and said, you realize what you did? Not only run a red light, but you're doing 35 miles an hour in a 25-mile zone. Well, he said, I said, officer, if you say so, it must have been so. Because he said, I, I didn't even know there's a red light back there, a signal light, you know. He didn't even see it because his mind was on something else, you know. Well, he said, you did. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give you a ticket for speeding. He said, it'll just, you know... It'd just be five dollars in those days, really. For, but for speeding, we'll just forget about that. The other, because said, and just he said, well, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to preach, and said I just simply uh, should have been about my business. But I'm just wrong. That's all there is to it. Just go ahead and write it out. So he wrote the ticket out. But something else, some other emergencies are written. In fact, in his business, uh, uh, for he's in the type of business where there's some machinery involved, and some of it broke down. And he spent every dollar he had to try to repair it to keep things going, you know. And, and so he said, I just went before the judge because I didn't have a dime. I couldn't even pay a $5 ticket. Depression days, $5 is a pretty good size ticket. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Sure. Because I know some men that didn't make but 7 or 8 or $10 a week. That's their whole salary, you see. And so he said, I just went for the judge when they called my name. Well, you know, the judge said, well, how do you plead? He said, well, I said, sir, uh, I'm, I'm guilty. If this young man, and he was there, the cop was there, said so, and said, I explained to him. And the judge said, well, that's no excuse. I mean, just because he's going to the service and so on and so forth. And he said, well, judge, he said, I'll tell you. Now, I don't have the money. I, I've, 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 every dime I've got's already spent. I don't have it. You could just have to put me in jail. That's all there is to it. Or they had what they called a county farm in those days. Sometimes they'd call it the pea patch. And you'd work your fine out, you know, on the county farm. You know? But he said, Judge, I'll tell you. He said, I, I didn't come here to plead for justice. I don't need that. Because if I get justice, I'm going to jail. <laughs> he said, I came here to plead for mercy. And he said, sir, I don't know whether you're a Christian or not. The judge said, well, yeah, I teach, I teach a Bible class in a certain church. Well, he said, then you ought to know the Bible. You remember in the Bible, the woman that's taken in adultery. And under the law, she's supposed to be stoned to death. And so they started to stone her and they asked Jesus about it. And he said, well, let him that's without sin cast the first stone. He stooped down and wrote something in the sand. When Jesus looked up, you know, everybody's gone. He said, woman, where are thine accusers? She said, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he said, I did wrong, all right. But now, if you'll have mercy upon me, I promise you I won't do that anymore. I'll go and sin no more. And he said, that judge, the Bible, you know, Bible teacher, he said, you mean that story's in the Bible? See, a lot of times people study Sunday school literature and they don't know what's in the Bible. And so he said, yeah, he happened to have his testament. He said, yeah. So he just opened it and showed it to the judge. The judge read it, you know. He said, well, case dismissed. He said, I'm going to teach that to my Sunday school class next Sunday. <laughs> Hallelujah. But the thought is, he needed mercy. He didn't need justice. He needed mercy. He's asking for mercy. Thank God God's the father of mercies. Isn't that good to know? 
He's not only the father of justice, he's the father of mercy. In fact, I don't even read where he said he's the father of justice. I know he is a God of justice, but he is the father of mercies. If he wasn't, there wouldn't be any of us here today. Thank God. But thank God, his mercy, now notice, it didn't say he's the father of mercy. That would be singular. Paul said he's the father of mercies. That's plural, isn't it? I said, isn't it? Now, you see, if he was just the father of one mercy, that is the mercy toward the center of forgiveness, then he would just be the father of mercy. But thank God he's the father of mercies. Hallelujah, isn't he? And he's in that mercy, there is healing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Well, now then we read another portion of scripture. And uh, let's notice this. In the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, and I would encourage you to read the whole story. I'm not going to read verse 1 through 20 of the fifth chapter of Mark. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to call your attention to the fact that here Jesus had compassion on this man in the tombs that was possessed with the devil and had the legion who cut himself with stones, who broke the chains with which they had often tried to bind him, and who wandered out there uh, in the, among the tombs, crying out day and night and cutting himself with stones and so on. Jesus had compassion upon him and delivered him. The man's delivered healed, clothed in his right mind. And he besought the Lord that he might remain with him. And in the 19th verse, it said, the fifth chapter of Mark, but Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them. Tell them what? What great things the Lord has done for thee and hath had compassion there's that word compassion again, on thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish it in Decapolis, how great thing Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Praise God forevermore. Now, you think about, because this man told about the compassion of Jesus. That's what Jesus told him to do. Tell what great things the Lord has done for thee and had had compassion on thee. I want you to notice the compassion, the mercy of the Lord in connection with healing. I want us to ask ourselves the question. You see, some people said, uh, well, now healing's not for us nowadays. Well, let's, let's put it another way. Is compassion for us. Is compassion for us? Is the Lord still compassionate or merciful? You see how we've been robbed of the blessings of God? Well, now, as a result of this man publishing or telling about the Lord's compassion, we read in Matthew 15, 30 through 31, and great multitudes. Now, I'll insert this. This is in Decapolis. You may not realize that without real close study of the word. But it is. Great multitudes in Decapolis. That's where he told him to tell it, to publish it in Decapolis. Came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them insomuch that the multitudes wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. 
Now all of that came about because of the testimony of this one man publishing or telling in other words about the Lord's compassion. Hallelujah to Jesus. Praise his holy name. Now then, let's look at another portion of scripture and that's into Matthew the ninth chapter. Here's another passage concerning the Lord's compassion. Matthew chapter 9, we'll start reading with verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth the labors into his harvest. Now going on to read into the 10th chapter of Matthew. And when he had called unto him the twelve, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And as we read on, it said he commanded them, saying, go preach and heal the sick. Now, Brother Bosworth brings out, I want to quote him now, he said, here his compassion toward the sick is now becoming so well known that the harvest has become too great for the one reaper. His compassionate heart is full of yearning over the increasing numbers who could not reach him because of the press. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Brother Bosworth went on to say, it is as though he was able to personally minister to but a portion of them. And his compassion for the rest of the rapidly growing multitudes is now moving him to thrust forth other laborers to heal as well as preach. Then Brother Bosworth went on, I'm quoting him now. He said, his harvest is not only the same in character in our day, but it is also much greater than when he was here. And because his compassion is still the same, thank God it is, then he wants the same kind of reapers to reap the same harvest are the same results by preaching and healing in all the cities and the villages. Brother Bosworth went on to say, his compassion manifested through these 12 new laborers soon necessitated the thrusting forth of 70 more. Remember the other 70 he sent out. Empowered to preach and to heal, laborers of this kind, Brother Bosworth said, are few today while the harvest truly is plenteous beyond what it was then. Well, praise God, that's the truth. Now then, I want you to open your Bibles to the John's Gospel. We're going to look at several scriptures here in John. So this opened them, first of all, to the 14th chapter. The ground I just went over, we'd already covered, but it's very interesting to go over it again, isn't it? And one thing I like about it, sometimes the Spirit of God leads you to say some new things about it you didn't say the other time. Amen. Now notice something here that Jesus emphatically taught and promised in John, the 14th chapter, the 12th and 13th verses. We've looked at them before here, approaching it from a little different angle, but 
we'll look at them again. Verily, verily, now this is the 12th verse, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Now what he's saying here is, what Jesus is saying is that the same mercy and the same compassion that he exercised or was moved by when he was here in person could reach the people today through our ministry. Because you see, he is there in heaven as our high priest. Now you notice he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works. Well, now what works did he, did he do? We just got through reading about some of them, didn't we? Move with compassion. He healed them. Hallelujah. More than once we read it, didn't we? I said, didn't we? Well, we could put it this way then. Looking at it from this angle, uh, these, we, we could insert it like this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works of compassion that I did shall ye do also. That would not be an injustice, would it, to, to read that like that? But it would really tell the story. Now why? Why, why is it that, that the works that I do, the works of compassion, and even greater works, I notice he said that you're going to do them. Who's going to do them? The apostles? No. The early church? No. He that believeth on me. How many of you believe on him? Hallelujah. He that believeth on me. Now why are you going to do them? Because, here's why you're going to do them. Because, now keep this in your mind, because I go unto the Father. That's why you're going to be able to do the same compassionate works that I did. Because I go unto the Father. Isn't that what he's saying? I said, isn't that what he's saying? Yeah. All right, then let's go a little further in our study then. In fact, as I like something here that Brother Bosworth said, may I quote him? He said, in fact, his departure, Jesus' departure, was to open the way for his compassion to be manifested on a much larger scale. Isaiah prophesied of him. That's Isaiah 30. 18. You might turn back there for a minute and then turn back to John here because we're going to look at some scripture there. But mark this verse. Isaiah the 30th chapter and the 18th verse. Isaiah's prophesying. He says, And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Well, remember our text began, The Lord is gracious. And full of compassion. All right, Isaiah's prophesying. He said, therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Now notice this. And therefore will he be exalted, the Lord be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. Same Hebrew word is translated mercy, translated compassion. In other words, you could read that. Therefore will the Lord be exalted that he may have compassion upon you. Now then notice that the mercy of the compassion of the Lord upon you is in connection with his exaltation. He was exalted 
friends, when he ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's his exaltation. Are you listening to me? So Isaiah prophesied of him, therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy. Remember, now turning back to John, I told you we was going to come back there. You're, you're, you're there at the 14th chapter. Just, just turn right back there. And turn back to the 16th chapter of John. Notice something Jesus said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Now remember what Jesus said? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because, why are you going to do them? Because I go unto the Father. Or as Isaiah prophesied it, he will be exalted that he may show mercy. Hallelujah, have mercy upon you. Or, Jesus said, is expedient for you. Expedient means profitable. It's profitable for you that I go away. Hallelujah. Now, friends, let me quote again from Brother Bosworth. I like the way he says it here. He said, this could not be true. That is, it could not be profitable for you that he go away. This could not be true if his going away would withdraw or even modify the manifestation of his compassion in healing the sick. Is it not strange that many ministers today exactly reverse Christ's promise that the same and greater work shall be done by teaching that the age of miracles is past. Then Brother Bosworth went on to say, others do the same by teaching that God wants some of his devout children to remain sick for his glory and many of the traditional and unscriptural ideas. Brother Bosworth went on to say, every man who teaches that healing is not for all who need it today, as it was in the past, is virtually teaching that Christ's compassion toward the sick has been at least modified since his exaltation. But thank God it hasn't. Hallelujah. Then quoting from Brother Bosworth again, he said, worse yet, others teach that his compassion in healing the sick has been entirely withdrawn. Brother Bosworth said, to me, it is a mystery how any minister can take a position that veils and interferes with the manifestation of the greatest attribute of deity, God's compassion, which is divine love in action. When Paul would make the strongest possible appeal for consecration, he said, I beseech you by the mercies of God. Remember that in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you by the mercies of God, which is the manifestation of his greatest attribute, the mercies of God. Now then, notice again there in John 16, we read part of the seventh verse. I want you to read the 13th through the 15th verse. Let's see something about the spirit that's to come. See, Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, it's best, it's profitable for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comfort not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now notice the 13th verse of that same 16th chapter of John. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, 
for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, verse 14. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Now notice, among the things that he said the Spirit would do is that when the Spirit of truth is come, he shall glorify me, Jesus said, didn't he? That's one of the works of the Spirit of God. When he is come, he'll glorify me. Now, I like something again here, just the way Brother Bosworth says it. He said, could the Spirit glorify Christ to the sick by telling them that the age of miracles is past, or that Jesus, since his exaltation, has withdrawn or modified his ministry to the sick after Jesus himself promised that the works and greater works actually than he did would be done during this age. He went on to say, has the Spirit come to magnify Christ by modifying his ministry to the sick and suffering while he is their high priest directly contrary to the glorifying of the God of Israel in Decapolis that was occasioned by the healing of the multitudes. Brother Bosworth said, if so, then the not uncommon practice of praying for the sick to have fortitude and patience to bear their afflictions instead of praying the prayer of faith for their healing is right. But thank God we have the right to pray the prayer of faith for healing. Now then, Brother Bosworth went on to say, it is since he became our high priest that he speaks from heaven seven times, saying, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Brother Bosworth said, men are saying much today which the Spirit has never said, and which is the opposite of what he does say. And then he went on to give us a few things that the Spirit says for the purpose of glorifying Christ. Now, notice some of them. Hebrews 2.17, for instance. Here's what the Spirit's saying, because the writer of Hebrews is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, isn't he? All right, what is the Spirit saying about Christ and to glorify him? Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful, and again, the Greek word is also translated compassionate, a merciful or compassionate and faithful high priest. Now, we've already brought out this fact that both the words merciful and compassionate are given as the meaning of the Greek adjective translated merciful in this passage. Now, this verse has no reference to Christ's compassion as manifested during his earthly ministry. It refers only to his ministry from heaven. Now, 
and to the fact that his incarnation was to the end that he might show compassion as our high priest after his return to heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Brother Bosworth went on to say, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up is what, because of his unchanging compassion, he promised would continue to be greater after he went away. Now the Spirit further glorifies Christ by saying he is now touched with our infirmities. Hebrews 4. You were there in Hebrews 2? Well, look at Hebrews 4, 15. 4, 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, uh, the word touched there in the Greek same word, same word, touched, is translated have compassion in Hebrews 10, 34. Now notice what it said, Hebrews 10, 34. For he had compassion of me in my bonds. For he had compassion. The same Greek word is used here where it said he's touched. He had compassion. with our feeling of our infirmities. Thank God. He still has compassion. He's no less compassionate now than he was then. Now, again, notice what the Spirit's saying here in the fifth chapter of Hebrews. Speaking of Christ and him as our high priest, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is com compassed with infirmity. Then here in Hebrews 13, chapter and 8, verse, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. If he is the same today as he was yesterday, if he is the same exalted, our high priest, at the right hand of the Father, then he's just as full of compassion now as he was when he walked the shores of Galilee. He's just as full of compassion as he was and mercy as he was when as he departed thence from Jericho and as these two blind men cried out, have mercy on us, thou son of David. And he stopped and asked the question, what will you that I do unto you? And they said that we might receive our sight. And he had compassion or mercy on them and healed them. If he's the same now as he was then, hallelujah, praise God, then he's still full of compassion, isn't he? And the text here in Hebrews says that he is. Brother Bosworth went on to say, we should worship him because of his compassion. Because his compassion is the same today. And because as he looked upon all of our infirmities, or looks upon all of our infirmities, he is still moved with compassion 
and yearns to help us. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah to Jesus. Now, when you can get folks to see that, it's no problem at all to get them healed. I said, when you get folks to see that. I say very often, and I have said very often to people, I've, I've said this to you before, I'll say it again. In years gone by, and times gone by, particularly as a pastor, where I could spend more time with them, and I was there with them nearly every day, I would start out with them sometimes by saying, you know, the Lord wants to heal you more than you want to be healed. They'd almost look at you, you know, in astonishment when you said that. He wants you to be well more than you want to be well. He yearns to heal you. You know what some of them, born-again, spirit-filled people, that if you ask, do you believe in divine healing? Oh, yes, yes, our church believes in it. Well, you know, just because your church believes in it don't mean you're going to get it. Amen, isn't that right? Amen. Yes, sir, believe in divine healing. Yes, sir. But then when you tell them this, they'd say, without thinking, just blurt it out loud, I, I wish I could believe that. I wish I could believe that. See, they wish they could believe that the Lord wanted to heal them. They don't even know that the Lord wants to heal them. Well, how are you going to get them to see that? Only one way. Only one way. That just keep giving them the word. Just hold them up against it. Praise God, just hold them up against it. Against the word, you see. And I've done that again and again and again. Sometimes when people were really bad off, sometimes you have to lay hold of their spirit with your spirit. Now you can control the situation if there. It's difficult to do this. In fact, it's virtually impossible at a distance. But if you're there with them, you can't hold their spirit here. Keep it from departing. Just lay hold of their spirit with your spirit. So what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know. It's hard to explain. But, uh, but you can do it. And then, you see, continue to give them the word until you can get them in agreement with you. And you'll only have to do that in a few cases because most of the time you'd get to them if it's your own members, but you'd get to them right on the beginning before they were too far advanced in, in the physical conditions that would take their life. But a time or two, you just had to lay hold of their spirit with your spirit. And then the only way you could help them or you would eventually have to release their spirit and let them go. Now, a time or two, these weren't any of my members, but they were people, that I had to release their spirit eventually and let them go because you could have kept them here in that state for many days and weeks and that wouldn't have been wise. They were Christians. It's better for them to go on home. But now if you could have ever got them with you, praise God, but they wouldn't listen to you, you see. So you had a time or two, I've had to release some and just just go, you know, just turn the spirit loose and then it went on in, went on, went on home. Time you released them, they were dead in 30, 45 minutes. But now uh, on these others, I'd make a stronger effort because you know more about them. They were your own members of your particular church. And that's the reason, you see, that in 12 years of pastoral work, we never did bury one church member. Not a one. Never had a funeral for a church member. Because we'd just lay hold of them and keep them here and just keep, just, I'd hold them up against the word. They're, 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 you know, it's strange. It's strange, but it's true. Never. That's just, so you've got to love them anyhow. You're trying to talk them into believing the scriptures and they're trying to talk you and themselves out of believing them. That's absolutely the truth, you see. And, and, and so I just wouldn't listen. I'd just keep quoting scriptures and keep reading. I had my Bible. I'd keep reading the scripture to them. I said, see, now here's what the word said. Here's what belongs to you. Here's what God wants you to have. Himself took your infirmities and bare your sickness so he don't want you to die with sickness and disease. Let God heal you and then die if you want. Well, they said, leave me alone. Let me die. I said, okay, get, you go ahead and get healed and I'll let you die if you want to. 
But you know, something strange about it. After he got healed, he didn't want to die. Isn't that strange? Didn't want to die then. As soon as he got healed, he didn't want to die. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Listen, leave me alone. I said, no, not going to do it. Not going to leave you alone. Not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you alone. Amen. And I just hold him against the word. Just sort of like holding your feet to the fire. You know what I mean by that expression? Just hold him against that word. Praise God. And after a while, it registered on him. The Lord wants to heal you. Hallelujah. Praise God. He does. It's his compassion. It's his compassion. It's his mercy. He's the same merciful high priest today. Praise God as he ever was. Jesus Christ the same. Just because he's exalted and in that place of exaltation doesn't mean he's lost his mercy or modified his mercy. It seems to me that the Bible doesn't teach instead of teaching that it's done away with or that it's modified, it teaches it to be increased. Praise God. Because the works that I do and greater works than ye shall do do because I go unto my Father. Hallelujah. Now, you remember Jesus in his ministry here upon the earth pronounced a woe upon the scribes and the Pharisees for having omitted the weightier matters of mercy and faith. Remember him saying that? Remember he said that woe be unto you scribes and Pharisees. You pay tithe. That's right. Of anus and cumin. In other words, just even spices. They paid their tithes on spices. Little things like that, you see. Now notice what he said. This ought you have done. You ought done that all right. But have not omitted the weightier matters of the law as mercy and faith. And I think if we're not so careful, we get all bound up with doing. See, which, which Jesus said you ought to have done all right. But we omit the weightier matters, such as mercy. Hallelujah. Mercy and faith. Well, thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Now, in the fifth chapter of Acts, you remember the story. I'll not take time to read it. I think you know it. We have another display of the compassion of Jesus in his present day ministry at exalted at their father's right hand. Wonderful, another wonderful proof of Christ's compassion toward the sick. And another proof that he is now the same as he was then. For we read concerning the multitudes brought into the streets of Jerusalem in the day after that he ascended to the Father, if that by any means the shadow of Peter might fall upon them, and as many as he shadow fell upon, they were healed, every one. Now, you know, I think another place here that folks miss it, and let's turn back there, if you haven't, to that fifth chapter and notice something, is they say, well, yeah, yeah, but now, now Peter did that. No, no, Peter didn't do that. Uh, Peter didn't heal those folks. Well, yeah, but the shadow of Peter did. No, the shadow of Peter didn't. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? No, it was Jesus that did it. This compassion of Jesus. 
See, he's the head of the church. Hallelujah. He's, he's running the whole thing. It's under his direction. For as much as they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them, there came also a multitude. This is the 15th, 16th verse of the 5th chapter. The multitude out of the cities around about in Jerusalem bringing sick folk and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed, every one. Now I want to ask you a question. Who healed them? I said, who healed them? Jesus did. Jesus did. You see, our, 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 our thinking is so short. We, we get our eyes on people. Now for instance, in connection to that, look here in this 19th chapter. Look in this 19th chapter of Acts. Look at something else here. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now again, who healed the sick here? God or Jesus. God wrought special miracles. See, it didn't say Paul wrought special miracles by the hands of God. It said God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Doesn't it? See, who did it? See, that's the thought. You see, we get our eyes on man if we're not careful, you see, and think he did it. Don't we? Well, it was those handkerchiefs that did it. No, no, it wasn't just handkerchiefs that did it. If it would, well, any handkerchief would do it. But you've got to get God working in with it, see? Was it the shadow of Peter that healed them? If it was the shadow of Peter that healed them, then years later, if he could get him in his shadow, you'd have got healed, but you don't see it happening. It was God that did it through the shadow. It was Jesus still at work. Are you following me? It's the Lord still at work. It's the Lord still having compassion upon them, wanting to help them so badly. Praise God that, that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought handkerchiefs or aprons unto the sick and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Still a display of his compassion. Still a display of his mercy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I just almost want to stop and have a shouting spell here. Now here again, right here in this fifth chapter of Acts, here again as our high priest in heaven, that Jesus did exactly what he did before going away. He healed the sick. From heaven he was moved with compassion and healed all who had need of healing. Now in the last chapter of the Acts, we find his compassion manifested from heaven by the healing of all on the island of Melita. You know, Paul didn't heal those people just as Paul, the man, did he? I said, did he? But he empowered by the Holy Ghost, directed by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him that did it. You see? Isn't that right? Can you see that? Here, this last chapter of Acts, 28th chapter, you see, Paul shipwrecked, you know, on the island. And it says, There came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. 
Well, now, of course, the man was healed, but now Paul didn't heal him because he was Paul or because of any human ingenuity or human, you know, from the natural standpoint. And when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. All right, now I want you to notice. Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. The man was healed by Paul praying and laying hands on him. Now, why do you suppose that Paul prayed and laid hands on the man? Because he just thought that up himself? No. Remember what the Jesus, the compassionate Jesus, the head of the church said? He said, Jesus said, in my name, they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These signs shall follow them that believe. Hallelujah. See, it's the Lord still doing it through his name, through his followers, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. See, because you're going to do greater works because of you? No, because of me, Jesus. Because I go unto my Father. Because you see there, at the right hand of the Father, the Scripture says that he's still a compassionate and merciful high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And the scripture says that he ever liveth while is our high priest. His compassion is so great that the scripture said he ever liveth, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now again, what's the spirit saying? Remember? The Spirit, Jesus said, when he's come, he will glorify me. Doesn't it? Well, Paul, motivated by the Spirit of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes to the church at Corinth. The same letter applies to the church in Tulsa or anywhere else. And again, you can see as you look almost behind the scene, so to speak, between the lines, his compassion for the sick since he is glorified or was glorified moved him, the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, to set or to establish in the church what we call gifts of the Spirit. And among these gifts of the Spirit that he set in the church or established in the church, among them are the gifts of faith, miracles, and gifts of healings. What do you suppose motivated the head of the church to, to do that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the healing and for the recovery of the sick. As long as he's our high priest through the centuries. Praise God. Can you see that? Hallelujah to Jesus. Now in conclusion, I want you to open your Bibles again to the 145th Psalm. And in the light of all that I've said to you, I think these verses as you read them, will take on new meaning to you. Or maybe saying in another way, 
will become more meaningful to you. Praise God. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Thou art so good, dear Lord. Oh, thou art so good. Thou art so merciful and so kind. We love you so. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. May the blessed Holy Ghost unveil to our spirits, unveil unto us the truths, the mighty truths of your precious word. I want you to read with me. Let's read it out loud. The eighth and ninth verses. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Now think about that for a moment. His tender mercies are over all his works. 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 Verily, verily, I say unto you the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. Was his tender mercies over his works of healing the sick? Remember the definition of to have compassion is to have tender mercy. Hallelujah. Yes, he was moved with compassion, the leper, and healed him. We read again, he was he saw the multitude. He was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Was his tender mercies over his works? Hallelujah. Now start believing in his mercy of healing. You don't have any problems at all about believing in his mercy of forgiveness, do you? You heard that preached all your life. You don't have any problem at all to believe in his mercy toward the sinner. If some sinner came to the altar and you were there praying with him and said, well, I don't know whether the Lord will save me or not. You'd be quick to tell him, wouldn't you? You'd be quick to explain to them. Just give him scripture after scripture about his mercy. Hallelujah. And that he is right now at the right hand of the Father. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And that he is a merciful and compassionate high priest today. But you see, that's as far as our thinking goes. We need to expand our thinking. We need to think God's thoughts after him. We need to think. How are you going to think God's thoughts? Think in line with what the word says. So begin to think about his, his mercy in healing. Because there it is. There it is. Hallelujah. Is that mercy available to me? Is, is his mercy of forgiveness available to the sinner? Yes, thank God. Is his mercy of forgiveness available to the Christian who sinned or failed or the backsliders we call him? Yes, thank God, yes, 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 yes. No one ever doubts that, do they? Why? We've been taught that all of our life. Well, it'll take a little while because, see, our thinking stop right there. I mean, when it comes to the thinking on mercy, stop right there. But can't you see? His tender mercies are over all his works. Well, thank God for the remission of sins. Thank God for the new birth. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. But that's not all his works. I said that's not all his works. His tender mercies 
are over. And you notice again, is it mercies? Not mercy, his tender mercy. His tender mercies. It had to be plural because works didn't say over all his work. Amen. All his works. His works are plural. His mercies are plural. Well, now where else does his mercy reach us? If it's plural, it has to be plural. It reaches us, thank God, in the spiritual realm. But it reaches us in the physical realm. Oh, thank God, it reaches us in the financial realm. It reaches us in the material realm. It's all because of his mercies. Not because of justice, not because you deserved anything, but because of his mercies. Hallelujah. Well, let's read that again. I don't know, I get blessed. I tell you, I just, I get a new thought nearly every time I read it. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. hallelujah. Let the Lord speak to your heart. Let that word be quickened in your spirit. Glory to God. Let's read it out loud. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Let that soak in. Glory to God. How many is the Lord good to? Did you ever hear people say, now the Lord's been better to you than he has me. Have you ever said that? I have. I'm just going to be honest. No, he's you sitting there, standing there looking so innocent. <laughs> I've accused the Lord right to his face. Now, Lord, you're better to them than it was me. Say, were you saved? Yeah, I wouldn't have been talking to him if I hadn't have been. <laughs> say, what did he say to you? Nothing. Just left you alone. Let you gripe and complain and fuss until you repented and then he got talking to you. <laughs> yeah, you've been better to them than you have me. I've had people in recent times say, well, it looks like the Lord's better than everybody else than is me. The Lord is good to some and bad to others. Huh? You see, some folks haven't cashed in on his goodness, but that don't mean he's not good to them. They just wouldn't let him be good to them. You know, some folks, even in the natural, won't let you be good to them. Did you ever notice that? You, you tried sometimes, haven't you? And they just wouldn't do it. You know, folks are the same way in the spiritual. The Lord is good. I don't know. We may take a month sometime, just take a week on each one of these. The Lord is gracious. You know, you could preach, you could preach for a week on that. The Lord's gracious, couldn't you? Just that one thought. And then the next one, full of compassion. I mean, he's full of it. If he's full of it, you know, I automatically think about like, like a glass being full of water. There's not any room for anything else in there then. I mean, it's full. It's full, isn't it? What's he full of? What, what's, what's, what's the Lord full of? Compassion. Hallelujah. Slow to anger. You could talk on that one for a while. And I like that one, that next clause. And of 
or phrase, and of great mercy. Boy, if he'd just said mercy had been good, but he said great, great, great. Now, the next statement, the Lord is good. Oh, yeah, he's good. Yeah, 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 he's good. You know, you think about somebody being good. Oh, that's a good person. He's good, but not, that's not what he said. See, that's not what it means, see. You talk about somebody said, you know, somebody said, he's a good man. Or she's a good girl. Well, that person's a good person. Now, that doesn't mean God's a good person, though he is. No, it said he's good to all. Hallelujah. To all? Well, you can see why he's full of compassion. I mean, there's some people it's hard to be good to. <laughs> you have any trouble? Good, he is good. The Lord is good. To how many? All. 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 Now remember this good to all is in connection with the Lord being gracious, with the Lord being full of compassion. He's good to all. Then his compassion, his mercy is available to all then. It's available to all. All. Good to all. That is, he's made the same provision for every single one of us. Now that leaves you with this thought then. And we'll, we'll translate it over here in the area of healing. We know he's made the same provision. Nobody doubts that. He made the same provision for us in the connection with the remission of sins. He shed his blood. He took our sins. But thank God he made the same provision in his goodness and his mercy for healing. It's written himself, 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 this same Jesus, this one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, himself, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Who did do that for? How many of us? All of us. Woo! Get in on the all. I mean, you're in there. Hallelujah to Jesus. Flashed to my mind when I said that, something Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman said in one of her books. Dr. Yeoman was a medical doctor, raised up from a deathbed, spent the rest of her life preaching divine healing. Said she was preaching in Chicago. She was teaching, and they just had a, I think as far as I can ascertain, they had, you know, they was in a store building, sort of a mission-like, you know, you know, they just didn't have a church building. And uh, close by was uh, some kind of a place of entertainment, and there's a young lady there that was a dancer in this place of entertainment. Dr. Yom said she's just a little heathen. But she came down, you know, had a tact of acute appendicitis, and that can really be, be serious, you know. Those kind of operations back there in the day she's talking about, back there in the 20s, was much more serious. You know, appendicitis, not much today, but those days, infection could set in, different things happen. You know, and operations were near successful. So they wanted her to, wanted Dr. Yeoman, because she's having to pray for her. 
And she hesitated a moment and she remembered the Lord's good to all. So she said, I just laid my hands on that little heathen and prayed for it and instantly she was healed. Said somebody said, you mean that God healed that dancer? They're dancing around there a little while before with virtually no clothes on. But he didn't say he's just good to them that wear clothes. <laughs> he's good to all. Now she didn't continue doing that. She got saved, bless God, and changed her style of life. Hallelujah. I remember another minister said they was in the hospital visiting somebody they knew, you know. This is a minister believing in divine healing, anointed by God, you know, to preach and teach and so on. They was there to visit someone else. And some of the, some there, I don't know, the staff or something, the hospital said, would you come in here and pray for this fella? Uh, he was a, an alcoholic. In fact, he had uh, drunk himself to death till his liver was just riddled. Cirrhosis of the liver. Doctor could tell us something about that, you know. He's, they said he just, you know, 90% of his liver is gone. He's just dying. This pastor said he, because you see, they, they live right there in the same city. He knew something about this person. Just lived down what we call, you know, a rat row. Down the slums, you know, drink, mean. Well, would God help them? Help remember this text, God is good to all. Yeah, he said, yeah, God will help them. Would God, they asked the question, would you pray, could God, would, would God do anything for them? Yes, just marched right in, laid hands on them. The fellow blessed God almost instantly, revived. They run a test on him three days later and found out his liver was perfect. God is good to all. The Lord is good to all. That poor old alcoholic. But no, no, he changed. He got, he got acquainted with Jesus after then. Came out of the hospital, not only a new man physically, but a new man spiritually. See, folks miss it a lot of time. Remember, Brother Goodwin told me one time, I was preaching for him. He's pastor of the First Assembly of God in Pasadena at this time. and He was down there at Bayshore Hospital visiting some of his own members. And somebody asked him, said, would you uh, visit this old gentleman, 82 or 3 years old? He's uh... now, now said, he don't know God and used to. If anybody ever said anything about God, he'd just cuss him out. Been mean as the devil. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, he's liable just to cuss you out. Brother Goodman told me, said, I... I remember, I'd forgotten about this person telling me that, but I was there in the hospital and walking down the hall and suddenly I remembered. I remembered the room. They said he's in whatever room it was, you know. So he said, I uh, slipped in and this old gentleman was lying there on bed and the doctors already said that, oh, he might live another two or three days. Could go at any time. And I could see he's asleep and I hated it. I said, well, I may be... But then I know he might go any time. I'll come back to visit him. And about that time he moved a little bit, you know. Opened his eyes and blinked him, you know. And said, who are you? He said, I took him by his hand and said, I'm pastor so-and-so, you know. Goodwin, pastor First Assembly of God Church. I just ought to stop by and see you. 
he remembered the Lord's good to all, you know, and have a word of prayer with you. Didn't know how he was going to act, react. He said immediately a tear sprang down. He took his other hand, got home. Yeah, Reverend, Reverend, he said, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. He said, I began to pray, and in the middle of my, you know, I'd prayed God's blessing upon him. So I'm then in the middle of my prayer, I said, why don't you pray? He said, I will. Tell me how. Tell me how. And he began to pray after him. Glory to God. And the fellow was saved because the Lord's good to all. Three days later, instead of the coming to get him and taking his body for burial, they dismissed him in the hospital and said, he can't find anything wrong with him. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, the Lord's good to all, but sometimes all of them won't let him be good to them. Just like in the natural. You try to be good to some people. Are you following me? Remember that first community that I preached in. A fellow said to him, man, I'm saved, leader of the community, not even a Christian. He'd come once in a while on Sunday night to church. Well, he'd come pretty regularly to tell the truth about it on Sunday night. But, uh, but he wasn't a Christian. He's, he's a leader of the community, his country community. He's one of the leaders, one of the leading farmers. But he said to me, because I'd stay sometimes in his home when I went out there to preach, you know, over the weekend, you know, in the country. And he said to me, I remember he said, and thank God he did get saved, praise God himself, eventually, not while I was there, but he said to me, uh, Brother Hagin, he said, yeah, I know I'm not a Christian, don't claim to be. I, 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 you know, I tried to do right, all right, and all that. But he said, there's an old man here, adjoining farm, that's a uh, doctor says he's not going to live, it's on, I guess, his deathbed. And I'm not saved myself, but I hate to see that old man die and go to hell. I know there's a hell to shun, a heaven to gain. And, you know, I couldn't go. I'm not a Christian. He knows I'm not a Christian. If I'd drive you over there, because, see, I'd walk out there in the country, would you, and I'd go in and introduce you. Would you talk to him? And, and if you can help him, pray with him? I said, yeah, I'll do it. So we went. Remember, we drove up, and he didn't tell me until we got there. He said, now, now, Brother Hagin, I, I won't tell you ahead of time that Others have tried to talk to him in days gone by, and he just—he—he he just liable to cuss you out. But he said, "See, here's an unsaved man." He said, I, "I don't want to see him go to hell. Let's try to help him." Here's an unsaved man, but he knew God's good to all. He said, "I know the Lord wants him saved." Unsaved man. I said, "Yeah, he does. He—he he sure does." But he said, "I wanted to tell you because I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't know what's going to happen." He said, if he was able to, he's liable just to pick up something and throw it at you. So we went in. Here's this old man, 80-some-odd years of age. Well, you could tell he's just at the brink of death. There's nobody in there. Just neighbors have to come see after him. But nobody's there right at the time. And there's a rattle in his throat. His mouth's open. His eyes are set. He's as white as a sheet, just a picture of death, really, except there is a little sound coming out of his throat and once in a while a little breath. I remember this fellow, we called him, I, you couldn't call him brother, he wasn't saved. He's, I really don't know what his name was. Everybody called him Dude, Dude Hall. So he, he picked up his hand, shouted to him, called him Uncle John or something, everybody called him that. Finally, the fellow began to make some sounds out of, out of his, never did shut his mouth. No teeth. And, 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 and somewhere way down inside of him that way, way down in that, you know, there's a voice came out and said, huh, 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 huh. He said, this is dude. 
Uncle John, this is dude. What reading what his uncle, but everybody called him that. Finally began to blink his eye, never did shut his mouth. Hi, dude. Hi. He said, Uncle John, I bought the preacher to see you. Boy, when he said preacher, that was the wrong thing. That fella came up. Preacher! Preacher! I don't believe in him. There is no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. When a man dies, he's dead like a dog. Get out of my house! And fell back on his pillow and died and went to hell. I say it with tears. Now, God tried to be good to him. I said God tried to be good to him, but he wouldn't let him. But now that other old man, you see, about in the same category. God tried to be good to him, and he let him. The Lord is good to all. The Lord wants to heal you. You start believing that. Say it out loud. The Lord wants me well. Say it out loud. The Lord wants me whole. I believe that. I thank him for his mercy. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3. The 145th Psalm, 8th and 9th verses says, my, 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 I just get blessed thinking about this. I don't know about you, but something on the inside of me, I just, I just look at these verses. Before I ever start reading, something on the inside of me just start turning flips. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Hallelujah. I have been speaking for over a week on the Lord's compassion. And uh, actually, uh, I encourage folks to, if you haven't gotten one of them, to get one of the books, Christ the Healer by F.F. Bosworth. And he has a chapter in that book called The Lord's Compassion. That's where I got my outline. I say a lot of things he doesn't say. You'll find we'll quote him quite often here. But uh, it'll really bless you if you'll just study it, feed upon it, think upon it, let it get down on the inside of you. The Lord's Compassion. Now we found out uh, from our studies that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, that the Hebrew word or noun that's translated mercy is also translated compassion, same one, same word. It's translated mercy one time, compassion the next time. All through the Old Testament. Then in coming to the New Testament, we found out that the Greek verb that's translated have mercy, same Greek verb is also in other places translated have compassion. 
and that the Greek adjective that's defined merciful is also defined compassionate. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the same word is used. Sometimes it's translated mercy, sometimes it's translated compassion. But to have compassion, a definition of to have compassion is to love tenderly, to pity, to show mercy. One of the definitions of to have compassion means to show mercy. To be full of eager yearning. I'm going over some scripture in the New Testament that will establish what I'm saying about the mercy and the compassion of the Lord in connection with healing. Now you remember this, the Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word be established. We'll notice a number of scriptures. Let's look first of all to Mark's gospel, the first chapter, the 40th through the 45th verse. Here's a few passages from the gospel showing the Lord's compassion. All right, now notice verse 40 of chapter 1. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, that's unto Jesus, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now notice, and Jesus moved with compassion. Hallelujah. Moved with what? Compassion. Compassion. Put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thy clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. But you can go on reading the 45th verse. But now I want you to notice here, the important fact is this, that here it was compassion that moved Christ to heal the leper. What moved him to heal the leper? Compassion, or mercy in other words. It was compassion that moved him to heal the leper. Now notice Matthew, the 14th chapter, the 13th and 14th verses. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now notice the word. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with what? What? Compassion toward them. Now, what's the next statement? And he healed their sick. Again, what caused him to heal the sick? Compassion. Compassion. Moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now, notice Matthew, the 20th chapter. The 20th chapter of Matthew, verses 29 through 34. Now, follow me with all these scriptures. Did you know something? I've seen it happen, oh, so many, many, many times. In in dealing with people to be baptized, Christian people to be filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost, and with people to get healed. I've had people that I'd prayed for, they didn't get healed, they didn't get baptized with the Holy Ghost. I prayed for them more than once. See, what they were doing, they were not trusting the Word of God. They're depending on me or my prayers to do it. Men can't do it. Are you listening to me? And you know, I would insist that they bring their Bibles, and the very first time they brought their Bibles and followed me in the Scriptures. I mean, just like you'd snapped your finger almost, just like that they received Are you listening? 
That reminds me of some scripture that we've looked at again and again and again and again in these classes. That, that is in, the, in Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, and also in the sixth chapter of Luke's gospel. You might turn there and look at it for, with me again. Anything that's good, we'll bear looking at more than once. Now notice, Luke the fifth chapter and the fifteenth verse, but so much the more went forth, went there, a fame abroad of him, that's of Jesus, and great multitudes came together to do what? To what? To hear. To hear. And to be healed by him of their infirmities. Notice what they came to do. To hear and to be healed. Now you see the problem with a lot of folks is they want to be healed all right, but they don't want to hear anything. And a lot of times they just sit there and say, well, I'm just waiting for the prayer. Or I'm just waiting for hands to be laid on me. And it won't work. It didn't work with Jesus. I know it won't work with us. Now notice the sixth chapter again of Luke also. The 17th verse. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to, what's the next word? Hear. Came to do what? Hear. To hear. Came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now notice how these verses hook together hearing and being healed. Did you notice that? Hear and be healed. Hear and be healed. Hear and be healed. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Well, now hear. Hear what the word's saying. And so it said here in Matthew, the 20th chapter, the 29th through the 34th verses. Now follow the reading. I've said it many times. I'm going to keep on saying it. It's not what you think the Bible said. That's not what counts. It's not what somebody told you the Bible said. That's not what counts. But it's what you know for yourself the Bible said. That's the only part of the Bible that ever do you any good. It's the part you know for yourself what it says. So listen. As they departed from Jericho, verse 29, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, as you go on to read, Jesus said, after that he had stopped and so on. He said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had what? Compassion. Compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now notice again this important fact that here these blind men asked for the mercy of having their eyes opened. Have mercy upon us. What wilt thou 
that I do unto thee. They said that our eyes may be open. That's the mercy they asked for. And Jesus granted unto them the mercy of healing, proving that healing is a mercy as well as forgiveness. The sick in those days when seeking healing asked for mercy. Now, as we pointed out to you on numerous occasions, in our day, most people think of mercy as applied only to the sinner, not knowing that his mercy is also extended to the sick. Now, then you might stop off long enough to say this. Some folks said, well, if it is, why don't the Lord have mercy on them and heal them then if his mercy is extended to them? Well, his mercy is extended to the sinner. Why don't he have mercy on all sinners everywhere and just save all of them today? Because they have a part to play themselves. His mercy is extended to them, but if they don't know it, they can't accept it. Or if they do know it, they don't have to accept it, they can't reject it. Amen. There is a Godward side and a manward side to every battle, to every victory, to everything you receive from God. God makes the provision and tells us in his word what's provided for us so we can have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Then it's up to us whatever we do about it. You see, so many people are passive. They just sit around waiting on God. Well, now, if it's the will of God to heal me, he'll heal me. Well, now, what if the sinner said, if it's the will of God, he'll save me? Well, I say it with tears. They'd die and go to hell. In fact, I know people, I say it with tears, who are now in hell who said that. You talk to them about being saved. Well, if it's God's will, he'll save me. He'll save me. I just believe, you know, that in God's own good time, when he gets ready, he'll save me. Well, I'd heard years gone, you know, afterwards that the man that had said that to me had died. So I asked people, I said, uh, you know, from that city where I'd pastored, did, you know, did Mr. So-and-so ever get saved? No, said he died cursing God. Well, was salvation not for him? Was the mercy of forgiveness not for him? Yes, it was his just as much as it was mine. Wasn't it? I said, wasn't it? Yes. Well, why didn't he have it then? Because he didn't receive it. Well, now, can't you see by the same token, many dear people, precious people, people that are saved, baptized Holy Ghost, love the Lord. I've had them to say to me, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. You know, if it's his will, he'll heal me. The will of the Lord be done. I notice those folks always stay sick. Then they go to believing that's the will of God for them. No, thank God. Look at their text again. I just like that swell. I like to read it every now and then. The Lord is gracious unto a few, full of compassion over one occasionally, slow to anger and of great mercy on them that he specially likes. The Lord is good to some and mean to others. Oh, no. He's good to how many? How many? How many? Oh, glory to God, he's good. Now that explains something, doesn't it? I said that explains something, doesn't it? That explains something. 
That explains something. Amen. Right here in Tulsa, there's a dear woman in the hospital. Well, she really just went in for a checkup. You know, she'd had some problems and her doctor wanted to put her in there and run some tests and get some asbestos in on it and they discovered that she had cancer. It was all over her body. They said at the best she had maybe 10 days to live. That's not much, is it? Well, I think she was about 46 years of age, not a Christian, actually had been very, very wicked. And you couldn't talk to her about God. She'd just cuss you out. I mean, she's, you know, smoke cigarettes, drink, prostitute. But thank God, the Lord is good to good people, but he's bad to bad people. No, no. It said right here, he's good to how many? All. 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 Well, somebody just went right to the hospital right here and, and told her about Jesus and told her about Mark eleven twenty four and told her we'll pray and believe. Well, yeah, that's right. She said that'll work. That's the Bible. Just accepted his goodness and his mercy. And they couldn't find a trace of that cancer. But now, right on the other hand, right here in the same hospital, right here in the same city of Tulsa, Here's a person that's a Christian. I mean, even spirit-filled, they even spoke with tongues. And uh, I know a little something about it because at the insistence friend, I went in and talked to him, prayed with him, laid hands on him. <laughs> Knew when I laid hands on him, he didn't get a thing. Their attitude was, well, if it's God's will, he'll heal me. If it's not, he won't. Well, they couldn't. That's not exercising faith. The Lord was tried to be just as good to them as he was, you know, because after all, he's not going to be better to this drinking, cursing prostitute than he is his own children. But he's good to all. Isn't that what he said? They all don't accept his goodness, but he's good to all. And so they didn't accept it. Well, their, their thinking is, you know, and you can't talk them into it. People are very low. You can't, you know, well, no, no, you know, well, if it's God's will, he'll heal me all right. Yeah, I know he's able. Yeah, I know he can. I know how many times I've had people say that, but they don't know he will. Oh, he's able. I know the Lord's able. Yeah, he can do anything. And if it's his will, he'll do it. You know, I've never seen one of those get well yet. Not one. Not one single one of them. See, it's not only believing he's able, it's believing that he's willing. You see, if his mercy is available to us, then he's willing. If mercy has anything to do with healing, and we just got through reading that it did, then it's available to all that has need of his mercy, all that has need of his healing. Here's another outstanding scripture. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he's the Father of something else. The Father of mercies. Notice that's plural. Mercies. Mercies. See, too much of the time we just think of mercy, singular, mercy. God's mercy toward the sinner. God's mercy in forgiveness. But he's not just the father of mercy. He's the father of mercies. Hallelujah. And the God of all comfort. Hallelujah. Well, he is, isn't he? Now, here's another scripture in the fifth chapter. 
of Mark's gospel. Read these scriptures. Don't let them get away from you. Read them. If you can't read them, have somebody to read them to you. Read them over and 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 over again. Now, read the fifth chapter of Mark. I'll not take time to do it here. But read the first through the 20th verses. First 20 verses of the fifth chapter of Mark. Now, here's what you find. You know the story. That Jesus had compassion on the man in the tombs that was so possessed with the devil and had the legion. He cut himself with stones. He broke the chains that they tried to bind him with. He wandered out there naked, you remember, in among the tombs, cutting himself, crying out day and night. Jesus had compassion on him and, and, and delivered him and healed him. And so then when it was noised abroad, what happened to those swine that ran off the cliff and drowned in the sea? The people came out from Decapolis and uh, they saw him sitting clothed in his right mind. They didn't understand what all happened. They, they uh, prayed Jesus to depart out of their coast. And now then it also said that this man besought Jesus, prayed Jesus or besought Jesus, that he might remain with him, that he might go with him, the man that had been delivered. Now notice the 19th and 20th verses. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, that is, he would let him go with him, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. That's the 19th verse. So I said Jesus had compassion on him. I was right. Jesus himself said he had. He had compassion on him and healed him, delivered him and healed him. Praise God. Uh, again, we might ask the question, what was it that moved Jesus to help this man? Compassion. Compassion. And so he said to him, go home to thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Go tell how he's had compassion. Now notice what he's wanting them to publish. Notice the next verse, 20th verse. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. Well, now notice that Jesus said, Now you go tell what great things the Lord has done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. You see, the Lord's compassion, you see some people said, well, you know, Jesus now, he healed people when he was here to prove his deity and his divinity. So then people think, well, now we don't need that nowadays. But that's not the reason he healed. You, you don't find one verse of scripture where it said, and Jesus healed him to prove his deity. And Jesus healed him to prove his divinity. No, you find such expression in him and he had compassion on him, see. And so folks would say, well, you see, healing now has been done away with. See, that's a big lie of the devil, and that's what robs us. You see, if it was universally taught, as it should be, like it is universally taught, that salvation, you know, the new birth, the remission, of sin, the mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus, the compassion of the Lord toward the sinner is unto all. Now, that's widely preached. That's, everybody believes that. And you don't have any trouble accepting it. But you see, if, if the other side of the story, which is just as much truth, that his compassion to heal the sick toward the sick is just as great as his mercy toward the sinner, hallelujah, if that was just as widely preached, then faith, you see, everywhere would be on a higher level, more widespread, the easiest thing in the world. 
to get deliverance and healing. Now, what did Jesus want this man to go publish? How great things the Lord has done for thee. Now, why did he do the great things for thee? Because of his compassion, had compassion. Go advertise, go publish his compassion. You see, the compassion of the Lord has not been published. Very little said about it. Are you following me? Amen. All right, now then notice the results of this one man's testimony. Turn to Matthew, the 15th chapter, the 30th and 31st verses, and we see the result of this one man's testimony given to advertise the Lord's compassion. Now reading that 15th, 30th, 31st verse, unless you know this, where this happened, well, you'll not realize what happened here. But it says here, Matthew 15, 30, 31, and great multitudes. Now, this is in Decapolis. That's where this is. I added that there, but if you'll if you study the chapter carefully, you'll find out that that's true. This is in Decapolis. And that's where he departed and began to publish in Decapolis what great things the Lord had done. All right. Great multitudes, that is in Decapolis now, came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitudes wonder when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, this came about because of that one man's testimony. What happened here came as a result of him publishing in Decapolis what great things the Lord has done for thee, and hath had compassion upon thee. Praise God. In other words, he advertised the Lord's compassion. I believe he's the same merciful, compassionate Jesus today that he was then. Hallelujah to Jesus. I found out in dealing with people on a one-to-one -one basis uh, about receiving like the baptism of the Holy Ghost, divine healing. I I've said it to you before. I've said it again. I've said to them very often, now the Lord wants. In fact, he's just yearning to heal you. He wants to fill you with the Spirit, yearning to. He wants you to be healed worse and more than you want to be healed. You know, they look at you in amazement. They couldn't hardly believe that. But if you know the Lord's compassion, you know that. Hallelujah. Now then, let's take another look at a passage concerning the Lord's compassion. And that's Matthew, the ninth chapter, the 35th, beginning to read with the 35th verse. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Hallelujah. There it is again. Moved with what? compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth the labors into his harvest. Now as we go on reading into the 10th chapter, you'll notice, and when he had called unto him the 12, he gave them power against unclean spirits, or authority, against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And as you go on reading there, you'll find that he commanded them saying, go preach, heal the sick, and so on. Now I want you to notice something here. Again, that it is his compassion 
toward the sick that caused him to be moved. See, he was just one reaper. The crowds are large. He saw the multitudes. One person just couldn't minister to them, see. I want you to notice that it's his compassion because it said, move with compassion on the multitudes. That it was his compassion at heart, full of yearning over the increasing numbers that could not be reached just because one man, only one man's ministering. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And so, you see, he sent out the 12. Hallelujah. Why did he send them out? Because he was moved with compassion on the multitude. Notice that he not only told them to preach the gospel, but he also told them to minister healing. Then you'll notice that he also, then later on, sent out the 70. See, some people say, well, that was just the apostle. Did you notice that the 70 went out to do the same thing? They were, none of them were ever an apostle. Remember he sent out the 70 disciples? They came back rejoicing because of the spirit, the devil, demons are subject to us. Praise God. Now notice that their harvest was to be the same harvest that he had. Hallelujah. The harvest that the 12 would reap, the harvest that the 70 was, was to reap is the same as his, his harvest. That is, praise God, not only preached uh, the good news, the gospel, the good news to the sinners, but also healing. Praise God for the sick. Now then, remember also that in John's gospel, the 14th chapter, the 12th and 13th verses. Now let's look at this verse. We've looked at these verses many times in this class, but in discussing, like I said, sometimes Bible subjects. Somebody said years ago, in discussing Bible subjects, it's sort of like climbing a mountain. Well, you climb up the north side of the mountain, you got one view. You climb up the south side of the mountain, you got another view. Same mountain. Identically the same mountain, but you got a different view entirely. And so we'll look at these scriptures from a little different viewpoint than what we looked at them before. That is, from the standpoint of his compassion. It was because that Jesus' compassionate heart is moved toward the sick that he said these words. In the 14th chapter of John's gospel, the 12th and 13th verses, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me. Who? He that believeth on me. Now, see, sometimes we want to put this off on somebody else, but now, do you believe on him? I say, do you believe on him? Somebody said one time, one of the simplest rules of Bible interpretation is who's doing the talking, who are they talking to, and what are they talking about? Well, Jesus is doing the talking here. Now, to whom is he speaking? And of whom is he speaking? He that believeth on me. Isn't that what he said? He that believeth on me. What he's talking, what's he talking about? The works that I do. He's talking about his works. Well, now, what kind of works did he do? Bible said he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. We just got through reading about some of his works, didn't we? I said, didn't we? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, how are you going to do it? Next verse, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that then I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You're going to do it 
by using his name. Now, what caused him to do this? His great heart of compassion toward the sick. The very works that I do shall you do also. Praise God. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah to Jesus. Now, Brother Bosworth made this statement concerning the ministry of what Jesus said here. He said, here in, in, in much preaching and preachers today, you got a strange, actually reversal of Christ's promise. Christ said, the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do. Now, Jesus said that, didn't he? But yet you have people saying, well, yeah, but now that's not for us today. Well, in other words, that's tantamount to saying, well, no, uh, no, uh, you see, uh, you're not supposed to do. Well, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't say, verily, verily, I say unto you, you're not supposed to do the works that I did. There's just no way that you can. No, verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these, he that believeth on me, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now then, going a step further, notice what he said in connection about going unto the Father. Notice in John 16, 7, Jesus said, it is expedient, Expedient means profitable. It is expedient or it's profitable for you that I go away. Now notice this is the same thing he's saying there in John 14, 12, when he said, Verily, verily, I send you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. See, because I go unto the Father. It is expedient for you. Expedient means profitable. It is profitable for you. Expedient means it's for your good. It's for your best. It's the best for you. Then I go away. Isn't that what he's saying? All right. Now then, Brother Bosworth went on to say, this could not be true. See, it could not be profitable. It could not be expedient for you that I go away. If his going away would withdraw or even modify the manifestation of his compassion in healing the sick. Is it not strange that many ministers today exactly reversed Christ's promise that the same and greater work shall be done by teaching that the age of miracles is past? Then Brother Bosworth went on to say, others do the same by teaching that God wants some of his devout children to remain sick for his glory. Now that kind of teaching is widespread. And many other traditional and unscriptural ideas. Then I'm still quoting now. Brother Bosworth went on to say, every man who teaches that healing is not for all who need it today, as it was in the past, is virtually teaching that Christ's compassion toward the sick has been at least modified since his exaltation, since he's exalted to sit at the right hand of the Father. Now here's a verse turning back to Isaiah 30, 18. Isaiah prophesied of him, therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy. Hallelujah. Therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy. Well, yet, in these days of his exaltation, if his mercy is not as great as it was, then it's, that's not true. 
But thank God it is true. His mercy has not been withdrawn. His mercy has not been modified. Now then, Brother Bosworth went on to say, worse yet, others teach that his compassion in healing the sick has been entirely withdrawn. Brother Bosworth went on to say, to me, it is a mystery how any minister can take a position that veils and interferes with the manifestation of the greatest attribute of deity, God's compassion. That's the greatest attribute of deity, God's compassion, God's mercy, which is divine love in action. Amen. Well, now we read all of these scriptures about him having mercy upon the sick, compassion upon them and healing them. Now, if today in his days of exaltation at the right hand of the Father, if he only has mercy and compassion toward the sinner, then he's only half as merciful as he was when he's here on the earth. I don't believe that, do you? I said, I don't believe that, do you? I tell you, the more I studied the Bible, I've always believed this for a good many years now since I saw it, but the more I studied it, the more I'm convinced that healing belongs to all of us. Amen. I mean, that needs has need of healing. That it's God's will to heal everyone that's sick. Now, that don't mean everyone that's sick is going to get well. They could, but just like it's God's will to heal everybody that's lost. Isn't it? Now, that don't mean they're all going to be saved, but yet that's God's will. That's God's will. Why don't we preach what God's will is for people? Hallelujah to Jesus. You know, I want his best, don't you? Amen. Now, I used to, and I still do it. I taught my people that. I pastored another 12 years, and I've said it before, and say it again. 12 years pastoral work never did bury one church member. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to live forever down here and not going to die, because folks are but I would teach them, I mean, even, even older people in their 70s, in their 80s. Doctors said some of them were going to die. I said, let God heal you and then die if you want to. But don't die like this. God won't get any glory out of that. Now, it's strange when you got them healed, even those 80 some odd year old, when you got them healed, then they didn't want to die. They went on living for a while. I would teach my people as a pastor, that it is God's will. That's his best will. I don't mean you're lost or sinner if it doesn't happen to you, but his best is that we live our full length of time out down here below without sickness and without disease and just fall asleep in Jesus. Hallelujah as an elderly or an old person, because he said, with long life will I satisfy him. Now, if you're satisfied at 60, well, go on home. If you're satisfied at 70, well, then go on home. He said, with long life will I satisfy him, but if you're not satisfied, or if you get to be 80, if you're not satisfied, well, we'll stay around for a while. Amen. And somewhere along up in there, you'll get satisfied and want to go on. Paul did. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Hallelujah. Now, I used to teach that. See? I, I, you know, and then I went out on the field. I'd teach that, you know, because I'd have day 
after a while, right at first it didn't, but day Bible teaching service, more so in the day classes because you had time to get into the Word, you see. And if you present some things at night, well, they didn't get the background, so it couldn't get the truth, so there's no use of trying to deal there. You deal on a different level. And uh, I'd have pastor after pastor say to me, say, Brother Hagin, I know this much. We're all living beneath our privileges. Well, I'm not just satisfied to say, well, we're living beneath our privileges and then just stay there. That's, that's lazy. Praise God, I want to find out what my privileges and blessings are and benefits and get up there. And they'd say to me, now you just set the standard too high. I mean, you just set the goals too high. They can't anybody reach that. Now what they was talking about was this very fact that I'm talking about, you know. Uh, that's God's best. I said, well, you see, if you don't preach God's best, folks won't know about it. Besides that, I said to them, I'd rather set my goals high. Amen. You got something to shoot at then and get half of them than to set it nothing and get all of it. See a fellow that just says, well, we're all living beneath their privileges. I know that. He's just setting his goal way down here at nothing. And they're already there. And they're, 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 you know, content to stay there. No, bless God, let's find out what God's best and highest is for us. And let's make the commitment and the will, praise God, that we're going to have God's best. And we're going to have God's highest. And it takes will and it takes commitment and it takes dedication. Amen. Not just be satisfied to sort of float along with the times. No, I'm on his best. Praise God. Now, notice further there in that same 16th chapter of John's gospel, we notice that seventh verse where it said, Jesus said, it's expedient for you. It's profitable for you that I go away. Well, could it be profitable for us if he went away and his healing mercy, his healing mercy was withdrawn or even modified? No. No. All right. Notice in the 13th through the 15th verse, and I'll not take time to read all of them. You can. Of the 16th chapter of John. When he, in the 13th verse, he said, the spirit of truth is come. When he, the spirit of truth. Now see, that's the reason that it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter of the Holy Ghost, the helper, the paraclete will not come. If I go away, I'll send him to you. Hallelujah. Now, when he's come, when he is come, notice there's several things he mentions here, but one thing I want you to notice, the first part of the 14th verse, Jesus said, he shall glorify me. When he's come, he will glorify me. He shall glorify me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, Brother Bosworth asked the question. He said, could the Spirit glorify Christ to the sick by telling them that the age of miracles is past? Or that Jesus, since his exaltation, has withdrawn or modified his ministry to the sick. Could the Holy Spirit do that? After Jesus himself promised that he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works, and that they're going to do them in this age. Hallelujah. Now, Brother Barsworth went on to say, has the Spirit come to magnify Christ? by modifying his ministry to the sick and suffering while Jesus is their high priest? No, blessed be God, it is expedient for you that I go away. It's profitable for you. Because you see there, as our high priest, the Bible said in Hebrews 2, 
17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful, or the margin reads compassionate. You could translate either way. Greek words is translated both ways. Merciful, or in other words, compassionate, and faithful high priest. Hallelujah. Remember what Jesus said? As our high priest, because that's the office he was functioning when he said it there to John on the Isle of Patmos in the first three chapters of Revelation, he said, let him that hear what the Spirit's saying unto the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying unto the churches. Well, that's the Spirit speaking right here in Hebrews 2.17. Hallelujah, that he might be a faithful, that he might be a merciful, that he might be a compassionate and faithful high priest. Brother Bosworth said, men are saying much today which the Spirit has never said. And which is opposite of what he does say. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? Now then, here's another thought. Let's go just a step further. You see, it was his mercy. Now see, think of it from this direction now. Think of it from this, this standpoint or this side of the mountain we're climbing, so to speak. You see, it's his, it's his mercy. It's his compassion. Because his mercy, because his compassion is extended towards the sinner. We know he says in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. It's because his great mercy is extended toward the sinner that he says that. But you see, it's because his great mercy is also extended toward those that are bound and those that need deliverance and those that need healing that he says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, in my name, well, that's the way he said there in John 14 that these works of it, verily, verily, I send you the works that I do. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's his name. And in my name, they'll cast out devils. And then he ends the list by saying, in the 18th verse, and they'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It's because, you see, exalted at the Father's right hand as the head of the church, he's still the same Lord that talks about here. The scripture talks about the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Because what does the Spirit say about Jesus? Well, we looked at it. 13th chapter of Hebrews, 8th verse, Jesus Christ, the same. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Spirit says about him. See, men are saying a lot of things about Jesus that the Spirit never said. Men say, oh, they told me that. They almost robbed me of my health. Well, you know, healing, you know, in the Old Testament, God did heal. When Jesus was here on the earth, the apostles had that kind of power. But when the last apostle died, well, what about the other 70? You notice they never mentioned them. When the last apostle died, then all that ceased. Oh, what a lie of the devil. 
And so much of the church world has swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. No, he's the same compassionate Lord now that he was then. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. This text said here in, in Hebrews 2, 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful or compassionate and faithful high priest. You see, it's his present compassion, his present compassion for the sick present tense compassion for the sick that caused him as our high priest and head of the church to say these signs will follow them that believe. Again, little simple rule of Bible interpretation. Who's doing the talking? Well, Jesus is. To whom he's talking? To whom is he speaking? Of whom is he speaking? Believers. These signs will follow them that believe. Hallelujah. What's he talking about? Well, one of the signs is that he's talking about the sick, them being, them recovering. They, who? Believers, shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You see, it's his present compassion. It's his present compassion. Present day compassion. See, he's still moved toward the sick, moved with compassion. But see, he's not here in, in the flesh to minister. So he has to minister through the church, his body. That compassion must be made manifest through them. Through them. Hallelujah. These signs are follow them that believe. Even laymen may minister to the sick. And then what does the Spirit say? Now see, this is about Jesus. In his, this, this day in which we live, his exaltation at the right hand of the Father well, in James, is James inspired by the Spirit of God to write? Is he writing by the inspiration of the Spirit of God? If he isn't, just tear that book out of the Bible. They know it'd be in there. So what does he say in James 5, 14? Is any sick among you? Among whom? Well, the church, because he said, let them call for the elders of the church. So you can read like, is any sick among the church? Well, that implies he didn't want any sick. Any. 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 Any means any. Amen. Is any sick? Where? Among you? In other words, during this church age, whole church age, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. In the name of the Lord. There's his name again. The name of Jesus. The prayer of faith saves sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sin, it shall be forgiven him. Hallelujah to Jesus. Now, Brother Bosworth quotes Reverend W.C. Stevens on this point. He makes this remark. All preachers, teachers, writers, and others who hand out the word of life to the people should keep this direction as continuously before the people as sickness itself constantly confronts them. Is any sick among you? God wants any among the saints that are sick, hallelujah, to be healed. One way of them being healed is let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointeth all in the name of the Lord. Prayer of faith to save the sick. Anointeth all in the name of the Lord. See, there's the name of Jesus. The prayer of faith to save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Hallelujah. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Well, you see there, if that Christian 
has sinned sometimes, now not always, but sometimes that's the reason some Christians are sick. But thank God His mercy and His compassion is extended towards them to forgive them, isn't it? <coughs> By the same token, His mercy and His compassion is extended towards them to heal them. Hallelujah to Jesus. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His compassion. Hallelujah. Brother Bosworth went on to say, may I quote from him, even during his earthly ministry, our adorable Lord would make any sacrifice and suffer even the curse itself in order to open the way for his compassion to reach the most unworthy and the most provoking of his enemies. Remember we teach from Galatians 3.13 quite often, approaching the subject from a little different angle. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now what did he redeem us from? The curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Go back to the Old Testament and read and see what it is. Among other things, it's sickness. Read the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. And he said, Begin with the 15th verse, if you don't keep my commandments, don't walk in my statutes, then all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And go on reading the rest of that from the 15th verse right on through the rest of the chapter, 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, and you find out what the curse is. But you see, Jesus suffered the curse for us. Hallelujah. It, it's his compassion. By so doing, he's opening the way for his compassion to reach the most unworthy and the most provoking of his enemies. His enemies. Yeah, the Bible said, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, and he speaks about us being enemies, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Brother Bosworth went on to say, both the bloody sweat of Gethsemane and the horrible tortures of Calvary were but the manifestations of his infinite compassion. Praise God forevermore. Aren't you glad? Amen. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Then as we go on, we'll notice this. You see, in, in going to Calvary, he became our substitute. And sometimes, you know, we call the, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah the atonement. Now, really, that's an Old Testament word. The word atonement's not found in the New Testament. You'll find it one time in the King James translation but it shouldn't even be there because that's not the word. That's not the Greek words for atonement. Because see, the word atonement is not a New Testament word. The word atonement is an Old Testament word. Christ, the New Testament word is redemption. He is our redemption. We sometimes, however, and this is correct, call the 53rd chapter of Isaiah the great substitutionary chapter. Because you see, as our substitute as our substitute. In his substitutionary work for us, he anticipated every possible need of Adam's race. He opened the way for mercy to reach every human need. Hallelujah. He was then and is now moved by compassion toward all who need his presence and his blessing just as much as he was then. Hallelujah. Provider, peace, victory, shepherd, righteousness, and physician. 
Those are the seven blessings secured by his tragedy on the cross and revealed to us by his redemptive names. His covenants, including the covenant of healing, are given because of his mercy. And Deuteronomy 7, 9 said, He keepeth covenant and mercy with all who love him to a thousand generations. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now here's a final thought. Brother Bosworth brings out this thought, how not to grieve the heart of Jesus. Doubting or ignoring his love and compassion grieves the heart of Jesus, Brother Bosworth said. It made him weep over Jerusalem. So many times our minister said in these days, we do not need miracles now. Thinking as miracles only as signs to prove the Lord's deity. Brother Bosworth said, I've said to them, if you had a cancer eating your head off, you'd need a miracle, would you not? <laughs> Brother Bosworth went on to say, most people today are so in the dark on this subject that it never occurs to them that there is mercy also for the sick. They never think of the gifts of healings that God set in the church. It was his great compassion and heart that caused him to do that. And miracles as being manifestation of Christ's compassion. And that hour after hour and day after day, for three years he healed all who came to him. That's what the scripture said. And it was because of his compassion. Brother Bosworth asked the question, are not the need of sufferers today the same as they were in that day? And do they not need as much compassion as ever in the past? He went on to say, when we think of the countless numbers in despair, suffering with such intense agony that death would be a mercy, and to whom physicians, after doing their best, I've been obliged to say I can do no more for you. How precious it is. I'm still quoting Brother Bosworth now. How precious it is to know that Christ's compassion every moment is still precisely as when it was manifested during the three years of his earthly ministry of love. Brother Bosworth added this. This is a fact upon which we may absolutely rely. Thank God it is. Now going on, quoting from Brother Bosworth, we have shown that bodily healing is a mercy with Christ, who was the expression of the Father's will, everywhere bestowed upon all who sought it. And we have the plain declaration, the Lord is plenteous in mercy unto all. That means in all would include the sick that call upon him because his mercy endureth forever and is from everlasting to everlasting. That's what the Bible says about his mercy. He is full of mercy over all his works. Well, those scriptures ought to settle the matter. Hallelujah. Praise God. Instead of saying that the age of miracles is past, Thank God this say it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written. Praise God in his holy word. Get your Bibles open. If you don't have your Bible, look on with somebody else. I want you to read it for yourself. In the light of all that we've said,
145th Psalm, verses 8 and 9, ought to take on new light to us, new depth to us, new meaning to us, new dimension to us. Hallelujah, I want you to read it out loud with me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I just get happy thinking about it. Let's read it. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Let's read it again. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Hallelujah. Could you see that? When that leper came to him and moved with compassion towards him, he healed him. Couldn't you see that? As they departed from Jericho and those two blind men cried out, how mercy on us. Oh Lord, thou son of David, Jesus, thou son of David. And when he stopped and asked, what would you that I do unto that we may receive our sight? And Jesus moved with compassion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Couldn't you see that there in Matthew where these great multitudes followed him and moved with compassion toward them? He healed their sick. Can you see that? The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Can't you see that? In that maniac, as we call him, of Gadara, when Jesus said, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things he's done for thee and the Lord's done for thee and hath had compassion upon thee. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. His tender mercies are over all his works. Oh, if you could just get folks to believe it. He wants to heal you just as easily as he wants to forgive your sins. He yearns to. Yet I've had Christians, good people, wonderful people after Christians. I said, I wish I could believe that. Brother again, I wish I could believe that. I wish I could believe it. I'll tell you what I'd do. If I had trouble believing it, I'd do just what I did do. I'd just get into the Word and soak like a sponge to soak up water. Just soak up these scriptures. Hallelujah. Until I just got so full of them that I did what, there's not in room for anything else. And then you'll never doubt his compassion, his mercy, and his love over in this area. You'll see that he's yearning. He wants you healed more than you want to be healed. He desires that you be well more than you desire to be well. Now, there's a time that's hard for me to believe that, so I, I, could, I could have sympathy with you because I just wanted to be well so, so, so much. That was just the greatest desire of my heart. But, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. He wants you well more than you want to be well. He yearns to heal you more than you yearn to be healed. But see, your mind won't accept that. Your mind said, well, yeah, your mind keeps raising objections. Your heart would like to, but your mind won't let it. And you see, it has to go through your mind to get into your heart. 
where your mind keeps raising objections. Your mind says it can't be so. Side in with the word. I learned to do that a long time ago and I just flat did it way back there when I was a teenager. My head said it wasn't so. My head couldn't, my head kept, head kept saying, you, you don't understand that. I said, no, I don't understand it, but the Bible said it. I don't have to understand it, devil. All I got to do is believe it. Amen. And I don't even understand it yet. But I believe it. Glory to God. 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 This lift our hands and thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his healing mercy. Thank him for his compassion. Thank you for having mercy upon us and healing us because you've already provided it. You've already had mercy on us. Oh, glory to God, Jesus was our substitute. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. It's ours today. It's mine now. It's mine now. Hallelujah. Glory to his holy name. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.